This is uh, hey, hey. Chris and Reggie with our first episode, patron exclusive. Comics Talk is what we're calling it right now. This is going to be, uh, we're going to do our best to do two of these a month. Mm-hmm. And these are sort of off-the-cuff discussions uh, that Chris and I have usually before recording. <laughs> these types of discussions. Um, but, you know, we're going to share them uh, with you guys, with our, our patrons, as thanks to for supporting us. Uh, and it's going to deal with... Our opinions, you know, somewhat of, yeah. of of things in comics and the industry, and you know, even things in the past, whatever it is that we're talking about, you're actually going to hear our honest opinions on subjects. Which, Chris, we don't usually add those to the comic cosmic treadmill. That's yeah, you know, we keep those as commentary free as possible. A little think. bit of editorializing, yeah. it, it's it turns here and there, <laughs> chuckling at the comic, but we're always very, you know, uh, we try to be very even handed about creators and you know, certainly to present to the facts as we see them or get them, you know, but uh, this will be more of, you know, what we think about things. So in this first episode, decided to tackle something uh, kind of misunderstood, pervasive in the industry, variant covers mm-hmm. uh, that have been around maybe longer than some people think, but maybe not as long as others think. So uh, what is a variant cover? This would be any comic book that has more than one cover for the same printing. Uh, that would be the main or a cover. Uh, any others would be variants, and those can go... Deep. Uh, oh, yeah. Star Wars 1 had like 100 variants or something crazy like this. Well over that, yeah. Well over that. So, you yeah. know, usually you see like A, B, C, D tops, but it, it can go. It can go as, as far as you like. Mm-hmm. Uh, first ever comic book variant was John Byrne's Man of Steel number one. That was July, September 1986 cover date. That had one cover depicting a fully full body Clark changing into Superman next to an image of his ship escaping the exploding planet Krypton, but the other one, which is probably more better known, is a close-up of Clark exposing the S on his costume that takes up the whole cover. Uh, I believe both of those had silver printing, silver ink on them, right? Yeah, like, a, like oh, not not quite foil, but no, yeah, but it was a little a, bit... Uh... It, was a, it was like a metalized ink or something, some yeah. kind of effect was applied, but that applied to both of them. And as I recall... Um, I mean, the 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 one of him opening his shirt was more is more remembered, but I don't remember there being a run on them at the time. But maybe I'm wrong. And there, there still doesn't seem to be. They they seem to, uh, when you see them in the bins, the prices are generally kind of interchangeable. Same. Exactly. Yeah. yeah so. Um. And, and also about about variants here, we're not talking about like uh, like sometimes they'll mark a newsstand versus direct right, right, as right. the variant, and also like things silly things like those Whitman ones we used to get back uh, or not we as I wasn't around yet, but like <laughs> back in the seventies, those Whitman ones. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sometimes, especially in price guides, they do count those as variants, but that's not what we're getting to here. No, that, that's, uh, that's almost like a collector's variant in a way. Like, it's only yes. along the collecting community. It's like you have every version of something, sure. Yeah, there's actually an issue. Uh, Jerry Ordway's first issue of uh, Adventures of Superman had a had a variant uh, corner box because uh, they, were, they, were called, uh, they were called mall variants. And uh, they had That's different the price, logos. The price would be up there because of the way it was shelved or something. Or, or like where the where like the UPC code would be or whatever. It's a, it would have a a, a logo for a particular mall. And uh, that's oh, actually right. 
I have uh, one from a local mall here in Arizona called Fiesta Mall, and I posted that when I reviewed the book on 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 the blog, and uh, a guy had emailed me. And he offered me a couple hundred bucks for it. Wow. Because he, he collects these mall variants. The mall variants. Wow. That's amazing. Yes, it's pretty wild. It's oh, pretty wild God. stuff. Uh, now that I know what an Instagram is, I can I can post those things uh, <laughs> at some point. But uh, we're not talking about those. These are these are the, the more straightforward variants that we know and uh, deal with nowadays. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> back to our story here. Uh, Marvel would follow up the following year. This is, of course, after Man of Steel with uh, Amazing Spider-Man Annual number 21 that had a 1987 cover year by uh, Jim Shooter and David Michelini. This is the one where Peter Parker marries Mary, marries Mary Jane. <laughs> and, uh, we've got two covers uh, depicting a wedding photo, one with Peter Parker and his friends and family, and then another with Spider-Man and his fellow superheroes. Yeah. Uh, we jump to probably the uh, the granddaddy here. Uh, this, X-Men. this probably is what really <laughs> kicked off variants uh, in, oh. in earnest. Yes, this is X-Men number one, X-Men volume two, uh, October 1991 cover date by Chris Claremont and Jim Lee. And this one was so big, it still holds the Guinness Book of World Records for the most copies sold of a single comic book issue. 8.1 million copies. Wow. That's a lot of paper. And uh, now this issue, it it came with five variants. You'd have uh, five different scenes, and then there was a wraparound that had all the scenes together. It was like a puzzle. Right. Uh, And, uh, you know, you could still go to your local retailer and ask just how many copies of this comic they still have lying around. Yeah, uh, if you want to make them cry, you can do that. I can can tell you my retailer, he says that he has thousands of them you know at and least right he's yep. like whatever they have a giveaway you can always count on going by and getting x-men number one they have so oh, yeah. many of them and he's not a huge store either he so i just love to know what midtown comics or these larger you know oh, warehouses have. Of thousands, yeah it must be so many uh so there are a few types of variants um and this is where i think some of the confusion comes in uh there's alternate covers that's super common to i'd say almost every comic from uh, Just about. Marvel and DC gets them, and now even you see them in Image Dark and Dark Horse. They get what they call an alternate cover. They're also called one-to-one covers, uh, and that is just a different cover. There's no if, if you have a decently reputable uh, comic book store, there should be no up price because they, the retailer can order as many or as few as they like. So if they order, you know, if they normally order ten Superman, they can order six. Cover A, four cover B, and it's you know it's the same. There's no uh, change in price for them or anything. Sure. But we can do the other. On the other hand, we have incentivized covers. Uh, these are sometimes called chase covers, and uh, they are produced in very low quantities. Uh, these covers require over uh, overcoming certain purchasing thresholds by the retailer before they become available to order. Yeah. Um, often it's a matter of purchasing more of the, the regular edition. So let's say you usually buy you know those 10 copies of Superman, but now you have to buy 25 or more at the retail level to get one of these incentivized covers. Yeah. And yeah. then there's even deeper dives here, where if you buy into the triple digits, you buy 100 copies of this one issue's regular version, and you might get like the Jim Lee sketch version. Yeah, uh, that was more like a thousand, as I recall. Was that was for, oh, uh, was you for Superman? I can't remember what book that was, but there was four available like Jim Lee personalized sketch covers. You had to order a thousand oh, uh, to boy. get those. Um, <clears throat> and it's it's pretty crazy that they even do that. Uh, it can make some launches, as you can imagine, pretty complicated. Uh, sure. And it usually does happen with launches. It's like we said. 
usually you don't see this many variants on a on a issue within the run of be a number one issue or some special one shot of some kind. Uh, they can make them very complicated. They might have several one to one alternate covers by themselves. So that's just the you know pick pick your favorite covers. Then several incentivized variants that have these detailed ordering restrictions, and then they get even more complicated. <laughs> Often a publisher requires increasing the order on a totally other title. Yeah. To get the variant on the comic that you want. For example, uh, there might be an incentivized variant of an amazing Spider-Man. They might require you to increase your Captain America order from last month by 10%. And I've yep. heard higher number. I've heard stuff like 25%. And usually it's not Captain America. Usually it's, you know, Ant-Man and, uh, you know. Ms. Marvel or Mr. Mr. Like Impossible that. or something like this. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, stuff that's, that's hurting. Um, and... It, it it can get a lot worse than that. Uh, sometimes it's even over a hundred percent of previous quantities, which essentially mm-hmm. what you're doing is saying, "Please hold our garbage for us," because That's there's it. no way they're ever going to sell that amount. It's ridiculous. It's true. It's true. Um, we also have the retailer variant, which is also known as the store variant. Uh, normally, they're only offered for a first or otherwise landmark issue. Uh, a retailer can order enough issues of a particular comic book in order to justify having their own brand on the cover. Yep. Um, I remember, like, uh, the launch or the first part of Spider Island. Uh, I think it was Amazing Spider-Man 666 back in 2011 or so. A lot of the local shops here in, in the Phoenix area have have this incentivized cover really and uh yeah and they and they all and they all upcharged it because they were very likely upcharged oh they, uh, yeah, they had they had to buy you know whatever there they had to buy x amount whatever, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, that's uh, really where the by the way folks that's where the upcharging comes from on these incentivized variants you're covering the extra they're covering their spread to buy yeah. Yeah, you know what I mean? like it's, it's not like it's the number doesn't come out of nowhere it's it's a real number it's true. You're, yeah, because they the a store who usually only orders those ten issues, of, ten copies of Superman, they can only count on selling up to those ten issues. Right. Where, if they if they have to buy, you know, God forbid, a hundred, that that's ninety extra books that either go directly into a quarter bin, or or they they put them up on a shelf and they cross their fingers hoping. That or directly maybe into a shredder. In. I'll tell you. I'll be honest. I'm, 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 I'm not. I'm not being. I'm not being good. I mean, the amount. You know, you go into even sometimes these small comics places. The amount of stuff they're holding on to, and that was always the idea of the direct market was that you know we'd hold on to these old issues and we'd sell them over time. I'm saying we like I'm, I'm, that retailers would do that. You know right, that yeah. there would be a back issue market that would sell these things. But when you were talking about you know. When you're talking about I have a few extra issues, yeah, that might happen. Sure. When you have a hundred, a thousand, you know, thousands of an issue, when are you going to sell those? You know what I mean? Never. That's never going to get sold. <laughs> so, yeah, and I mean, with the, with the back issue market, I mean, I, I might decide I want to I want to read an issue of Green Lantern from 1978. Yeah. You know, and I'll go to the comic shop to buy this this one issue of Green Lantern from 1978. I'm not looking for 150 issues that came out last week. Right. Exactly. You know? so I mean, that's the it's... thing. Like, uh, exactly. You know, it's it's how long you sit on them. If uh, you know, there's a nuclear Armageddon and the uh, Midtown <laughs> Midtown Comics uh, warehouse is the only thing left standing, then yeah, suddenly those comics become very valuable in the post-apocalyptic world. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's a it's a long game, and you know that goes it's... into, and we'll probably talk about that more someday. The the speculating and the direct market and sure. this like belief that you know you're gonna have your your big payday. Well, I don't. That comes decades down the line, if at all. But 
uh, just the last kind of variant, and we're going to talk about all these again, is that in the modern era, and this kind of ties into what you were saying about, you know, weird mall variants and sometimes sure. Baxter copies and newsstand copies becoming variants. Reprints can also be considered variants because they will have mm-hmm. a slightly, often a different color cover. Something will change sure. on the cover. Or it's uh, a pencil only, pencil only. That's another uh, one, yeah. Photostat of the cover, yeah. So, sometimes it's so slight, though. Sometimes, like, the logo was red on the first, it's blue on the second. But, you know, yeah. that becomes a collector's thing. And uh, sure. that's that's really what we're going to get into here is that why these comics, and, I'm, and I'll, I'll explain partly even why this thing came up because I had an epiphany pretty recently about comics, Chris. I think, I don't know if we've talked about it off the air, but hmm. uh, it was about alternate covers, about these one-to-one covers. Sure. Uh, for a long time, I've seen these as harmless. What? Who cares? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, the retailer, you know, they spend no extra money on it and they person at the purchase point, i.e. me, often mm. often could care less, or I might select the other one. You know what I mean? If it you know what I mean, but I don't but really But it's not costing you doesn't, it doesn't cost like anybody yeah. anything. And I'm I'm of the mind as a comic reader, I don't really care. Since you know I don't collect a whole lot of singles anyway. Sure. Uh, to me, you know, the only time I can really think of, for example, a, a uh, when they had these alternate covers that I was really into them was Darwin Cook. They did that. Okay, this that run like where they were all kind of landscape. Three, yeah, they, a lot of them yeah. were landscape. This is like three uh, December's ago or something. This is obviously when he was still alive. New Fifty Two ish, yeah. <clears throat> and I was, yeah, that might have been DCU or the end of New Fifty Two, but uh, mm. I really was into those. Just I loved his art and I like his classic thing. So that was a time that I did go for all of them. But I, I'm just talking about just for me personally. I think a lot of people, it's one or the other. It doesn't really matter. We're we're in to read this, the interior. But I came to a realization that that's not how collectors do it. Like what we would call <laughs> serious, quote unquote, collectors. Sure. Uh, they have to have both, don't they, Chris? Uh, and they, they have do. to have multiple copies of both. Or depending sometimes. On yeah, sometimes. Sometimes they do. Um, yeah. So it's that, dangerous. It is very dangerous, and it really tickles. Uh, it tickles that collector uh, itch, you know, yeah. or scratches the itch, I should say. Uh, I am... I mean, I've got twenty-five thousand single issues. Yeah, I, I'm. I, I think I, I might qualify as a as a decent type of collector, sure, but sure. Uh, but I I really don't get behind this variant thing. I don't need two copies of the same book. I you're not that type two. of. You're. And yeah. I'll say this about you. You are a collector of a guy. You you want to read the comics that you have. Yeah. And you. I know you do have. For example, with Titans, I know you have some newsstand. You have some oh, Baxter, yeah. but you're not about getting all. Of both, you know all what I mean? different, yeah. Like even, like even the nowadays, where I mean, like we were talking earlier, every book has at least two two covers. Yeah. I mean, I grab the one that is, I grab the A cover because I believe that, you know, you look back at the at the comics of the of yesterday. You know, you have, you know, Fantastic Four was it forty eight, the coming of Galactus. Yeah. You know, an iconic cover you could recognize it anywhere. I might have gotten the number wrong right there, but you can get you, you recognize. I, I, it. I do another one too. Yeah, of course, the big Galactus face. Uh, you got like in. the Watcher pointing, you know, sure. and it's like you, you don't. We don't have that anymore. We don't have books that you can just point to and be like, ah, that you know that I know where that book came from. I know what year it was. I remember where I was when I read it because it's like, oh, it's okay. Well, we have fifty-five pinups of Wolverine. Yeah. Who cares? It's just. Well, that's I, I, that's another. You know, that's that's a little <laughs> separate issue. I mean, covers used to have to. 
grab your matter? attention at yeah. the stand. You know what I mean? Sure. It, it was, and it was a matter of, uh, I don't know if you had one competing of these with another another book on the rack. Exactly. <laughs> and, and since the guy at the, at the uh, candy store never let you look at the damn thing, you know, more than five seconds, you had to pretty much pick <laughs> it on the cover. It ain't a library. I, I literally, I remember a guy. I remember one time. I was, I was looking at comics with a friend of mine at a spinner rack. I had to be like, I don't know, 10, 11. And, uh, they, and, it, and Chris, it wasn't even like, you know, Marvel. It was like Richie Rich. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, it was that kind of a spinner rack. It, was, it wasn't uh, like kind of the heavy stuff. And he's like, sure. what are you kids doing? I was like, I'm just browsing through comics. And he goes, browse outside. And I'm like, who the hell else is coming in for these? You know what I mean? Like, what, what are you waiting for? you waiting for the lunch rush to come in and look at these? Like, ah, leave those for the adults. But, uh, Hold them Richie Riches, come on. Exactly, don't fold those. I got a guy that comes in every day, he wants to read his pristine Richie Rich or whatever that, whatever it was. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, the thing is, is that these, all of these covers are catering to a, I, I, I just have to say it, Chris, a, a sickened, a sickened side of collecting an obsessive, addict. Yeah. an addict, an addict is the word, yeah. it's, it's, Feeding into this addiction, and the more and more I look at it, the more and more I, I'm I have a total distaste for it. I like the idea of artists, you know, more artists you're spreading around more work for them. Uh, that's about the only thing I like about it. Sure, you know, sure. I, I really think this is, uh, it's just creating more waste in general, not just in terms of you know ecology, but just. Waste in your boxes, waste in your house, wasting mm-hmm. of space. You, have, you now you have three, four, five, fifty, a hundred copies of the same comic. You're like, yeah, why? You know, and those interiors are exactly the same, folks. It is a layup. Absolutely. It is a layup mm-hmm. for the for the comics publisher. Just wrap another cover around it. That's pennies, pennies they paid on that. Exactly. Uh, or not even then. It's just another run on the printer. Yeah, I would, just, say, I would yeah. say you know there's there's a there's a cost for the it's it comes out to probably a penny or less per issue to do that sure. for a variant. Yeah. Uh, especially when it's a plate change when they're just changing the color on the reprint or sure. depending on what it is. You know, there are different kinds of variants and uh, it, it's uh, it just makes me sick. There's there's a misunderstanding. I think that uh, in the '90s I hear this sometimes that. The variants and the incentivized covers are what ruined everything, and it was like not really because it, no. it those made the publishers a lot of money. Sure. Uh, it was the it was the doubling and tripling down, you know. That's what yeah. When, when the bottom dropped out, but when when the bottom was there, it was great. So, but uh, I mean, even looking at the books in the '90s, if you were getting a, an incentive or a variant, it wasn't going to be limited. Um, right. It was it was going to cost you more, but you were getting you were actually getting something physical. You were getting like a gimmicked cover. You were getting a hologram or foil or mm. just you were getting something extra. You know, there was a, a perceived value there. You weren't. It isn't just like okay, well, this is uh, this is the Wolverine cover, and this is Wolverine wearing a diaper. <laughs> Because, I, because that's that's what it, it's like. Yeah, I mean, oh, here's, the, here's the baby variant. Who cares? You're describing an actual variant program, yeah, from, from yeah. Marvel, the, the fucking baby variants. So stupid, <laughs> and they were so cheap too. Like there was no backgrounds. I was like, what? No. What is this? Like something I doodled at a meeting in, in my office or something. Like what is this it's about? Like, it's Cal- it's Calvin and Hobbes wearing a Wolverine mask. Yeah. What is this? It was yeah. it was very it was very uh, lazy stuff. Or even like. Like you mentioned, you know, now the DC's been doing this a lot where the variants are the pencils. And it's yeah. like, eh, come on, dude. I mean, yeah, I, I understand that it's cool to see from an art perspective, but you just, you know, you're just, you know, working money out of the same thing three, five exactly. ways. You know, it's like, 
And now that everything is also digital, it's even more pointless because, I mean, you buy the digital version and you get all the covers. Absolutely, yeah. And, 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 and I mean, you, or the can, trade. you, can, the trade you can print them have, if you want. The trade <laughs> will know? also often have all the variants in it in the back, you know what I mean? And it's like, sure. I, I was shocked recently to see a trade. God, what was it? I can't remember now. There was some variant program, so I can't, if I can't remember, I think hmm. it was Archie. I think it was the first uh, Mark Wade. is that Lanil U? The reboot. The yeah, reboot the, Archie. Uh, and that one had, I don't know, 20, oh, 25 yeah. variants. And some of them were really expensive and, you know, yeah. rare. And then the trade came out, and they're all in the back. They're all and there. I, and I'm yeah. like, I understand that it's not the comic, and they're, you know, that, but you've already, you've given up part of the ghost already. Um, yeah. I mean, this, this is really something I want to say to collectors to, uh, are looking to make money out of it later is they are they are making it real hard for you to ever make money on these comics well, ever. Yeah, you you flood you flood a market with collectibles. Mm-hmm. Uh, how? Wh- why am I going to buy your you know uh, X Men number four hundred when I could buy this guy's X Men four hundred and one with the same var- amount of variants? Yeah. You know what what makes one variant more important than another? It, it's uh, it's going to come down to. The people that want variants going to get them, and then there's going to be no market for them. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. Like, it's, yeah. Just, it's just going to bottom out right there because it'll be like – but uh, for some reason in my mind, probably because I'm incredibly racist, I'm thinking of a hardcore Japanese fan base that must have variants. You know what it is? It's because of the records. I went back in the long ago. I uh, used to get records on eBay, and there was always uh, some guys in Japan that would pay any amount of money for a re- – they'd pay $4,000 for a record that was worth – only, you know, like ridiculous money, like that wasn't even worth that much just so they could sure. snipe it. But then after that, the price bottomed out. You know what I mean? It was like <laughs> the only person that would pay that much has done it. And now the next person, they're not even going to pay you $10. They're not going to pay you exactly. anything. Now so, you're stuck with it. <laughs> uh, that's that's where you're going to see this go. Uh, I mean, as we've talked about, a lot of comics collecting and the speculating is essentially – uh, a group of people circulating the money among each other back and forth. Yeah, it's laundering, yeah. Uh, essentially, yeah, that's really what it is. Um, but, yeah, when those people drop out or get what they want or get out, you know, pass it's away in many in many cases, uh, not gonna, the market doesn't exist for it. And I, I think we are seeing a newer group of comics fans that they're fine with digital. They have no problems yeah. reading digitally forever for the rest of their lives, and they'll never want to pay five dollars you know much less because digitally they can steal it there's that too you know what i mean but uh yeah um so it's uh i guess what i really want to get at though is and this is something we've talked about and i really feel like it's something no one addresses in comics is how this caters to that addictive uh, obsessive collecting mentality gotta get them all yeah um which you and i understand that mentality of course, I don't. I don't want this to sound like we're standing outside of it, and we're just like, "Oh, you poor." Yeah, we're not standing on the mound here. We're uh... <laughs> exactly. We're 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 in the trenches as well. But uh, there's you know there's different levels of everything, and there's definitely sure. people that I see definitely a lot of people's polls. I'm like, yikes, man, that's a Big lot time. of the same comic of the just same bought. book. <laughs> Yeah, and and some of them leave the price tags on them, so it's like they're bagged. They're never going to be opened. Mm-hmm. And they have a price on the bag, and it's. I, I, I don't. I. I just. Yeah. And like I said, I've got a ton of books. I mean, I want every single issue of Teen Titans, but just one of them. Right. <laughs> you know, one of each. But I. I can't even like process 
Uh, like how how would I go to a store and buy five of one comic when I could buy five different ones? That's it's always it's always a you know like you rob Peter to pay Paul here. It's uh, I could go to any any even a dollar bin and you can yeah. get some variants. You know, I it's like I could find a variant that looks interesting, but why would I grab it if I already have the book? If you already you know, have it's it. like yeah, it's when, like I could buy a book finish, I don't you, have. When you finish your collection, you know. Then well, you'll go back. Happen. Then you'll. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> you know, you'll finally be like, "Well, I have every. I have one of every comic now to get the variants." <laughs> there we go. Maybe then I'll go back to Marvel. Who knows? I just, I just see, I see you with with a uh, beard down to your feet and just nothing around, <laughs> just boxes piled to the ceiling. You know, one lamp. That's it. <laughs> I'm uh, wearing binoculars as glasses. <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's, how, that's how old you got. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's crazy out there. I, I would love to hear from any of our patrons that, that collect themselves what they think about this, because, you know, I'm definitely not trying to come down anyone for, coll- I mean, Lord knows I do collect comics. I do collect sure. a lot of books. I collect a lot of other bizarre stuff, but you know, this, this idea House of, filler. Yeah. Uh, very much so. Very much so house filler. You ask my wife about how filled the house is, uh, <laughs> But you know this "gotta catch 'em all" mentality um, is just something that is created, you know. And these publishers—it's and it's not sustainable. It's not absolutely not sustainable. Yeah. Uh, these publishers create that, um, and you know, and as we talked about, uh, the collector creates it too. With when when they treat, you know, the Baxter and the newsstand, or they treat reprints as suddenly you now collectible variants. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've I've seen comics where the fifth. The fourth or fifth reprint is the more most expensive one because it had the because fewest there are fewer quantities, yeah. and uh, it's like, but it's the same comic as the first one, you know? Like, it what is. the hell? <laughs> what is the damn difference? You're not getting anything differently, you know? Maybe if maybe if there was like like they they sometimes have variants like um like uh, polybagged sex variants or whatever, or like something crazy, like you know what I mean? Something like, weird. Yeah. The other cover is a scratch off. You could win a million dollars. You know what I mean? Like that would be a cool sure. variant. Like, there you go. <laughs> uh, but other than that, it's 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 just. A oh waste. God! You might have given them an idea there. People are going to uh, buy like forty of those like, to scratch yeah. them off. I saw this thing. I saw this thing. Uh, I don't know whether it was YouTube or TV. These two guys walking to a Seven Eleven and they bought uh, fifteen hundred dollars worth of scratch offs. Mm. Okay, so they got a sheaf of them. You can just imagine. Just imagine. You know, they they just you know pulled them out of the thing. And they didn't even scratch them off. They just stood at the barcode reader and read every one. And in the end, won something like 600 bucks. But, uh, <laughs> so they, they, of course, they lost money. But I was just like, how is that, how is that fun? That's like, the, that's like less fun than slot machines. You know, yeah, just, right? they, just like, yeah, beep, let me give you 1500 bucks to stand zero. at a barcode reader for an hour. <laughs> Ridiculous, and, and uh, I I don't know about in your neck of the woods, but the uh, the variants are actually uh, they're kind of hurting retailers out here. Yeah, um, I we have one of the one of our larger retailers here stopped uh, t- stopped doing new books. Um, oh, I, I, think oh, I, I remember you that. I remember hearing about you talking about yeah. this. Yeah, he uh, he's one of the bigger <laughs> stores in town, and uh, found that, and it actually came around the time of Marvel Legacy. Right. And because uh, Marvel Legacy happened and then DC announced that, that everything was going up to $4 like, yes. within weeks. And that's when he decided to get out because uh, he was making pulls, more money. Right? The seller. He, he, 
No. Oh, no, he, he, he doesn't. transferred polls elsewhere? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he sent polls to uh, other local shops. Uh, all he does is uh, is older comics now because it, he says there's less money in the new because in order to play ball with Marvel, he had to up his orders on books nobody wanted to get variants that people weren't really knocking down the door for. Yeah. And uh, then DC raises their prices, so there's really no plan B. You know, it's like, well, you're paying, you know, four to five bucks here, or you're paying four to five bucks here. There's nowhere you can point. A, like maybe if a kid accidentally wanders into your store with a uh, three dollars instead of four, <laughs> you have nowhere to point them to anymore because yeah. there's just nothing, nothing for them. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know. There really is. There's almost nothing out there for them. And then the, the comics that are available that are cheaper. Are usually either not Our for children talks. or they're, you know, or they're very, very kitty. Very, very, uh, yeah, very silly still, uh, for two little kid comics. Uh, my comic shop, which is uh, JHU, is kind of on the small side. And now mm. that I think about it, he, he hasn't said anything, but he's definitely uh, pared down his new comics quite a bit. For one thing, he, he doesn't have a ton of space. Um, sure. So that, that, that's a consideration right there. But I think it's just, I think maybe he's feeling the same thing. Now, this is obviously a New York shop, so they can sell a, a hot, pretty good number of books. You know mm. what I mean? Like the, uh, you know, Fanagraphics or stuff like that. You know what I mean? Jordan Quarterly Books does pretty well. In More diverse uh, offerings. Yeah, yeah. I, I know else. I've been to other places in the country, around the country where they're not trying to put a Linda Barry book in their store, you know, they're, they're, they're doing no, it's Marvel DC or they're, nothing. Really. They're trying to move his uh, Spider-Man <laughs> still they're, They'll worry about that other stuff later on. Um, and I mean, I'm, and, and he also does have a, a good number of old comics out with not a lot of stores do Now Midtown comics obviously is the big daddy. The big, that, that's yeah. one of the biggest in the country. Uh, they do it all. I mean, their, their, their rack on new comic book day is every, Thing every variant. Yard stare, yeah. I, I bet I wasn't there when that Star Wars one came out, but I bet they folded out another, you know, <laughs> thing to display Magic. all of those. I bet they had. I'm sure we could probably find pictures of that online. I bet we that's, could, that's, yeah, yeah. They would have wow. had yeah. uh, nearly all, if not all of them, because the, the, they're sure. the ones like you know they're always they're the mecca, yeah, the straw that stirs the drink partly. And there are a couple others that do pretty well also, but uh, they also have an online component and stuff. So. Sure. Um, I mean, as long as guys like that exist, they're not going to stop the music, you know. <laughs> That's <laughs> no, sure. I I was actually digging in a in a bin uh, about a probably month and a half ago. It's an anecdote I tried to uh, commit to memory and then totally forgot about until we started talking about this. <laughs> but uh, there was a guy trying to talk down a uh, a variant on. A Venom book. It was like a Venom in space book or some some silly. A new book you know, or. Yeah, new book. New yeah, book. Yeah, hadn't even okay. come out. Hadn't even come out yet. And the guy said, "I'll give it to you for eighty dollars." And the dude kind of like lost his mind. He's like, "I'm not paying eighty dollars for that." And he's like, "Well, you have to pay eighty dollars for it." And and I, I was sitting there listening to this go back and forth. And I turned around. And I said, "I said, so how is that book?" <laughs> and they they both looked at me like I had three heads. Yeah. And it's... I'm like, I'm like, is it a good book? And they're like, I don't know. I'm like I, I said, are you gonna read it? It's, the, uh, it's I don't know. so sad. It used to be. Remember, like, you know, a a comic book was expensive because it was the debut of a new character mm-hmm. or a new storyline started. It was coming on. You know, yeah. number, and now it's just number one, number one, number one, number one. And how much can we squeeze out of number one issue? Number one F, number one G, that, you number know, one H. Yep. Uh, you know, yeah, D, DC came up with the, uh, the the two number one issues with Rebirth that they, they yep. were – Dead to Dio got a nice bonus that year, and didn't Marvel do the same thing in that or next year? I can't remember. 
Maybe they did something with that legacy. I think. Something like that. Maybe. I think they might have had like a legacy, and then there was some some crazy thing. But uh, yeah, they had like know. something that would team up the right, the like the real character and the legacy character, so that you'd have like you'd have like Iron Man and Iron Hot, and you'd have like oh. Peter Parker, and Miles Morales, and, then, and they well, team up, and then it would launch into the book. So I think they might have had two number so ones. So you have another number what? one, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. if they if they could do number one on every issue, they would, folks. That they would do that in a minute, and and that's how quickly they would burn out. The drive to get number ones, you know what I mean? Like these guys, yep. they, there's no sustaining. It's all about making money for next week. You know what I mean? Like they don't it's give true. a shit about about keeping a company. The long long-term. game doesn't matter. Yeah. Does not matter at all. It's all about spiking the thing. And 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 I'm not letting anyone off the hook, but I, you can bet a lot of this is uh, you know accounting derived. This is not just sure. the greediness of you know uh, the the uh, editor-in-chief or the co-publisher or whatever, any title, it's definitely... No, there are bean counters. The bean counters are insisting on a certain, you know, number every year. But uh, this is why I just don't... I just, You know, you see people... This is what I see in, in, my, in my comic shop, and I actually did talk to my guy this week. He's seeing a lot of people turning away from DC and Marvel. Unfortunately, it means a cut to a lot of his audience. Sure. But he says he is seeing... People turning to Image, Dark Horse, and, you know, whatever else, Oni, you know, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and for whatever it is, even though they don't have superheroes, there's just less of that crap. You know what I mean? Of that, like, yeah. tr- and, and, and they, they're guilty of it to some extent, too. Image is getting up there. But, you know, it's, it's, they're just offering a story. In a, you know what I mean? Like, exactly. buy a comic, read a story. That's all, that's the deal we have. That's all we're, that's all we're doing here. Uh, and you know, instead of like all this other, did you did you even see uh, DC did foil covers? Yeah, that, that surprised me. But uh, because no uh, they didn't money, yeah. they didn't charge anything more. Yeah, I was surprised when my when my DCBS box came because I'm like, I'm like, what is what is this? Yeah. <laughs> then I looked like frantically for the price. I'm like, oh god, did I pay five dollars yeah, each for get, the or, get a rip or yeah or whatever the DCBS approximation of five dollars is? Yeah. And uh, no, same price. So I was pleased to get a little bit extra. Some, uh, which looked all right too. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, I say I was into that too. I was kind of glad they gave a little value add, even though, you know, not important value add in a sense, but it's a little something. You know what I mean? It was it's, cool, yeah. colored yeah. foils and stuff, and uh, sure, that was good. But I, I've, I have a feeling that it is just a harbing, harbinger for uh, future crap. I'm sorry, maybe I'm just, maybe oh, yeah. I'm just, yeah. oh yeah, that's for very sure. cynical, but you know. Yeah, it's like it's like the pusher in the schoolyard. The first one's free, but uh, if you want the foil one next time, right? I feel like they dip, <laughs> they dipped their toe in and they were like, "Let's see how people react to this," and the reaction was good. So yep. now you can expect to see weird weird foil variants uh, in 2019. For eight, nine, ten, twelve, fifteen, thirty dollars uh, at, at the retail. Unfortunately, <laughs> yeah, it's it's very depressing sometimes. I you know, uh, I mean, my the guy I go to. And actually, there's another comic shop I know that, uh, you know, Jerry, uh, Professor Frenzy goes to. Mm-hmm. They're on the ropes, you know what I mean? I I don't know about the guys in Midtown. I assume they're fine. But my guy and uh, the other small one in Manhattan that I know of, and there are other shops I don't know about, obviously. But it's tough out there for a comic. Oh, the retail. margins like, are narrow. They yeah. are, the margins are tiny. It's like you're shedding customers all the time. And, uh, you know, everyone is worried about making the new good cover. They're not worried about making a good story. 
Yeah. You know, and it's too bad. And at the risk of going on a tangent, uh, which I, I guess we've never, never not done that before. Well, that's, but, that's uh, a risk we can take. That's fine. <laughs> it's uh, we talk about um, how much extra shelf space these variants take up. And uh, one of the things, because we've had two shops close down near me, and one, like I mentioned, who gave up right. doing new books. And uh, I talked to. One of the guys who was going out of business and uh, the guy who just dropped the new books, and they both pointed to uh, to the glut. You know, it is yeah. a glut on the shelves. And they, they talk about things like the variants, and they talk about things like books that nobody wants, but the companies kind of bully them into taking. Yep. Like those, like those horrendous DC Looney Tunes books yes. that nobody wants to buy, but for some reason the retailers have to take them. Uh, They actually pointed, one of the guys actually pointed to one of those, it was either a DC Hanna-Barbera or a DC Looney Tunes book, and said it's because of stuff like that. That is that uh, that they're that they're forcing us to take that nobody wants. Yeah, that's and, that's behind the scenes stuff that you know on the on the retailer yeah. end that a lot of people don't know about are like these crazy deals they come up with or like even, oh yeah even just like yeah I mean just persuasive tactics. It's not even a matter of like. You know, yeah, anything written we won't down. Go, yeah, we won't go too deep into it, but uh, there was a rumor that Marvel had a, quote, list. Yeah. If you decided not to take certain books because nobody wanted them, your store was added to the list. And, yeah. Uh, it's it's bullying. It's bullying tactics, and it's it's symptomatic of this, just, just the, the, the glut on the shelves, and uh, variants are, are a part of that, unfortunately. Also, of just how an incredibly closed system it is, because it's, it's not like you can go to the other Marvel in DC across. You can't, that. yeah. You know what I mean? It's, that's it. We really, it's, so the whole thing you're is crazy. Like borders, you know, yeah. uh, you totally. If if you're in the comic books retailing, um, and then you know this guy choice, yeah. near you that stopped doing new comics, I would have to assume he's going to have to diversify somewhat into. Uh, pop culture antiques, other things, you know what I mean? Like uh, maybe, he's maybe have not. To broaden, yeah, he's gonna have to broaden the horizon. He's but, he's got tens of thousands of books in the store. It's a it's it's a great shop for what I'm looking for. But yeah. uh, but you know, it's also you know, there's you know, dozens of tables set up for gaming. So I mean, there's that. There's, I'm sure he's got you know, he's got you know, the soda machines that that take credit cards. So I right. mean, the kids who are playing the games, or the, or not just the kids, the folks who are playing the games, you know, they're they're constantly you know, popping Monster Energies out of these. Out of sure. These yeah, yeah. I, that, that's so, yeah, exactly where you got to go with it. Diversification. Um, sure. And I'm sure he's doing a little a little eBay churn. I know a lot of the, all these oh, totally. retailers yeah, are doing that too. So big, it's yeah. that's all that's all what goes behind the scene to make this crazy. Weird business keep afloat. <laughs> the wheel keeps spinning. Yeah, and, and by business I mean the retailers too. Because as I we've said before, at least to each other, uh, there's not there's no incentive for the for the comics publishers to stop doing this until no, the no, last no. comic store closes. Then goes out uh, of business. Yeah. That's it. You know, until then they'll just keep printing as many or few damn comics as you order, they'll up the <laughs> prices as needed. You know, whatever you know, whatever they got to do to make it work, they yep. can they can do it uh, until the last retail place. Shuts down. So, um, my advice, folks, if you too sprung on variants, just stop. I don't know. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and the, the these these variants that we're getting, they're they're only valuable the week they come out. Yeah, I know. I mean, that's that that, that they. It's like buying a new car. As soon as you pull it off the lot, the price goes down. The value goes down. When you buy the variant, if you don't turn it that week, it's yesterday's news. It really because is crazy. Go look at those yeah. Star Wars variants now. They're, they're, oh, God, I mean, they're, you find them anywhere, yeah. They're still, you know, they're, what's funny is online they're still up-priced, but 
like 10 bucks, five bucks. You know what I mean? It's, so, yeah, it's not the, not life changing money. Not like, thousands uh, like I think of dollars. We, we presented, yeah. So it's, uh, it, this is, this is where it is, you know, it's, it's a bad situation, mm-hmm. but, uh, I don't see it changing anytime soon, Chris. So nope. Definitely not, <laughs> not for anything that we're saying here to our lovely Certainly patrons. Not. I would definitely like to know what you guys think about it. You can, yes. you can comment right in the post that this, uh, this uh, podcast will be on and uh, let us know what you think about us talking off the cuff if that works for you. This actually was Chris very much like a conversation that we would have had right before recording. Absolutely. Just just a lot less F words. We did I did try to pull back on the on I don't know if I let any slip. I'm sorry if I did. I don't know if I did either. Uh, on the patron feed we can, you know, let it get a little a loose, little but I, we yeah. still try to keep it a little clean over here. Um <laughs> but for sure, yeah, this this is what we talk about and if you guys want to hear us talk about anything else or want to join in the yeah. conversation we are open. This is a, a work in progress as far as I'm concerned. But uh, we would like to do another one this month, I think, right, Chris? So we can try sure, to get one sure. out. We got Thanksgiving coming, so there's always that can throw a, a wrench in the works. But I'd like to uh, try to do another one over there. So, of course, guys, you know, you can write to us over at weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. And uh, thanks again to all of our patrons. Big, big thanks. Bless, to all the bless all of you and keep you. Uh, there, do we have any other biz we want to talk about here, Chris? I'm, let me try to think about it. We, we want to do another Weird Comics History this month. Uh, yes, that'll uh, be on the regular feed. The, um, the, of uh, course, the treadmill is going to be every week. Treadmill, we do have a special uh, November treadmill episodes. going up. Um, yes, we got our, our, our personal ones, and we'll do one. <laughs> Looks like we're going to do Omaha the Cat Dancer, I guess, for our After yeah, Dark. for After Dark. So... Look That'll forward be towards to that. the end of the month, or yeah, probably towards the end of the month. I bet I bet that comes out right after Thanksgiving, knowing how, how things are looking for us. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll get to work on that. So, thanks again, guys. Uh, any feedback is very, very much appreciated. You let us Absolutely. know uh, what else you might want to hear. Might want to hear us talk about, hear us do. We are certainly open to it, but uh, we're open for business. Yeah, that's right. If you if you want to hear us talk about Saved by the Bell for a long time, that's oh, something we've wanted we to can do. That. Let us know. <laughs> we, we definitely could do that. We and we have done that. Believe it or <laughs> we not. Have done that. Uh, yeah, uh, actually, we we want to do that comic. So that'll be a chance mm-hmm. for us. Although I'll be honest, I don't think our an episode can contain everything we have to say about Saved by the Bell. <laughs> oh, that might be a series. Yeah, <laughs> might might have to do all. Didn't they do a? Uh, there were a few Saved by the Bell comics, so they did a few of them. Even recently. Really? Wow. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what, a, what, a, what, a, what a thing. I don't even know what to say about that. What a wild. <clears throat> what a wild, folks. Uh, all right, so we will uh, turn off the droning now, and uh, <laughs> thank you very much, everybody, and until uh, next time, we'll keep it comics talky. Everybody's got
everybody. Welcome to Comics Talk, episode number two, with uh, hey. Reggie and Chris. This is a Patreon-only show. Uh, just still working out the kinks, figuring out how yes. we want this to go. But uh, we, you know, we want a, a subject this time. We want to talk about the dreaded deadline doom of comics publishing. But first, we do want to mention that uh, just this week on Tuesday, right? It was Stanley passed away. Yes, and uh, you know everyone has done their uh, due diligence, done their obituaries and their specials, and um, we're not going to do that right now because no. we, we've always had in mind to do a Stanley bio on Weird Comics history, and uh, in fact, now is the best time since now we will have a uh, a conclusion to it. Um, For sure. And you know th- what we're talking about here in this in this topic today, it is uh, relevant to Stanley also, but just. Just know that we're all very sorry to see him go. Very hugely important fulcrum to the comics history, and we don't deny it. But we're going to forge ahead with our existing plan. So uh, you started off here, Chris. Okay, like you said, dreaded deadline doom. So uh, that's keeping books on schedule. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, back in the golden and silver ages of comics, deadlines were handled with inventory stories. Now, inventory stories are you sometimes hear them say like, "Oh, we pulled this out of a drawer," you right. know, because because uh, editors would like bank a bunch of completed stories just to to slot in as needed. If someone's running behind, it's like, "Okay, well, we got you know you're you're running low behind on Superman. We got five of them in the drawer, so right. start getting them out." Um, now, since most comics were one-offs with no real continuity between them, this was pretty easy to do. It would be a lot harder to do it nowadays, Yeah, um, which is something we will get they, to towards the end. They still do it, but it's, <laughs> it's harder to do, yeah. Now, to be sure, most comic chapters were one-offs, so not just the issues themselves, but right. all the chapters within. And some of those might actually contradict the next chapter in the very same issue, so... Not a whole lot of continuity. No. Uh, and indeed, these chapters would even feature other characters entirely. You know, we, we if you're listening to uh, the Cosmic Treadmill right now, we're talking about uh, Action Comics Weekly, where we did do a little bit of a history on Action Comics, where there were backups that didn't feature Superman. Right. You'd have you'd have the Aquaman backup. You'd have a Green Arrow and Black Canary backup. Uh, Martian Manhunter got his first appearance in Detective Comics in a backup. Yeah, so. I think Green Arrow was also in. Well, maybe that well, that was Action, right? Uh, it was he might have done Detective Two though. That was you know that that was a Mort Weisinger that was his, comics, yeah. his creation. So maybe wherever he could stick Green Arrow, he had a good time with it. But it shows that like comics back in the day were more like putting together a puzzle piece. It, For sure. it wasn't like you know let's let's think of a of a long form story and hammer it out. It was more like ah what do we got laying around? We, <laughs> we go. need twenty pieces. Exactly. <laughs> we need twenty pages to fill. Give me art. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Uh, now it was only when comics were told like in a linear narrative with continuity between issues that making the deadline became. Vital, really. Um, and this would begin, we mentioned Stan earlier, this would begin officially with the release of Stan and Jack's Fantastic Four number one. That was a November 1961 cover date. Yeah, that would uh, be the beginning of it. You know, I, and absolutely. Going through Silver Age stuff, I've been doing those Lois Lane things for sure. weird science. And, um, there there was continuity in DC Comics, and I guess even in, like, uh, you know, the Walt Disney Comics, in the sense that they might refer to something that happened in an earlier issue. But it wasn't a narrative, you know what I mean? It was, you know, it was like, why don't you use use the same shtick you did in that other issue, Superman? Yeah. You know what I mean? It, it wasn't like 
they were building on something. It was just sort of like recalling uh, earlier incidents and referring to them. That's not really. You got to figure a lot of that was by accident, too. Probably, you know what I mean? (laughs) Maybe E. Nelson Bridwell got in the mix and decided to uh, flex his uh, memory or something right there. Continuity cop muscles, yes. But 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 it wasn't continuity in in a narrative sense. It was more just sort of pretending like things had relevance uh, years later. Certainly. Now, uh, a modern penciler is expected to produce roughly one page of comics art per day. Uh, you got 20 pages per issue divided by four weeks, uh, five pages a week, you know, given a five-day work week. Right. Now, of course, this doesn't factor in any planning or plotting or, after the work's done, reworking the pages and, and other such calamities. Lost art, uh, an inking mishap, oh, yeah. all sorts of stuff could happen, which could uh, make dreaded uh, dreaded deadline doom uh, just something that's unavoidable. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and it's also important to say that a lot of times I've heard uh, pencilers say they don't get paid for those uh, corrections either, even if they have I to redo it. like an entire two or three panels. 90%, yeah. That's, that's all part of the thing. Uh, an inker today is expected to complete one page a day. Uh, also, modern colorists are expected to do an issue in about two weeks. Uh, this actually is longer than it used to take to color comics, but they use yeah. a lot more colors and gradations than ever. It's it's more of a painting than it ever sure. used to be. It used to just be something specified on the art, and the printer uh, oh, yeah. like, dropped the color look... in. Yeah, if you look at like like any um, a full month of Bronze Age DC, it's like a or pre Crisis DC, it's like Gene D'Angelo did the coloring in in every single one, you know, right, right, or right. or the lion's share of them. Yeah, it was it was something you could do in a you know bang it out in a couple of days, and it, sure, you didn't have to actually apply color; you were just like writing uh, instructions for for the printer yeah. to do it, and that's also why X's with the blacks. Yeah. I, I remember when I was a kid, I was always wondering like, why are all of these you know, you could you could see all this original art from whoever, you know, Kirby or whatever, and it's all black and white. Mm-hmm. I was always like, "Where's the colored version?" It doesn't it didn't really work that way. I didn't realize that it was like a something that happened mechanically yeah. more. Uh, letterers also uh, they're expected to letter a comic in about two weeks these days, roughly half the time that it used to take. Uh, although they used to do it right on the board, and that used to be the first thing you inked was the letters. That it, yeah, that's something people uh, don't really know now. That's that's why now letterers are named. Last, where they used to be, they used to come above colors. They used to come above colorists. They used to be yeah. in the order they went in. Uh, that's just a rough guide, though. By the way, based on some common creator claims that we looked looked around and uh, little things that we know. Of course, the time for an individual creator can be longer or shorter, depending on every factor. Absolutely. Everything from the complexity of the art to the amount of the copy that's there. So, you know, a letterer sometimes, some of these if, books. If Chris Claremont wrote the issue. That's what I'm saying, yeah. <laughs> sometimes I think these letterers should probably get extra extra pay, combat pay before, for writing some of these guys' stuff. Uh, the innate speed of the pencil. There's a million reasons why somebody might get more money or a different amount of time. But that, that's roughly about right. So uh, once Jack Kirby left Marvel Comics, uh, Stan Lee stepped down as editor-in-chief in Marvel in 1972, almost a year later or two years later. Uh, and really after Roy Thomas vacated the position around 1974, Marvel Comics began to seriously miss their deadlines. Uh, not the least of which, though, is they had lost a guy that could do four comics a month. You know, that, that was a huge problem. I with with, uh, with three fingers tied behind. I mean, wrist. really, I, you yeah. know what I mean? It's like it's like you just basically lost one guy that does the work of four. That's gonna put a kink in your uh, in your what you're doing. For so sure. uh, that's this is a, so the typical thing back then, and this was true of DC also, was to run reprints in the place of a new comic, which uh, 
even when you go back to the very beginning of comics, they were reprints, you know? Sure. Uh, people, they go nuts about this, but I remember many times the first time I read certain comics were because of reprints, you know? Like some of the classic Fantastic Four, I oh, read Marvel as... Marvel Tales or... All, yeah, yeah, exactly, sure. those those 70s reprints. That's some vital stuff. Uh, and I guess we sort of keep that up today with digital. Sort, mm-hmm. of, sort of fills that need if you want, if you're dying to read the stories, but... Uh, you know, I'm not. I'm not against it. I'm just what I'm saying. But sure. uh, sometimes deadlines were missed so severely, however, that the interior of a comic would be a reprint, <laughs> the cover advertised a new story, and boy, that would annoy the hell out of me. Well, yeah. one one time that I, I plucked out was Ghost Rider Volume Two, Number Ten, February 1975, Cover Eight advertises a meeting of Ghost Rider and the Hulk, <laughs> which should be huge. But the inside is a reprint of Marvel Spotlight 5, uh, August 72 cover date, which is Johnny Blaze's first appearance. So some <laughs> some Hulk fans were not thrilled with that one, I have a feeling. No, I would imagine not. Now, it would seem like this was due to a lack of editorial guidance, editorial control, rather than a creator a creative problem. Um, though it's hardly a mystery, they went through, this is Marvel, of course, went through four editors-in-chief within four years. Yeah. Uh, we had Len Wein, his buddy Marv Wolfman, Jerry Conway, and Archie Goodwin all sitting in that seat. Yep, <laughs> during the rotating in and out, boy. They were just like. <laughs> oh. Now, uh, one, uh, <laughs> I think the one that might give <coughs> the, the the word or the phrase "dreaded deadline doom." Yes, this is where it comes it's from. yeah, it's meaning and it's oomph here. This is an issue of Howard the Duck, uh, issue number sixteen, September nineteen seventy-seven, cover date. This is by Steve Gerber and uh, many. Pencilers and anchors. There should be a red flag right there. Really? Story is called Zen and the Art of Comic Book Writing, and it's more commonly known by the title that is on the cover, Deadline Doom. This issue consists of an essay by Steve Gerber explaining why he was late with some not so great artwork around the right. edges. No. This is like a pro, like a what, some what decent stuff, some not, you know, but none of it all looks like it was. Dashed off pretty rapidly. Last minute, you know? yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, it, what did we call? Uh, it rhymes with lust. Not, not, not like a. It isn't sequential art. It's more like a picture. A book, picture I guess. book or something like this. Yeah. yeah. It basically, yeah, exactly. Like it's, it's images, still images, and then like a whole bunch of story next to it. You know? A whole bunch of words. Yeah. yeah. And uh, excuse, excuses for this include scripting issue fifteen, also the annual. Spending several weeks writing the Howard the Duck comic strip, the syndicated one. Also writing and editing the 64-page Kiss mag that Marvel put out. That's the band. And uh, simultaneously moving from Hell's Kitchen to Las Vegas. Yes. I I just want to say, too, though, when he did this, though, this is issue 16. So to some extent he had earned... The right. It is. It's a rip. It's ridiculous. And, and uh, have you and, read it lately? No, I haven't. It's, it's been. It's, it's. 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 I do remember it not being very pleasant. You know. But it's. It's. The, it's a book you can do that in. It's Howard the Duck. And well, you I'm, can get I, away with Howard. Yeah. I'm just thinking about other other creators, not just in comics, but in the world, who they want to do something like this on the second issue. Right? It's like you haven't you haven't earned you got to you got to log in a few issues before you uh, have fun with the format and For get sure. loose with it. But anyway, go back uh, to the it's, game. It's an important issue, and I and I love getting to it when I when I reread like the essential Howard the Duck yeah. uh, collection because it is just so weird and it is so noteworthy. But when you get like three pages into it, it's like okay, done, done, can't do it. I tell it's you, if, just if I'd been buying it at the time, I definitely would have been in a rage to buy that oh, one off yeah. the rack. Like, what the hell is this crap? 
I, I tell you what, the uh, the letters page for issue 18 or 19 oh, must have been very up. interesting. They let <laughs> them know for sure. <laughs> now, uh, then we have the hero to our story, Jim Shooter. He comes on board as EIC in 1978, and his first order of business was to bring these comics on schedule. Mm. Now, he claims for the first 10 months in the gig, he did not even look at the interiors of the issues because he was afraid that he would be tempted to change something, which would hold it back and perhaps put it off schedule. Uh, and he also did something that no one else had attempted previously. He hired more editors. Whoa. Yes, because uh, if you look at a lot of the, the credits for books of that era, a lot of the writers are credited as writer-editor. Right. So you have uh, Steve Gerber or Marv Wolfman writing it and then editing it themselves. <laughs> Which, I mean, it's a great gig if you can get it, right? (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, he he made it so uh, you had to pick a lane. You had to pick, you're going to be a writer, you're going to be an editor. And it looks like most of them decided to keep the writery portion of their uh, profession. Or they went to D.C. That was the other. Or thing. they went to D.C. <laughs> so they could do they could keep their their dual titles. Exactly. Like uh, Mr. Uh, Wolfman. Yes. Mr. Wolfman did that for sure. Uh, but ten months later, all the dates were being met. So Jim uh, Jim Shooter did it. And now the, this is a time also. This is newsstand days. Direct market was still building up and it existed, but the bulk and by that I wasn't mean, what it. Yeah. The vast majority was newsstand. So when you miss a date, you paid a penalty, or there was a penalty to it. Maybe not, you know, sometimes there was a dollar penalty, depending on on the comic or depending on the arrangement, but there could also be a penalty in that, you know, if if you don't get Howard the Duck to the stand, well, maybe the guy doesn't care if he sees Howard the Duck next month. You know what I mean? Sure. Like he's the he, kids. Yeah, the kid spends his twenty cents on on Green Lantern this he, month. He's he's worried about the comics done. he yeah. can get, not the comics he's not getting. You know, so exactly. uh, so it, it's the kind of thing. It, it was a really big deal, as we you know we'll talk about it. Why it's not such a big deal these days, and it's, <laughs> it's unfortunate. But uh, yeah, that that was to be honest. Of all the things Jim Shooter did for Marvel and in comics, and uh, we've we've talked uh, highly of him many times. For fact, sure. If you want to go back and hear his bio, that's the that Star the Brand s- episode. That was Cosmic Treadmill seventy one. Seventy one. Yeah. All right. So if you want to, that that was. Uh, I think that this was the biggest thing. Was I think so? Getting the books to be on schedule. If they're not coming out monthly, what is the freaking point? You're not giving. You're not supplying the drug. You know. Yeah. Like heroin producers don't take three months off. <laughs> you know, they don't they don't say they don't say we'll be back next summer. <laughs> Excuse me, I'm sorry. Uh anyway, we'll 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 talk about that more as we go. So For sure. uh by that mid nineteen eighties, DC also stopped putting out reprints in place of delayed books. And now with the rise of the superstar artist in the eighties, delays started creeping back into comic books in a big way. Uh this is really a matter of opinion. I don't know if you definitely share this, Chris, mm-hmm. but uh, I think it was John Byrne more than anyone that gave credence to the writer, the superstar writer, artist, right? To, oh, yeah. Uh, oh, the, 100%. The, the artist 100%. over the writer. I mean, he was just so big in the 80s, and they started giving him more of his own books totally to write and draw. But a guy who, for all his faults, was not known to miss deadlines. So, for sure. Uh, you know for what I mean? Sure. It's, it's like you, you've got the uh, the cachet part, but you didn't take the seriousness of your job 
No, it was uh, still a it was still a professional endeavor to him. Yeah, he was absolutely. He was always he was always on time, and uh, I, I I'm even thinking like into the '90s when he was when he was scripting for some uh, rose growers who we'll get to in a little bit. I yeah. don't think any of that was off schedule either. I think he professional to a fault. I think. Yeah, uh, definitely. I, 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 to a fault with that's its its own discussion maybe you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, yeah I'm, I'm really trying to think about the the tough I'm nut the chip on his shoulder <laughs> the tough nut to crack that is John Byrne it's he's such an interesting character because also we've talked about him a lot and there's so much he yeah. says that that we agree with but the way that he says things he is not it. the best and uh, sometimes it's it's like John you're uh, you're off base here. But anyway, <laughs> not known to miss his deadlines. That's that's the main thing. So when we talk about these the rise of these new superstar artists, we're primarily pretty much talking about Jim Lee, Todd McFarlane, Rob Liefeld. There were others. Eric Larson would be in there. Sure. Um, there were a handful of guys. Will Sylvester, Mark Silvestri. Yeah. All the guys started Image essentially. But there were even other names floating around in the wind at the time that were kind of on sure. the same bent. Uh, Todd McFarlane used to have a saying that we'll paraphrase because we're sure he never said it the same way twice. Uh, he said, uh, image books were late because they're growing roses. Sorry, I tried to do a Todd McFarlane voice. <laughs> he said, uh, image books were late because gro- they were growing roses, and he'd refer to books from the big two that were able to maintain a schedule as being shit out on a monthly basis, you see. Yeah. So, <clears throat> which, when you're on top of the comics world, as he was when he said that, you can say that kind of thing, but nowadays he prides himself on being able to put out a product every month, even shipping 15 issues in 2011. Mm-hmm. That's pretty impressive, not on a Spider-Man sure. level. Uh, this Growing Roses line has become something of a meme at John Burns' forum to refer to the practices of decadent superstar artist writers. Yes, uh, to the point where it's just like most memes, it's overused there. Uh, it, you could go to his site and search for growing roses, and oh, yeah. it might shut you. It might shut your computer down. I think it, I've it seen might. I've seen Burn mentioned a million million times. But oh yes, you know they're not wrong. That is such a no. There's a, a credence, yeah, such for a sure. crappy thing to say. Where it's just like it's like don't you know your roses they the when they come out months late they stink. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and they're only hanging on to life by a by a wing and a prayer. Oh, really? Um, we jumped from the 90s into the 2000s <laughs> here where the superstar was less the artist and uh, things became more about the writer. And uh, especially when writers would slum it in comics. Uh, which I, who which you I, know from... I actually think just to cut it, I think that had to do with a, like a kind of a backlash against image. Oh, for sure. You know what I mean? Oh, like, for sure. like, but they they had worn out their welcome essentially by delaying all their by missing all their deadlines was they had burnt all their bridges. Turned out the comics mm-hmm. weren't as great as people wanted them to be, and uh, oh. yeah, we're seeing the re- the reaction to that is we're still living in that era kind of now. It's funny if you look at some of the old image books. Uh, one of the it, it, and, and talk about not being able to take the temperature of a statement. Uh, they one of the sayings was "image over substance." <laughs> you know, and they would use it proudly. Yeah. And I remember when uh, Liefeld and Lee came in for the Heroes Reborn thing in uh, the late 90s. Uh, one of the first things that was in there was substance over image. One of the characters said that, mm. and it kind of marked in my head. 
that, okay, I guess we're seeing that this is changing. And it was one of the image guys who wrote it. So it was yeah, kind of interesting. I think they, they maybe they grew up a little bit and they realized maybe, yeah, the frat, other the frat things house were let important. Them out. Right, exactly. <laughs> but uh, going on to the, to the superstars who slummed it in comics, uh, I think that starts with Kevin Smith. Right. Uh, he, uh, he did Marvel Knight's Daredevil, the, uh, the new uh, volume two, I guess it would be, in 1998, which ran very... Very, very late. <laughs> very late. Uh, <laughs> he also did some uh, pretty awful Batman projects. Yeah. Uh, that also ran very, very, very late. One of them is even finished. The uh, I can't remember which one it is. It's either Cacophony or Widening Geyer. It, it's still undone. It, it, it ended with a big cliffhanger. Oh. We don't know what and, happened. Because the Daredevil one was – the Daredevil uh, – and it's weird to say it now because uh, we are so far removed from it. Uh, Im- uh, not image. A uh, Wizard magazine had it in their head that Daredevil should replace Spider-Man as Marvel's uh, mascot. Guy, yeah, basically. Right. Yeah. yeah. Where like every month they were running stories like, is it time to replace Spider-Man as Marvel's mascot? And they would use Daredevil because they were pals with Kevin Smith. Sure, exactly. You know, that's the big one. Sure, and it's like, and if you're gonna do that, okay, at least get the book out every month. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Don't but, worry about me. Don't worry about who's replacing who. Just right? get, I mean, get the book out, everyone. <laughs> Spider-Man was in the midst of a real garbage reboot by Byrne and Mackey, but it came out every. It came out twice a month. So I mean, it, it, he's still he's still producing work. Uh, you know, but, I, I want to talk about that more in the wrap up, but that hmm. is an aspect of whether you know you like a book or not. Also, but. Let's uh, we'll, we'll deal with that we'll get in there. the final we'll analysis. Get there. <laughs> but uh, this Daredevil was a, I think it was a twelve issue story arc, and between like issues four and five, it was months of delay, wow. and uh, you just can't do that if you're if you're putting something as the standard bearer for your company. Yeah, you can't do that, uh, and we will talk more about that later. <laughs> um, Kevin Smith also has Daredevil slash Bullseye colon the target. This was a 2002 miniseries that only released one issue. And if you look around online, it's still listed as pending. Yeah, well, hey. I, I'm, I know I'm still holding my breath. As long as Kevin Smith draws breath, which may, it's not, be, still may not be forever, <laughs> still a possibility, though. You know, it's true. Know. <laughs> there was also another miniseries, Spider-Man Black Cat, The Evil Men Do. That was a six-issue miniseries that started in 2002. August of 2002 was the first cover date. And these six issues took until March 2006. Wow. Almost an issue a year. Right? You know what I mean? Yeah. That's ridiculous. It's like, come on, dude. You know what I mean? Like, I know it's a laborious process, but we can do better than that. It's not that not that hard. It's crazy. And like you mentioned earlier, Cacophony and the Widening Gear, or Gaia, or however they say that. Yeah, uh, one of them ain't even finished yet. Although, and that was in their defense, was like, they're both terrible. So they're they're garbage. Yeah, if you <laughs> if the if the bat penis wasn't enough for you, you can have Batman wetting his pants. Oh, that's true. That's in this right. One. So uh, if you're really into uh, into Batman's lower half, it was a bladder spasm, for... Chris. Come on. <laughs> but th- these were, I mean, we're going back to uh, pre New Fifty Two, so this is almost a decade ago, and they're still not done. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, back over to Marvel here, uh, we have uh, the Gemis Casada era, which was kind of the you know the era of the olive branch. They were trying to bring in lapsed Marvel pros, right. uh, people who got angry at the old Harris regime, regime, and they did a pretty good job of it. But one of the things they did that readers and uh, uh, obsessive compulsive types like myself noticed 
was they removed the cover dates from the covers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they did keep it in the Indicia, just like DC. Uh, but uh, and a lot of people have theorized that this was a way for them to hide delays. So if you saw that Daredevil number five came out with a February on it, and then Daredevil number six came out with a November on it, it's easier to tell how far apart these were because this is before everything got a trade. Everything now gets a trade. So if if you want to read, you know, Guardian Devil, you're gonna read the trade. You could, but, yeah. But, but, but back, back then, then you would have had to go get at your finding the issues. You're looking and... at the singles, and you're looking at it where it's gonna be, you know, you're if you're flipping through them and you see how far apart these things are, it becomes obvious that they, that they, you know. Well, you know, I I think I think what you're talking about is definitely a I, it's definitely a true thing, you know, that that they're able to hide their delays through by not having uh, cover dates on the on the thing. I mean, if you go into a store. And you're just buying the most recent three issues of a book. You don't know what those they were delayed. You're just sure. buy them off the shelf. But I wonder if it's a symptom of or a cause due to the direct market. Because that's definitely what it is. I mean, the 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 cover mm. the cover dates were there because in the long ago, the olden days, the magazine distributor would come and he would look at all the and magazines the that, co- yeah. that were old and pull them out and re- replace them with new stock or whatever. That when things Because that was like on. the expiration date exactly. on the newsstand. When it hit the month that's on there, because the, everything's dated a couple months ahead, so if exactly. the, the month matches the date, it gets yanked. Yeah, you, had, it, you had three months to sell a comic back in the day. Basically, yeah, and then uh, it changed to two. And, yeah. and, as, and as I recall, too, to be honest, some distributors weren't so on the ball. You might get older comics in your in your... Places, but you know, I mean, it was it wasn't a perfect system, but that was the idea. Not hard that, yes. That's that's why that no one is doing that. Obviously, for the uh, LCS, okay. they're expected to hang on to those comics indefinitely until they can sell them. So it becomes a non-issue, but it also hides any delays. You know, uh, so I think it's it becomes. I, I'm not sure. Which why it was done which way, but it, the result is the same. Is what I'm telling yeah, you. You know what I mean. The, the timing was uh, was kind of the most suspicious because that's when everything started to fall behind. Yeah, because uh, it, it, I think you know when when you really want Daredevil because Kevin Smith for all of his faults he's not a half bad writer with Daredevil. Yeah, <laughs> his Daredevil was pretty good. Um, and when you want that next issue and it ain't coming out. I think uh, I think fans look for whatever reason they can to be angry, and uh, Marvel did their damn just because he, you know, this guy was a fella slumming it in comics. They didn't want to make him angry, right? So they were circling every wagon they could, and then all of a sudden, dates are coming off the comics, you know. So I think I, I think it was just a perfect storm. It might not had anything to do with it, I, but uh, I have a feeling it was all it was all in the positives column, you know, when they looked at, when they looked at doing it, they were like, this all works for us. Every aspect of it will help us, you know? Uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah, that, that's really, that's really all there is to say about it. That it definitely, I think, I think whether they did it because it was irrelevant and it was going to help them or the other way around, it's yeah, works both ways. Yeah. Um, and DC followed suit just a year ago right. when they changed their, their trade dress uh, to remove the rebirth banner. Uh, they took cover dates off, which, and, is, which uh, they did hang in with with newsstand sales longer. But I'm almost yeah. positive 2012 or 2013 was the last one. I, I bet you're right. It's yeah. been years, so I mean, why they hung in this long, I have no idea. I thought they were just doing it to placate folks like me who uh, <laughs> who who like who do my research. I do my research from physical matter. Come and, on, uh, Chris, don't way, you know I by think... now that I could give a crap about placating you? <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. But uh, it's funny that they they pull off the they pull off the cover dates last year, 
just around the time where DC Comics start running painfully late. Very late, yeah. Uh, I just, a uh, lot of things are running late. It's true, and we could talk about one uh, in particular that we are very, very close to, and that's uh, our friend Gerard Way and the Young Animal line of comics. Uh, and we're talking, of course, about Doom Patrol, Volume yeah. 6. That was very depressing stuff, because the Doom Patrol is a group, uh, you know, a team that we like a lot. Yes. And it started very promisingly, but that that's a book that died because of delays. The story changed over time because they had meant it to tie in with you. it. It had to change, and, and they ended up dropping uh, threads, uh, storylines, because they had to, you know, and this is this is the problem. See, here's, here's the thing. Um... And really, really, we should get into this thing about. We'll, we'll talk about the nowadays. The uh, every comic is made into a trade. Yeah. And I can't remember Chris if it was Brian Michael Bendis or Mark Wade. I think who it was said, Wade. But they both agree with the idea. Oh, of course they do. That <laughs> that uh, and this isn't verbatim, but don't worry about you know getting the single issue comic on time. The only thing that's going to matter is the trade in the long run. And what what really pisses me off is they're one hundred percent right. Of uh, that's all there is, you know what I mean? That that's no one, you know. Watchmen yeah, yeah. is one famously had wrong headed, but mass, it's not wrong. It's very wrong headed. Watchmen is a book that had massive delays when it came out, uh, especially sure. on the back half. No one really worries about that. It's been selling in. You'd never hear it. Yeah, it's you know it's been selling in bookstores now for decades and robustly. So that's pretty much the official version uh, for most people would be the trade paperback. Uh, yeah. DKR too, I think had delays. Now that I think about it, maybe it didn't. And Camelot too, and Camelot. <laughs> Camelot, uh, holy cow, that and, had huge uh, delays. Ronin, uh, the other Miller thing, they they all had delays. But you know, uh, now, but, uh, but Camelot and Watchmen and all those those are separate stories. You know what I mean? Uh, for sure, yeah, those, they're they're cut off. Those from, were uh, tied and Camelot. Of all those, I'm thinking in my mind, that one had to be done by Gibbons and uh, who the hell wrote that? That was uh that was Brian Boland who drew it. Oh, Brian Boland uh, and uh and I I can't for the life of me remember who wrote it. Was it uh Grell? No. No, no, no. Can't remember. Um it's 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 great. And that one really had to be done by them and it's off in its own. It was Mike W. Baugh. Oh, there you go. The all the yeah. Batman of the Outsiders buddy, but uh yeah. Yeah, it's it's a great series. That one had to be done. And that one almost could have been done just as a prestige. That could have been an epic for sure. uh, imprint story or any of those independent things. So, uh, and like for example, you we have here the Doomsday Clock story. Yes, is now massively delayed. Um, now, on one hand, it doesn't really matter to me because you know you you, you wouldn't want Phil an artist on this anyway. No, uh, and he is trying to create a a unified work. But on the mm-hmm. other hand, uh, it's also supposed to affect the DC universe going forward. Yeah, we're treading water. We've and been treading water for a year now. It's really messed up their plans. It's it's accelerated certain events they want they they didn't want to do yet, and then they ended up doing them, and it's delayed other things. And I mean, I think I think also personally, Dan DiDio plays too much of the you know waiting for the perfect time. Like he thinks a, a portal is going to open up when it's, <laughs> it's time to publish Legion of Superheroes comics. Like the time is now. No one else yeah. is going to do it. Yeah, you Marvel know? ain't going to publish Allegiant. <laughs> exactly. so just do it's, it. Only yeah. one company can do it. You. So it's, that's 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 the time. But anyway, but uh, you know, so on one hand, I I do get it, but you know, from from a from a standpoint of people that buy comics, uh, I'm I'm someone that I'm at the comic store. You know, you're you're actually out there in the bins more regularly than me. 
I'm at this comic store, you know, on a weekly or bi-weekly basis, that when these these books get delayed, the interest vanishes, you know what I mean? I just don't give a mm-hmm. crap anymore, you know what I mean? My enthusiasm drains completely away. That happened with Doom Patrol in a huge way. Oh, for uh, sure. By the end of it, we were just down and out angry. We were, we were so mad at that book, um, and it's, uh, it's, it's not often that I'm embarrassed by what we do. Yeah, <laughs> as in never. I'm never embarrassed by what we do. But listening back to that one, I was like, "Wow, we were angry." Yeah, we we were we were pissed, and and we had you know followed not just Doom Patrol, but every book in Young Animal. Yeah, uh, you know, doggedly for that segment. Um, for I think at that point, a year, over a year, right? That's two, how long almost two years, almost. Two and years. Uh, you know, we even read that bug thing. There's so much, you know what I mean? Oh. And, and in the end, you really get the feeling like. They just don't give a crap, you know what I mean? That you're, you're buying the single issues or you're reading the single issues is meaningless to them. They, and, yeah, they don't give it a second thought. And, and I mean, that really is the final thing to say, and I think that people should remember when they feel put out by single issues or by the practices of publishers is there is no incentive for the publishers to stop producing single issues until the last comic shop closes. True. <laughs> they have no. They have no incentive to not do it. They have no real incentive to stay on time. They have no real incentive to even make good comics. Just put out something with a saddle staple. Mm-hmm. As long as the place is gonna gonna not even sell it, they don't care if they sell it. They, they just want to ship it. Yeah, they don't it. care if it's. They don't care if it matters. leaves the shelves. That's how crazy the system is. I mean, try to imagine any other business like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just try to imagine a like even like a, a weapon, like a a gun manufacturer that. Didn't didn't give a crap about um, the, end the end user. users, the end buyer. You know what I mean? They just had to get a freight load of of uh, guns to a they just need it moved undisclosed <laughs> location, and that was all. You know what I mean? Like it's essentially what's happening with comics. You know what I mean? It's like backdoor. Yeah. You know, it's like a backdoor system. Um, I'm sorry, and, I'm not going off here. No, no, and you're right on because it, you hear us talking now, but you're not going to hear people like us talking. On on social media, no, because the people who dare question this get shouted down. Yeah, it's. I mean, I'm. You know, you can might as well send uh, Gerard Way a tweet saying, "How how is it that you're so handsome and wise?" (laughs) Because. Because that's that's what it is, or that's that's all they want to hear, and that's that's what's going to get shared. That's yeah. what's going to get you. That's you're going to get your validation heartbeat. You know, I mean, it's. But somebody asking, "Hey, how come this is so damn late?" You're going to get someone like Mark Wade saying, "Nobody cares," and or, Mark or, Wade is Mark, right. A comic reader, a comic reader will be like, "Oh, oh I, yeah. I would much rather get the comic in over no. ten years, all drawn and written by." It's like. That's that was my next one. Yep, for yeah. sure. It's it's people who want the validation, and uh, I mean it, it's funny because I've been doing a little bit of research on uh, the announcement of the new Fifty Two, uh, and I'm trying to dig up initial reactions. Is is what I'm doing, and it's funny because when you <laughs> when you go to one of the sites like CBR or something, there there is so uh, I don't know if I'm using the word right, but they're like so fascistic where it's like they they remove dissent. Right, right. Oh, the Any forum. Dissent, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. All the forum dissent. Oh, God. At that time, it was like, you know, they were chopping heads over there. Oh, God. Uh, yeah. Any negative and negativity about the new 52 was erased from there. And I think God. Was, 
Another site did it too. I can't remember. Maybe it was Group Leading Cool did it. Uh, Newsarama cool. did it. I think it was all the big three, uh, if if that's what they are. Uh, and it's similar with people complaining about delays. Uh, the heads roll. It's uh, that is that that kind of talk is silenced because there are just so many uh, wagon circlers who will defend these creators who don't give a crap about them. Yeah. To their last breath. To. I mean, uh, to get that slap on the pack, it's it, it's sad. It, it kills the whole serialized, you know, the joy of serial. There's no reading. incentive. Yeah. There's nothing. There's nothing there for it. And, um, you know, it's, I, I've even having a discussion. I've had people say like, you know, like, well, what about the comic retailers? And I'm like, they're getting jerked. Also, you know what I mean? Like, for sure. Like, I I don't want to. I don't want anyone to be out of business. I don't want anyone, you know, to have to. Uh, stop doing what they love, but it's really an abusive relationship between now between comics publishers and the retailers. Uh, they are they are totally um, at the whim at the you know of whatever. God, we, we were laughing, or I was I was more laughing about DC's <laughs> blank books. Uh, yeah, all the blank books. Yeah, and these blank books are the are the funniest punchline I've I've seen in years. Where it's They're literally the biggest middle finger. It's yeah. literally just like you'll buy whatever the hell we put out, buddy. And they absolutely mm-hmm. will. They absolutely did it, and they'll keep doing it. Uh, they will. They you know, and as long as they get that bookstore edition to sell later on and to sell hopefully indefinitely, there's there's nothing to there's no incentive for them to stop or improve their single issues. Uh, in terms of in terms of schedule or anything, they, it doesn't. It's meaningless to them, you know, because they print to order. You know what I mean? They're then yep. and they sell every copy. So yeah, as far as the uh, as far as the company knows, those, those shipped ones count as sold. Yeah, it doesn't matter if they're sitting on a on a shelf or somewhere uh, or or in somebody's long box. It doesn't matter to them where it winds up. And and we talked um, a couple years ago, actually, now where. We did our little explanation on the fifth weeks, right? And uh, that's that's uh, one of the weird comic histories out there. I think like twenty two or twenty three. Very early one, I think, right? Yeah, oh, okay. uh, midway. Oh. But uh, we talked about how just that one week could be so detrimental to the industry because people come in to buy their books and they're not there. Yeah. Because they don't, they're not in the know, and they don't know that. Hey, you know, four months out of the year have five Wednesdays. So these books won't be there. Right. And all they know is that I go to the comic store every Wednesday and I buy a comic book. Yeah, I guess Spider-Man is there. And then and they may Absolutely. never they may never come back after that, you know? Yeah, they, they miss a week and that might just be enough to shake it off of them where they don't come back. And now we're looking at I mean, that's that's something that's just something that the comics industry has to deal with. That's out of their control, really. I mean, they could do things as stop gaps, but that's a pain in the ass in and of itself. Right. Here they're just not shipping the product. No, they, it, I, it, they don't care. When I, here. When I worked in, I worked in, uh, in, in management for a decade or so. And when people would call in sick repeatedly, I would just say, Hey, I'm just trying to give you money. <laughs> that's all. And it's, you just have to come in. I will give you money. That's all. I'm, that's I'm, not, I'm, not, the... I'm not asking you to do me a favor. I'm trying to, I'm actually paying you. You know what I mean? Like exactly. Yeah. You're, you're not. The privilege. Yeah. <laughs> you're not coming in to be my friend. Just come in and I'll give you money. Yeah. But it's, that's what it is with the, with the, with the comics now. It's, if Doomsday Clock came out every, every month, holy cow. Oh my God. It would, I think it would be, I mean, now actually what I heard was Doomsday Clock tipped below. A hundred thousand shipped. 
which uh, it should not it should ever. not not have been that was definitely planned to be a high impact title the whole way through but i think but i think now I, people are waiting for the trade because it's halfway done i i i mean frankly i was already waiting for the trade you know we <laughs> only because we get the comps but definitely by now i would be i'd be like and uh, i'd be like i'm not you know what am i you know the trade will be out in the next fall. That'll be fine. I'll just read the whole thing at once. The way you probably should end up reading it. Right, yeah, uh, it was meant to be. You know what I also see on, online too. And you know I don't see this from publishers so much, but I see it from people who whose attitude is well. You know, if you go to the store and Spider Man isn't there, then someone will buy something else. And I'm like, no, they don't. Like that was no. true in the newsstand days when you and yeah. your friends would go and you had to get a dollar burning a hole in your pocket, and you had to get a bag of chips and a comic. You know what I mean? But now. No, no one's like, oh, well, I, I'm going to spend $4 on something. I have to. Yeah. I have to yeah, spend they, it on something. It's like they, Spider-Man's not there. They they leave. They may not come back ever again. Yeah, and, 4 uh, to $8 is not an impulse buy. It's not an impulse buy. Exactly. Because uh, uh, even, like, you could get, like, those Walmart comics, the DC Walmart ones. They're, those are $5, and you get, like, five or six times the story you yeah, get in a regular a issue yeah. that you're paying a dollar less for. I mean, I could see that being an impulse buy, but those are... Those are going to be there because that's there's very little work done in those. If, if you, uh, but if you're going for value, right? That would be the that oh, would be that's, the best value that's a on the kick-ass yeah. value for sure. But yeah, like you said, if you go in for Spider-Man, who you're paying either four or five dollars for, and all that's there is Supergirl, you're probably not going to you're not going to plop that down. You're not going to plop that 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 Lincoln on the on the on the register there. It's just not going to happen. I mean, I'm not saying it doesn't ever happen, but it's not likely. And that you know that week that you don't get Spider-Man, that is a week that might whet your appetite for Spider-Man, but it's also a week that you can reflect and and realize. That you don't like the comic, and that you know what I mean. <laughs> so you, 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 you that's why you, I made it two weeks, and I'm okay. You got to keep the pressure up. I, I you know, I've heard. I, I think you've actually talked about that. Like comics collectors, like you know, when you when you take a break, there's a little anxiety, but then you realize, like, wait, the world didn't stop turning. You know, it's a month later, and uh, it's true. Everything is okay. What's uh, I thought? I thought life ended after I didn't get my latest She-Hulk or whatever. Because I, I made a decision to. Uh, because Marvel's putting out this Uncanny X-Men. It's a weekly comic book. Right. Done. Done with it. You're not doing collecting... it, huh? I remember we talked about this, whether you yeah, really I've been it collecting. Yeah, I've been collecting a book with the word Uncanny X-Men in the, on the title for over 30 years. Yeah. What they're doing with this thing now is garbage. Done. It, it's, and, uh, it sounds like an absolute just cash, cash grab, and it sounds like it's going to be a disaster. I mean... And the fact that that they that they did not publish an Uncanny X Men book for a number of years now, and I lived. Yeah, I, I'm I'm over it. I'm you, okay. I you, think I'll be all right. Maybe you can be the guy that collected it to a certain point, you know, and that'll be that. That'll uh, be fun. You know what the yeah, team is, by the way? Is is it the classics? Uh... I haven't the foggiest idea. All right. Well, we'll, we'll try to find out for that. <laughs> We'll we'll get some info. On I know that. there's something like 35 writers on it, but well, that, that's that, that's what it sounds like. It's going to be it's going to be a uh, rotating creative uh, team of the week, so that does not bode well for a no. comic book and a weekly. You know, we're dealing with another weekly right now on a cosmic treadmill, it's true. and uh, you know, you, this is not an easy thing to pull off and make it interesting week to week. For sure. um, but we're just we're just asking month to month for God's sake. That's please. it. That's so, it. Or, or if it's going to be bi monthly. Deliver every sixty days. If it's going to be quarterly, deliver every three do, months. Do but, that, yeah. You know, um, yeah. I, I don't remember it was somebody at Marvel. I heard an interview. I don't remember whether Casada or whatever, but he talked about like when they hire artists, 
to find out what they can do. If you if you do less than a page a day penciling, they can still use you, but that means they have to schedule a fill it. You know, so see how many sure. issues or how early we have to do it to can, get you to do yeah. your arc. You know what I mean? And it's like that. That's that's what we mean by you know different people get different uh, dispensation, but that they got to be honest. They got to be upfront about what they're able to do. And uh, frankly, I think that when I hear a writer delay. It makes me want to, you know, kick them into a ditch. It's ridiculous. <laughs> There's no reason, you know, unless unless you're in a coma. I mean, like things could happen health-wise, yeah. but if you are walking around with a of a right mind and you can't get your, your fucking band. comic yeah. writing done, you're an idiot. I'm sorry. <laughs> you're, you're, uh, there's no reason. Even t-shirt signings at Hot Topic, you can get your comic book done. I, I mean, really though, you know, it's, 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 we got people out there writing five, six comics a month. You can't do your one right? comic. But anyway, we don't want to turn this into another Doom Patrol screen. No, no, not today. Uh, if you want to hear that, listen to the latest uh, Young Animal Gatherums. Uh, not, the, yes. not the newest one, but I think the one before this was a real... But uh, it's going to be the last one. It's going to oh. come out uh, the first week of December. It'll be episode 18 of the Young Animal Gathering, uh, where... For the issue 12, it. right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, well, that's... And <laughs> last week's, uh, I think it was number 14, I actually put a... A uh, warning on it for our language because it's uh we, we, we try keeping it clean, but that was that was a bridge too far for even. Oh, us. I got so bad. I really got so bad. <laughs> so so bad. bad. I know what, what what kills us about that is that's like now the Doom Patrol Earth has been tainted for X amount of time, and you know I don't I don't want to see another Doom Patrol now for a while. I need I need them yeah. to put it away and come back out with a better idea. But mm-hmm. uh, who knows? Sure. <laughs> Who knows, Chris? We'll see what happens. But anyway, that's our take on uh, deadlines and the deadline mm-hmm. doom, and also just like kind of a crappy state of comics these days. Deadlines are no longer important, and it just nope. it bodes for the whole way I think publishing treats single issues that they're not important. And but uh, one one place that still has a deadline is your local comic book store. That's right. They still have to get that money in at a certain time, whether the book is coming or not. They still have bills to pay uh, every yep. every week and definitely every, you know, on a monthly basis. So, uh, mm. you know, I would, you know, I'll be honest, maybe we will sometime get the point of view of a retailer, you know what I mean, what, how they That's feel about idea. this because they're almost like in a hostage situation. It's, you know what I mean? Like if they want to, sure. they want to keep selling Comics, they're not going to stop selling Marvel and DC. I've heard places claim to do that, or that they're going to do that. I've never, yeah. heard, I've never heard of a place following through. You, you have your local shop that he stopped <clears throat> new issues altogether. Stopped new issues, which, yeah. which is a very bold, ballsy move. But that almost oh, yeah. that makes that that's you know less crazy than cutting one of the publishers out i feel like you know that's like yeah absolutely yeah it's it's whole hog or exactly or you're doing it to make a statement and uh and if you do if you cut marvel out you're going to be put on that list you got to watch out for that list (laughs) and uh if you got dc out i mean you might get another list who knows no but there'll be another list of you know no one reads but 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 it's stupid (laughs) because people come into the comic store they expect to see uh both both publishers at least those two represented at the minimum absolutely Uh, maybe yeah, maybe I'll you know I'll I'll put some feelers out, see if we can talk to a retailer and what they yeah uh, they feel about the situation and deadline uh, delays because I'm sure it really bothers the hell out of them more, even more than us. That's their oh, money yeah. they're dealing with. For, I, mean, I could only imagine when they see the when they see these like when they saw the uh, the press release for Doomsday Clock. Going on hiatus. Oh my God! Um, they Can you imagine they, the, they're not eating dinner for a couple of days? I mean, actually, it's... I saw. I there was even there was even talk about on like uh, people wrote 
essays. Usually that guy, that one guy in Detroit always Hips? writes. Uh, no, uh, he probably did. I know you mean that's the guy in, in San Francisco, the right? The tilting at windmills guy, yeah. Yeah, uh, I'm sure he wrote something, but I can't remember the guy. This is a guy. Hmm. This is a guy who has a uh, he has a store in Michigan. He he always Bleeding Cool usually runs his essays, but he always whatever happens. He always though, opines. Yeah. It, could, it could be it could be you know Dan DiDio you know lit a cigar and he would go nuts about the smell. <laughs> of it. So it's uh anyway that's that's pretty much I think the nuts and bolts of what I we got to so. say here. Um, you know, it does not bode well, but that is sort of where we are with the modern comics. That's why we do a podcast about classic ones. I think really. it's true. That's where we're. That's where we have a good time. We but, don't. We, we don't want the explicit tag. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, we're, we're trying not. We're trying not to get too angry. Where you know, my heart can't take all that aggravation. Um, <laughs> but anyway, of course, we want to know what you guys think. All of our sure. uh, lovely patrons, and this is a closed. Podcast. So, if you just want to reply right where the uh, this is posted on Patreon, or of course, write to us at Weird Comics History at Gmail. Uh, this can be a place where we have you know more private conversations where we can get to answer your mails more rapidly and things like sure. that. So, uh, definitely would love to know what you think. Um, I think that's all we got from this week, Chris. This Not time I, around. I think so, and if uh, if there are any topics out there you want us to discuss, uh, anything sure. out there you think will rile us up, uh, <laughs> let us know. Oh boy, we're gonna go down that path. Huh? All right. <laughs> and uh, I see, and I see do, a uh, new Fifty Two discussion in our future now. All of a sudden, I'm working on it. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes. But no, I think that's about it. Uh, all right, guys, thanks for uh, everything. We really can't thank you enough. You know, we we picked up a few patrons in November. We're so. Amazed, it's gone way beyond our uh, thoughts at, to this point. We thought we would, would not be nearly where we are. So, yes, uh, thank you so much, everybody, Absolutely. and thank uh, you so much. Talk to you soon. Yeah. You said you'd be here at a Wonderful patrons, this is Chris and Reggie, 
And uh, here we are with our third episode of Comics Talk. Obviously, we don't really have a uh, intro set for this. Or really set. <laughs> no, we don't. Frankly, as I'm concerned, the title could change if anyone has any uh, better ideas. But for sure. Uh, Wanted to give this to you, send this out to you guys as a huge thank you uh, for all of you, all of your support. You know, we picked up a few patrons even recently, and uh, Chris and I are really overwhelmed with the uh, support. Sure. Very humble, very, very grateful for the support that we're getting, and uh, we hope that shows like this make uh, all that worthwhile for you. So this idea actually came from one of our patrons and a longtime supporter of the uh, Cosmic Treadmill show, uh, Jeremiah Jones Goldstein. Right. Mm -hmm. yep. um, he wanted to. He wrote in, and he wanted us to talk about. Well, what it is is there's sort of a long running trope. I believe, right, even back to the earliest episodes, that for sure, yeah. Chris finds the Spectre very boring. I hate the Spectre. Yeah. He hates the Spectre. <laughs> and uh, whenever the Spectre, you know, shows up in a comic, there's a groan. Whenever we mention him, we just kind of a, you know, uh, Chris is like, <sighs> you know, he does yep. a little of the snore. <laughs> and uh, we, you know, we got had fun with it. We, you know, with that sort of a, a long running thing. And he wanted us to talk about. What's behind that? And, you know, there's been similar for basically all, all, all this, the spooky trifecta of Phantom Stranger and Dead Man, right? We, you, yeah. You sort Not of feel the favorite. same way about all of them. So uh, but we thought a good idea would be to talk about characters that we each of us don't like and why. Yep. And just, you know, how we uh, came to those opinions. So we're going to start off with the uh, spooky folk that set off the whole thing here. Absolutely. That is, of course, the Spectre. He made his first appearance in War Fun Comics number 52, way back, February 1940, cover date. Uh, we're going to lump him in with Phantom Stranger. Phantom Stranger number one was his first appearance. That was August, September 1952. And then finally, Dead Man, who made his first appearance in Strange Adventures number 205, back in October 1967. Now, it's like, I, it's weird. I uh, My dislike for these guys I'm not even sure where it's founded. Well, I just well, do, uh, do you remember the first time you encountered the Spectre? Well, do you remember what comic that yes, was? Yes, yeah. uh, it was because uh, I I came into DC in a really big way in the late '90s, and uh -huh. like an idiot, one of my first books I bought was Crisis on Infinite Earths. <laughs> <laughs> I you know I had a working knowledge of like Superman, Batman, Lantern, Flash, you know the the ones you know. And you were like, let but, me abolish that knowledge completely now. Oh you know? God, yeah, because it's because back. Back in the day, my I got a lot of my information from Usenet, and right. uh, Usenet was broken up. It, it's very archaic BBS uh, message board system, and uh, there would be like you know Rack X, Rack Comics Marvel X, and you'd it'd be all the X Men discussion. Then there'd be like Rack Comics, Rack Art Comics DC, and then there'd be Rack Arts Comics DC dot Crisis. Okay. So I'm thinking, okay, well, that I, I know crisis is a big deal. I know it's something that people are talking about. And now that I'm, you know, now that I'm exploring the other side of the table at the uh, comic shop, right. maybe I should get a working knowledge of what in the hell crisis is. Yeah, I mean, how how hard could it be? It's a comic book, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I pick that up. I get, you know, most of the way through it, and then the specter shows up. <laughs> and uh, I'm thinking, why why did he wait until the very end to show up? <laughs> It's his whole thing. I mean, then like even we did, uh, we covered uh, Zero Hour uh, during uh, for a weird comics history a couple of years ago, and it's the same thing. They all go to the Spectre. It's like, hey Spectre, we need your help, and he's like, eh. Like, and nah. then all of a sudden he does it. Then he's and like, then okay, goes, boom. You know what I mean? That's... And that's all it is. It's a boom, so and it just the, it's a game ender. The issue with Spectre in the modern era, for sure, and by that I mean like you know basically Silver post Age on, yeah, or, yeah. Definitely, definitely post crisis, is that. 
he has one move, and that's to do whatever he wants. That's you it. Know? And that's and so and it's sort of the same problem with Superman in the Justice League is you always have to kind of sideline him somehow yeah. to give the other characters something to do. It's like or the bad team has to have a magician on it, so Superman has a weakness to something. That, that, yeah. that justifies someone in the Justice League with it with magic powers or some kind of yeah. you know ability. Uh, with the Spectre, that's the There's no point in having any other being in the universe sure. if the Spectre can literally just turn everyone into flowers with with a thought. Uh, mm-hmm. and, that, and that's why you only see him, you know, come out at the very, you know, the last moments of things, and he's just so creepy. Um, for me, I, I did like Hal turning into Spectre as a concept. That I, I enjoyed the first few issues of that. Yeah, it just didn't. It, there's nothing. There's no way you can really go. There's no journey for the Spectre. The Spectre no. is a character that's had his journey, and now he mm-hmm. is like forever, almost. Uh, to his, you know, detriment, almost, almost like uh, captured by God to be his the voice of God his or vessel, or yeah, uh, you know that it's it's not something he wants to do. It's something he's compelled to do, and so there's there's really not a lot you can do with it. And and even though I've loved a lot of the art in like Ordway did a, a I think he did two miniseries, didn't he? Uh, uh, Ost- Ostrander, Ostrander and uh, that's, that's yeah, I mean. Mandrake, I believe. Um, yeah. Just just some great artwork, but I I will agree with you. That pretty much every iteration of Spectre I've seen since the '60s has been boring, and getting more boring as we go forward. Oh yeah, you know what I mean. I'd say it, more recently, it's almost like, oh, here he comes to like <laughs> blink everyone out of existence or whatever, you know. But I gotta, I gotta say, one of my earliest memories, Chris, is reading uh, Jules Pfeiffer's uh, the great comic book Heroes, mm-hmm. and he has a Spectre story in there. And it made me fall in love with the Golden Age Spectre. And I got to say, if you can ever get your hands on some of these Golden Age Spectre comics, uh, which are which are all more fun, uh, he did, there, there was no Spectre series back then. Yeah. Um, they're they're incredible because they're so crazy. Like he hmm. like the what he does, it just makes no sense. First of all, you know that it's a co-creation by Jerry Siegel, and. Okay. Uh, it's in a way, if Superman is supposed to be like the retribution of the common man, you know, the sock the sock the big guy in the face. The Spectre is like the the total wish fulfillment revenge fantasy you have, where like you would you would imagine your bully like flayed and you know burned at a on a stake. That's the kind of thing Spectre gets into. So I remember this story where like he's chasing down a criminal and like he makes the criminal dissolve through his car into his hand, and then he puts him on a ring of Saturn and says, (laughs) you stay here. Then he goes back to Earth. He gets some more evidence. He comes back. He peels back the guy's head, his skull, Mm -hmm. and looks at the imprints on his brain to extract a confession and then (laughs) takes that confession. The man is dead, by the way, now. But the confession stands because, you know, when a a green and white ghost comes into the police station with a confession, you you, you tend to believe it. (laughs) So that's the kind of thing, like, and I've read other ones like that, and I've never forgotten that. It is so off the wall. It's like a little kid's crazy, uh, mean revenge fantasy. Uh, So... That will always be something to me, like near and dear to my heart. But like, I do admit that when I see him in a, in a more recent comic, I'm like, "Oh, this guy again!" <laughs> Hi, <it's>, Spectre. <laughs> you know? if, if we had, if we had more stories like that one, I'd be into it. But uh, I think that'll bring that back a little bit. <laughs> sure, sure. I mean, just a, a little bit more whack and a little bit less power, because every every story I've read him in since Crisis has been. 
it's like you said, it's here's Spectre again, and what's he going to do? And it's like, oh, he fixed everything or he screwed everything up. It's... I, I remember at the end of Gotham Central when, when uh, what's his name, Crispus? Crispin, Crispus, yeah. Crispus something or other, right? I forget his last name. But uh, he turns into the Spectre, and I remember thinking, like, oh, man, I like that character. <laughs> you know, like, oh, man. I mean, it turned out they did nothing with it anyway, so it doesn't matter. No. But, uh so uh, what about what about our fellow? I think we we're both on the same page about Phantom Stranger, a character that I can't believe debuted in a title of his own. I, it's unbelievable to me. <laughs> mm-hmm. But just one more thing about the Spectre before oh, we move on. I was I was digging in a, a bin not too long ago, and I found like uh, like the worst of the worst. Yeah, I, and I actually bought it for a quarter. It was an issue of the Spectre that ties into the Genesis crossover. Oh man. Which I mean, that's got to. I mean, you 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 should need a prescription for that. Why? Why do they do Cause, that? Uh, <laughs> I mean, because everything died into Genesis, but Genesis was so boring. And then the Spectre on top of that. Yeah. I, I'm surprised I wasn't carded for like buying a Quaalude <laughs> or something. It's just <laughs> the worst thing. Double ply boredom right there. Oh boy. But yeah, Phantom Stranger. I. I liked uh, the art in a uh, in that what was that that Mike Mignola did a mini had a mini series where he did the art which I enjoyed. Okay. I uh, the art anyway, but the uh, story it's well the story is another it, tied up with another guy I don't like, but I forgot to list him here. Friggin' Eclipso, I hate Eclipso. <laughs> oh, but, uh... <laughs> oh, poor Eclipso. <laughs> but uh, I, I haven't seen anything since from the Phantom Stranger that's been engaging. It's no. he's he one note. Another guy who's kind of a, uh, who's kind of just like a wandering spirit. I don't, I head. don't understand what he does. That's the thing. Like I never understood what is his quote unquote power, except to just yeah. sort of be there when when magic stuff is hap- going wrong. He shows up, yeah. and he can, I guess, sometimes transport you. I, you know, the 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 best fan of Stranger story, a very famous one, is that one where he transports Batman back to. The moment his parents are killed, yes, and yes. then you know we see a Bruce Wayne that's raised uh, with his parents, and uh, that got, that one... got a, uh, an alternate Earth in the uh, exactly yeah, you're right. rotated crisis. That's yeah. right, that did become an alternate Earth. So uh, yeah, and in the end, and in the end, Bruce Wayne becomes Batman because he's inspired by the Batman that saved his parents. So that's kind of its own fulfilling thing. But other than that, I'd never understood. What 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 does he do? What is his thing? I don't really know. Like, what is he around? What is he? <laughs> Why? And then, you know, um, DiDio, when, when the new 52 happened, he had it yeah. that this that he was Judas. That, Judas uh, Iscariot. His original yeah. Judas. And I was like, wow, that's interesting. And so the, the necklace around his neck is actually the, the silver pieces. The one piece of silver for every so for he, every sin. Yeah. So he had 30, supposedly, but it was like, obviously, they're running as long as they have to. But it didn't matter because they didn't do anything with it. They just kind of, they st- they kind of stated that as a fact. And that was it. I was like, I, I don't think, I think this is a character that looks real cool. Sure. That's all he's got, though. There's not, there's no more to this guy. Alan yeah. Moore had that secret origin too, where he was a fallen angel, too. That was, that was like a pretty good story. Well, that was like, that was like the coolest thing about the Phantom Strangers that no one knew what his origin was. Yeah. And uh, there were all these rumors. I mean, Judas was a longstanding rumor. Um, and it kind of, it kind of diminishes from him that they actually, that they confirmed it. That they confirmed it. Yeah. Although because I, I don't know some if that's of the still most... canon. I don't know. It, it might not be for sure. <laughs> I know. But uh, yeah, but that was like the most interesting thing about him was trying to figure out uh, and draw conclusions to who he might be or what he might be. And uh, by by taking that question off the table, I think they take a lot of his mystique away. And not that he had much to begin with outside of a cool look. Yeah. It's uh, just uh, 
Dullsville, and like I I, I kind of conflate him and the Shade. Uh, and, but I, I think the shade is a whole lot cooler. You mean Rack Shade, the original Shade? No, yeah. no, no, no. Just Shade, uh, the Shade. Oh, the guy oh. who uh, the guy who bums around Opal City. Oh, right, right, right. Okay, uh, messes with Starman. Yes, yes. But uh, I, I always conflate them a bit, and but but the Shade is so much cooler to me. Uh, he's a, he's a little bit more poetic, but I just dig him a lot more than the Phantom Stranger because he's he does more than just stand there it and just uh, stands around and. Just kind of creeps me out. That's all this guy does. I don't know what it is. I don't really like him. The last guy we all we do have different opinions about. Dead man, dead man. It's when I was growing up, you had that choice between G.I. Joe and the Transformers, you uh-huh. know? And I always went with G.I. Joe because what do I care about a robot? All if right. a robot if a robot dies or a robot breaks, they rebuild the damn robot. Dead man is dead. What do <laughs> I care if anything happens to him? He's dead. There's no stakes for me. It's like if he dies more, what's going to happen? Well, so I really, yeah. I just don't, I don't really care. And inhabiting other bodies is kind of cool, but I mean, how many times can you? It's, it's. I love Quantum Leap, but I, I, I don't know that I'd want to read it. They've never played it that way, which would be actually a clever way to do it. <laughs> have, seriously, to go into a different body and deal with that person's. Life. Usually he just jumps in a body, uses them to eat a hot dog and leaves, and that person's left wondering what the hell happened to the last half hour, you know, and it's kind of, it's sort of messed up. You know, when it started, Dead Man was, was couched as a mystery of him discovering who killed him, the claw, this yeah. whole super convoluted and I think very poorly written story. But Dead Man is one of those few characters that I like him as a character. I, I like his... Uh, kind of snarky, you know, his uh, Lower East Side accent, his attitude... <laughs> Um, I like his sort of like casual attitude towards esoteric things and like, like he'll just, you know, there's an issue with Swamp Thing, I remember, where he has to go down to hell to retrieve Abigail and Deadman is there because he can be there and he's just sort of hanging out. He's just sort of standing around and he's like, oh, hey, Swamp Thing, I'll take you over here for a little while. And, you know, he's, he's talking like this. I'm Boston Brand. Uh, I do agree that the slipping in and out, out of live bodies uh, is sort of a... I always thought it was being pretty mean. You know what I mean? It's, <laughs> That's when you think of it, yeah. It's sort of a violation of someone else's, you know, ultimate privacy. <laughs> but, uh, you know, as far as superhero gimmicks go, it's not so bad. And I am glad he's a hero and not a villain. I'd probably be much more oh, annoyed okay. with him if he were a villain. But I, he's also, that is, I believe, an Arnold Drake co-creation. Yes. But uh, that doesn't mean anything. It really, it's all, even though he's a co-creation, as far as I'm concerned, he's a Neil Adams character, and everyone knows it. <laughs> I, I did like him when he was alive. They had him alive during Brightest Day. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really cool, like him adjusting to, to things like hunger. Right. And, and having to go to the bathroom and stuff. It, it was kind of like the Beyonder back in uh, Secret Wars, but not quite as uh, <laughs> as quaint, I guess. But, uh, I mean, they had him fall in love with... Uh, with Dove, it, it was just a nice little story arc, which you know kind of got flushed, like everything else. Yeah, that, that whole later. thing. Didn't but, didn't wasn't there also a Boston Brand zombie for Blackest Night? Maybe I not. Don't know. Maybe not. I, it, it's possible they they brought so many people back for I that. So many, been, I know. It it really was it's like, so long since I've actually read through that. Yeah, yeah it's been a while. Uh, it would sort of make sense, but not make sense. They they could have played it either way, really. Kind of frankly, yeah, they you could. know, <laughs> it didn't really matter. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so that's why, and uh, I think when we get down to it, um, you just don't like the hints. You don't like the spooks. You don't like the hints. That you're not. That's what you're not about, and that's fine. Yes. Um, my first offering for characters that and this is almost—it's a little bit shameful for someone like me that's supposed to be such a Silver Age fan and whatever. But 
Challenger to the Unknown. First appeared, I know it's not, I think it's not that hard, but in, they first appeared <laughs> showcase number six, February 1957. Supposedly the great Kirby creation, the great template for the Fantastic Four. I'd never read a story in there that I could even, I wasn't fighting to get through by the end. It's you know true. what I mean? Like, honestly, like fighting. To, and I have read complete stories, but by the end, I'm like, why am I reading this boring ass story? Mm-hmm. Uh, even the whole concept of it is just like, I, I, it's, 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 I think even for 1957, it was a comic out of time. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like something that would have flown in the 20s as a pulp, you know, an adventure yep. pulp. Been yep, like, they beat death and now they're challenging. Uh... <laughs> for daring do daredevils <laughs> defeat the specter of death and now they fight for crime, you know, whatever the hell. So uh, just could never get into them. They've tried to, they've had half hearted revivals, including that, uh, uh, what do you call it? Um, Tim Sale one, right? The Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale, which it's, it starts. Okay. I I recently read the first issue again after a long, long time, but uh, it's an, it's another one. It's like the conceits are pretty neat. Um, They change them to more like a commercial outfit where like challengers mountain is kind of like a, like a tourist attraction. Like it's in challengerville and like the whole city is like a a shrine to them. And it's neat, you know, on its face, but when you get about two thirds of the way through the first issue, you're still wondering, it's like, okay, which which guy am I looking at? Yeah. Is, this, is this the same guy? Is this Ace? Is this whoever? Yeah. Is, is it like, it's like Ace, the same Stone, guy. Griff, and Burt, and Burt, you know? Like, <laughs> the, the four of the same guy. I mean, that's the, that, I read that, and that conceit is awesome. It actually reminds me very much of Astro's, elements of Astro City. Sure. But sure. Uh, the characters still suck. That's the problem. You know what I mean? Like, at the core of it, the characters, you don't want to read about them. Uh, so I've never, and there was one for the new 52 also where they were like reality show stars or whatever. That was, now there's even the new challengers. There's even, I, I think I read two of those. That's, I'm, I don't blame the challengers for what's going on with that. That's all other <laughs> thing. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I've never, I've never liked them. I guess it's not as controversial as I thought, but, uh, I, I've, I've never liked them. I don't think I ever will. Not when the Fantastic Four exists. There's no reason for it. It's true. It's true. Uh, jumping back to one of mine here, and this one might be controversial. Mm. Buzz Al Ghul. Mm. The controversial part is that Denny O'Neill would say Raisha Ghul. Oh, well, sorry, Denny. There's your first controversy. But anyway. <laughs> it's true. Uh, he first appeared in Batman number 232, June 1971 cover date. Anytime Raja, Ray Al uh, uh is... is Anytime, like an issue ends with next issue, Rajal Ghoul. Yeah. It's like, how many months am I going to have to deal with this? This is, I, yeah, go ahead. He's just so dull. It's just, it's it's always the same thing. I, and, you know, they, they did the thing with Talia, which is interesting, kind of, but it, it then, then that became the very same thing that they it, did. Over you're time. right. It, it, they did it probably five times. The same yeah. thing in a row of just like, I've tricked you, detective, so you can detective, take my place. Yeah. And he's like, no, <laughs> <laughs> then I must kill you. No. Oh, then I'm going to jump in the Lazarus pit. You know, it, it is the same thing. Uh, to me, this is a character is a victim of overuse. That's, that's really sure. it. That, that first arc, I do consider yeah. a classic. Mm-hmm. But you have diminishing returns over time. Uh, with this For character. Sure. And, uh, and now he's like practically, I think he has an apartment in Gotham City. <laughs> and uh, he knows yeah. the guy. He knows the guy at the newsstand. He gets him his coffee without asking that kind of thing. So <laughs> it's uh, yeah, definitely over. There was a God. What the hell did they collect it? At? It was a Rayshaw Ghoul Year One. Maybe they called it. Okay. Does it sound familiar? Did that come, did that come out around the time of the movie? Yeah. Or one of the movies because he's in one of them, right? The uh, yeah, the uh, 
the older ones, not the newer, the the, the Batman Begins, right? The uh, Christopher Nolan ones. The ones from like ones. the mid two thousand. Right, right, right. The Christian, yeah. Christian Bale. Those. I, I'm almost positive you're right. And that story is pretty good, although it's heavily flawed. But uh, that is probably the best singular story I've read of Rayshard Ghoul since okay. the original. Oh so wow! I'm talking thirty years later. You know what I mean? <laughs> I read it, and I was like, that was pretty good. But it's still, it's not great. But well, uh, what it is is that. Uh, Batman covers up all of the Lazarus pits on Earth, but in doing so, he creates a sort of feedback of some kind that okay. raises all of the dead that have ever died on Earth, including all of the animals. So you oh, see wow. this, like, churning sea of, like, crazy dinosaurs and weird zombie whales. And, uh, That's interesting. Yeah, it's it's cool. And then, you know, the, I, oh. won't, I won't reveal how he uh, <laughs> fixes it, but I will reveal it all ends up okay. Don't worry, folks. <laughs> so uh, I, I do understand, though. I... It's a character I I do like him, but just just way overused. He should have been more of a background. Like it should have been more when he appears. You you are supposed to be like, oh no, yeah, and not it, like, it, oh so what, Uncle Uncle Rache is back. And it comes it comes off like, you know, we ha- you have a lot of like new writers coming to new properties and stuff, and like they can't wait to tell their right. Rachel Gould story. Or, right. And this is gonna go for a lot of the people we discuss here today, or a lot of the characters we discuss. Yeah, it's like. These the the new writer comes on and they've just got they're chomping at the bit to tell to give their take on certain characters, and it feels like every time a new new writer comes on they need to put their fingerprint on on Rachel Ghoul. Yeah, it's uh, the same because I, I was kind of wavering after after the Brian Azzarello run on Batman I dropped it. Um, uh-huh. Brian Azzarello actually made me drop Batman and Superman within a year. So wow, good work, good work. Yeah, he's he's great. Uh, <laughs> and then, uh, <laughs> I came back when Morrison came in. Okay. And then had had a great time with the first four or five issues of his run, and then Rajal Ghoul shows up, and it's, it's like, oh, come on. Yeah, but it, you know, once he dumps off Damien, but then they sort of always still mixed in there. You know, he's just there. Yeah, he's, he's kind of in the background in. constantly. It's you know, it's you're right. It's it would, not just with Batman, with every character. Uh, I wish more writers would treat it like a video game where you got to go through the mini bosses there you before, go. before you hit the big boss. You know, everyone you know, they, they, everyone <laughs> wants to write the Joker. Everyone wants to yep. write Doctor Doom, and it's like maybe you should write a little bit of Stilt Man before you uh, head into that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, do uh, do Diablo yeah. a little bit. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, you know. Let's start small with this. Um, the next one, this one's controversial. I know between the two of us is uh, the Punisher, <laughs> a character I could never. Give a crap about. He debuted in the Amazing Spider-Man number one twenty-nine, February nineteen seventy-four, cover date. And uh, to me, number one, this is not a hero. Period. No, he's, he's he's killing people. That's that's not and with bullets even. You know, I mean, yeah. <laughs> that's flat out not he. And I've heard the word anti-hero. I'm like, fine, you want to make that a word, but he's not. He's not anything heroic. You know what I mean? He's just a murderer. Yeah. Whether he kills the right people or not, that's to me is not what I read comics for. I read comics for the the total fantasy of a person that pathologically will not kill, you know? Uh, I love the guy's T-shirt. I, I won't deny that. Great costume. But he's, he's just a ripoff of this, of, you know, Death Wish. And uh, he's been around, like, there's so many, so many volumes of Punisher. It's unbelievable, you know what I mean? Like, to me, this is a well that was tapped dry a long time ago. They even went deeper with the Angel of Death Punisher, that thing oh, from the late Angel 90s. Angel Avengers, yeah. Um, it was the first uh, miniseries from Marvel Knights that started him, yeah. They, they should have well, known then we have run out of ideas for Punisher. 
Like, you know, like that's what the writing was on the wall. We have now Didn't they just turned him into Frankenstein too, or was they, that? <laughs> they did that. That was that was. I, I don't know if that was in that same run or was it the volume after? Because like a, the, that was fairly recent. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it was it was right after we we actually did a uh, episode talking about it. So I remember we did a little research into uh, different Frank iterations. Castle, of, yeah. yeah, Punisher. So I think that was like a two thousand four ish or something like that. But uh, hmm. I mean, you know, that's that stuff is. I like stuff like that better than. Once again, here's another story. It's Frank Castle's gonna get revenge by against the mob, yeah. pumping bullets in everybody again. Everybody, here we go again, everybody. Uh, although I bet now he works for Shield. I can't deny it. He probably does. Oh, I'm sure. He, I'm sure he's Shield way up in Shield. Yeah, and, and we'll get to them. Yeah, we are gonna get to them. Uh, what do you got <laughs> next, Chris? Uh, keeping it marvelous here. Uh... There are a couple of stories, a couple of story themes in Uncanny X-Men or X-Men in general that I don't like. And one of them is X-Men in space, but there's really no character I can point to for that. Yeah. But uh, another one is anytime the X-Men deal with the damn Morlocks. Uh Uh-huh. Hate the Morlocks. Their first appearance, Uncanny X-Men 169, May 1983, cover date. The Morlocks are those, uh, like, the ugly mutants that live in the sewers. Yeah. Yeah. and they don't take any of your guff either, as I recall. No, no, they sure don't. You know, they sure don't. They, 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 don't they like lose you a lot. Surface dwelling, you know, jerks or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And early into my X Men fandom, there was a story that was called the Last Morlock story, and it was uh like Uncanny X Men like two ninety two, two ninety three ish. Yes. And I was so happy <laughs> that they were gone. I'm like, oh great, they're gonna be there. There's no more Morlock crap because that's when I used to believe. Comics were what they told me they were going to be. Well, you were very naive back then, I think. I was very naive, very, very wide-eyed innocent. I'm going to guess that wasn't the last Morlock story. No, 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 no. I, I don't even think it would be in the latter half at this point. <laughs> I think we came uh, back as Morlock's Avengers later on. That oh. was how. <laughs> the Underworld Avengers. Underworld Avengers. Uh, I think we gave them an idea, but uh, the uh, they, they're just they're very samey too, and and it's funny because like a lot of these characters. My hatred or dislike for them just comes out of boredom. Yeah, uh, it's it's not that you know uh, on the face of it they're you know something I don't want to look at, but the stories that come with them are just so dull and so samey. It's like someone gets kidnapped by the Morlocks, the X Men go and save them, I mean, or or yeah. or like when they start to work together, it's like somebody kidnapped a Morlock and the X Men have to save them for the Morlocks. The other and way it's, around, it's, it's oh. one or the other. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is just a, a concept, and they had, the DC have their underworlds to. Uh, they have the underworlders, the yeah. The underworlders, and 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 actually, in uh, Batman, I, this probably isn't canon in the New Fifty Two, but Anne Nocenti introduced this underworld in Gotham that went like four, like stories. It was insane. I, I can't, <laughs> even, I can't even get into it. Maybe that thing probably isn't canon anymore. They also had uh, underworld. It's. It's sort of a concept, you know, far be it for me to denigrate Chris Claremont, but it's not the most original. And uh, I'm not... You, wait, you're saying that Chris Claremont drew 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 inspiration from something that was already in, in the ether? Maybe sometimes, sometimes. Maybe? Maybe, maybe it was a coincidence at times, but... Because uh, I, I know he invented the brood before Alien. Right, right? sure, yeah. And, uh, and the, the, the Imperial Guard before Legion. Oh. Oh, and yeah, the Star oh, Jammers yeah. before Star Wars. He had it so. in mind uh, all yeah. that before that came. He was like, damn it, they took my idea. No, uh, you know, this is like, you know, but but actually my problem with it, though, and I'm not super familiar with the Morlocks. I, I've read <laughs> issues with them, but uh, they don't take it far enough. You know what I mean? They, okay. they To me, they're just like a bunch of, of punks living in the, in, the, in the underworld. You know what I mean? Like, yep. give me more. Give me a society. Give me like... 
gives me weird, uh, you know, Total Recall type <laughs> gross out mutate. There are some gross out characters, but give me more of that. Give me like hmm. uh, more, you know, more chud type action. So, but <laughs> I, I definitely don't have the, uh, the enough experience to feel sure. Really, either way about them. So I'm gonna take. I'm gonna have to accept your anger and uh, <laughs> take that. And uh, here's here's what I know we are in oh. total agreement on. But I, I think we actually are. We also feel the same way about why they're so disappointing. Uh, mm. This is the Great Lakes Avengers. They first appeared in West Coast Avengers number 46, July 1989. This is Marvel's uh, unlikely heroes, right? The uh, mm -hmm. Flat Man. We got Immortal Man. Uh, Big Bertha, girl, Big Bertha, uh, pterodactyl thing. That's right. Uh, and then, yeah. they rotate a couple of weirdos out. They, they, God, they've had like four or five volumes of this comic. I'm not kidding. Oh yeah. And this is something, Chris. I think we both, you know, we both like JLI. Mm -hmm. We both like funny comics. I'm a huge sure. fan of silly comics. We, we, we like, you know, unlikely teams. There's a lot to say that I should be liking this, but. I've never, they've never had a good issue, ever. It never landed, no. Never landed, it's never been funny. I've never laughed at one solitary page. <laughs> and, I, and I gotta tell you, in, in, in a rare case, I've read every comic. I, they fooled Probably, me every sure. time, yeah. yes. Uh, actually, <laughs> actually, wait a second, let me, let, me, let me correct that. I've read comics from every volume. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That's a little more like it. I probably read the first six, the, the first mini. But uh, mm -hmm. every every other time, I probably read two or three. I've been like, "Why is this so not funny?" And it's like every opportunity for for a gag is just missed. And you know, there's this forced uh, uh, relationship stuff that just does not fit in. This should be a goofy comic. And like I say, it's yeah. it's, it's had four volumes. They had one not too long ago, like two years ago. That was horrible. I got sucked in again after after reading the West Coast Avengers, and I, I love that run of West Coast Avengers, but yeah. the, but the Great Lakes stuff is garbage. Um, I, and I actually like you know when Byrne changed the vision to, into the white outfit. I, I I dug all that stuff, uh, which was right around this time. But I got sucked back in with a it was called GLA, and it had a very it, it the, the logo looked like JLA, right. like the that was going on at the late nineties uh, turn of the century, and uh, I got sucked back in with that. And and it was more garbage. It's just so much. It's so much missed opportunity. It, it just comes off as as really flat and stale, uh, where it should be funny, but it, it falls into the uh, what I like to call funny haha. It's like this is the stuff that you can you could post this panel on Twitter and people will be like, ah, that's hilarious. Right. Yeah. But then yeah. You read it and it's garbage. Yeah, I, I, I guess there's something to that. Like there's some visual jokes, flat man, like. Goes in through a mail slot or whatever nonsense, or everyone, everyone always mistakes him for Mister Fantastic as the gag. Yep. But uh, I mean, I, here I am saying it and not laughing, so it's not. It's, no. just, it's just not that funny. And no. uh, but and I. And that's their whole. That's their whole premise. That they they are there to be funny. Yeah. And and it's it fails on every level. I, I'll be honest. I find more joy in, in an issue of Captain Karen and his zoo crew. I honestly do. For sure. You know I mean, like that's like that's <laughs> that's what it is up front. That it's 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 funny on the, on the, a little kid level. Whereas like it's got Great, heart. Great yeah. Lakes Avengers has it's it's just nothing to it. And it does feel like it was put together like with post-it notes. You know, like yeah. what what are some Marvel characters we haven't used in a while? You know, so let's do the uh, let's do the next two as a group. What do you say? Okie dokie. We've got. Uh... All right, now this one uh, we've said controversial. This a few is times, controversial. But, uh, this is going to be this controversial. One yeah, probably will. 
Thor is a bore. I am not a fan of Thor. Uh, Thor first made his first appearance in Journey into Mystery number 83 back in August 1962. Uh, this is a character I've wanted to like because, you know, he's he's one of the stir, the straws that stir the drink at Marvel. I, I've wanted to like him. Right. Um, I've tried the Stan and Jack. Bored, that, bored me to tears. Yes. Um, I tried the, the vaunted Walt Simonson run. Also bored me to tears. Uh, it's got some cool visuals. Visually, like it, it's... Unbelievable, though. I mean, it's for sure, it's, for sure. You know, especially if you are digging in the bins and catching, they that, stand out. That's something worth getting for a buck just on the art alone. You know, it really for is sure. staggering. But yeah, I, I yeah. agree. It's it's sleepy time. And, and yeah, I mean, I can name the uh, you know like the Thor Frog and Beta sure. Ray Bill. You know, the stuff that everybody can name about that run. I thought that stuff looks great, but it's dull. I tried the Eric Masterson stuff where, uh, you know, where Thunderstrike was Thor for a bit. Um, I, I, he's just so dull. I, I think probably the most interesting story was the uh, was probably the recent Jane Foster thing where she goes into remission when she turns into Thor. I thought that is an interesting conceit. Not enough to read it. Yeah. You're already <laughs> but, turned off to the character, but you're right. Uh, yeah. Before that was also uh, Jason Aaron, and I forget who the artist was, but he was great. The Sad Ribic? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. I mean, and it was like, it was like every page was like almost. Oh, it was painting. Pulling a painting off of the uh, Metropolitan yeah. Museum of Art, but snooze. It's, it, this is one of those things where when you've given it this many shots, and I didn't read the Thunderstrike run, mm-hmm. uh, I have an omnibus of, of the. Um, Simonson. Simonson that, that I've yeah. gone through, and I've, I've looked at a lot of the stack, Stan and Jack. I actually did the, that first uh, appearance with uh, Jim on his show several months back on one of his <laughs> many billions of five and five podcasts. But, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just that's when you realize this character doesn't work for me. It's not happening. Uh, I like the character better in the movies than I like him in the, in the comics, and uh, I don't love him in the movies either, but it's like... <laughs> it's like <laughs> I'd have to take your word for that. I know, but he's, he's, got, he's got a little sense of humor to him. It's, Whereas, like, you know, Thor has worked great for for Stan Lee's very uh, emollient, you know, florid prose that he wrote. Sure. But it, it doesn't do anything for me as a character. And the next one is similar, although from the other side, but, you know, same, same kind of thing. You want to let, let us know who that is. Well, one more thing about Thor oh, is uh, the uh, I, I only really liked one run, and it was a uh, or, or uh, one little bit of a run actually. It was a uh, with, with Heroes Return. It was uh, Dan Jurgens and John Romita Jr. Oh, they they told probably like the first six seven issues of their run was uh, really really good and really engaging for me, uh, which shocked the hell out of me because wow. I picked it up on a lark. Uh, I was, I, I was like I said, I, I, I was like I've said many times, I, I was a Marvel zombie for a very long time. I bought everything, yeah, everything with a Marvel logo on it, and uh, despite you know not caring for Thor, I was still buying it. Huh. But uh, <laughs> the uh, this one of the issues there was uh, basically a morning shock jock talking about Thor hmm. and mocking Thor. And uh, Thor's reactions to this, and listening to this, to this, uh, this like the whole the whole show is like a narration throughout the whole issue, and he's taking he's going through his regular day, but this narration from the shock jock is still going. On. It's a really, uh, really clever issue. You were, um, you were like mocking Thor. I can get on board with that. <laughs> I, I like that. that. <laughs> I can do thine that. <laughs> but uh, jumping over to our next one, it's a. Uh, Raven from the Teen Titans, uh, and also, you know, by proxy, we have Trigon as well. Yeah. Uh, Raven made her first appearance, DC Comics Presents number 26 in the Teen Titans bonus book, and that was October 1990 cover date. 
Raven is another one trick, another. Uh, it's always the same now, this thing. This one is, yeah. is controversial because you are a well-known, very big New Teen Titans fan. Oh yeah! Uh, oh yeah! It's, a huge uh, it's fan. Part of my stu- study, yes. <laughs> um, but here, here is a an outlier of just a character you could never uh, like. This is this is a character to me. What that? What is she about? Except that she's Trigon's daughter. That's it. That's it. That's all there is to her. And and she she flies into every disaster scene to help one person and get taken out of the fight. Yeah, she, and then she, she gets knocked out. She teleports yeah. them there, and then for some reason can't do anything else. And it's like, well, then mm-hmm. what the hell, man? <laughs> yeah, she uses her empathic powers on one person, and then she faints. Yeah. It, it's every every time she's out. And, you know, there's a, there's a Raven miniseries or a maxi series going on right now where the entire first half of it is about the fact that she is the daughter of Trigon the Terrible. And that's every time she shows up. It's about how she's the daughter of Trigon the Terrible. The second half of that arc is about Night Force and makes me wish we'd go back to talking <laughs> to about Trig- how she's the daughter of Trigon the Terrible. You know, think but, about uh, it now, you know, the, the whole thing with her dealing with Trigon, that was really her first big, you know, moment. That's what brought the Titans back together. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, uh, she, you know, she, the world almost was going to be subsumed by, you know, Trigon. And this was a huge, uh, you know, world ending event and they fought back from it. And that really was the time to put Trigon away. You Forever. know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, Cause it's, it's like, you, we could talk about a million characters like this doomsday Bane, you know, these characters are mm-hmm. supposed to be the one time cataclysmic, you know, everything, everything has changed after them. But when you keep bringing them back, you have diminishing returns. And now it's like, I saw Trigon, you know, at the Starbucks getting a latte. Like, what, you know <laughs> what I mean? Like, what the hell's the damn difference? Who the, it's like, oh, are you back again to ruin the world? Okay, whatever. You know, it must oh, be Tuesday. Yeah, hit, hit the Trigon alarm. Back. <laughs> but uh, it, even in issues that, and this is one thing that I love and hate about the Wolfman Titans is that he always make sure to give everybody panel time. Everybody matters yes. in that. It's not like a huge ensemble cast where you're all, like like today's Titans or a few years ago's Titans anyway, right. where it's like, okay, Starfire was in the background of one panel. That was you it, know, she didn't you say know. anything, but she was there. But yeah. Wolfman made it work by always having a little bit of a feature on every character. And with Raven, it was always her sitting on a craggy, outbra- a craggy rock outspur uh-huh. in cosmic space in Azeroth. It's every or, single time or, talking or about how just sitting in her room and someone knocks on the door and they're like, "Are you okay?" and she's like, "I have to be alone." And they're like, "All right, all right, later, <laughs> see you later." And then and, uh, a thought bubble comes and I am the daughter of Trigon. It's basically like every scene, I, the early one especially. I read a crossover with the the New Titans and the uh, and Batman and the Outsiders this week, and there's part of it where they go back to uh, the Outsiders headquarters. And Halo, you know, bubbly Halo, who uh-huh. doesn't know what she is, takes Raven into her bedroom. And Raven's like, wow, this is such a happy bedroom. Something that was robbed from me in my childhood. <laughs> what are you doing? It's like to Stop. Put a pin in it. You know what I mean? Like, we don't oh. bring that up every single time. It's not, <laughs> it's not good uh, conversation. Yeah, it's really, it really is. She, you know, it's she's a given character. She is the transport. Sure. She's there, you know, and she's that's all she is. She ends up being for them, so... It's too it's bad, true. but uh, moving on here's one that uh, I don't know. I don't know how you feel about this personally. I want to mm-hmm. just mention that really. I, this really doesn't fit. Not a character I hate. It's Deadpool. Uh, first appeared in New Mutants ninety eight, February ninety one. Um, just so overdone. You know what I mean? I, I you know I remember I, I was picking up Deadpool for a little while. I was laughing. 
Then there was like another Deadpool comic. Then there was like two two Deadpools coming out a month. Then the movie. I was like, all right, I'm done with that. Um, I'm done. I, I am complete. I am now completed my tour of duty with Deadpool. Uh, and I, I haven't wanted to go back. I mean, there's been. There's, I think now there's two or three Deadpool series going on, uh, and and I haven't gone back. I think I think it's a funny character, but come on, you know. I yeah. mean, you talk about you just scraping the bottom of that barrel right there. It's too wait, way, way, way too much. And uh, I, I did really appreciate the uh, Joe Kelly run. Um, even yeah. the uh, Christopher Priest run was pretty good too. Uh, but. Uh, Joe, they, Kelly, Joe Kelly should get part ownership of this character because he's the oh, one yeah, that made, 100%. made Deadpool into the dead, the wacky into one what he is. Know him as, yeah. yeah, no, absolutely. Joe Kelly definitely deserves a credit for uh, for the creation there. But uh, it, it's it's like they don't know what they had with him during the during the I want to say like early two thousands. Like right. he would be he'd have his own book, and then he'd be the villain in Wolverine. <laughs> they didn't know what to like, do. <laughs> yeah, so they didn't know what they they wanted to have it both ways, and then uh, I remember they brought Liefeld back for a little bit, uh-huh. uh, and uh, and then he had his own take, which didn't have anything to do with any of the takes going on, and then they put him in the they put him in the in the toy box for a little bit, which was pretty cool. Yeah, <laughs> you know they took him off the table, but then ever since uh, they had that uh, horrible it was a Daniel Way I think uh, relaunched it, and. Ever since, it's just been every month having at least two or three Deadpool books. Yeah. Uh, Brian Posehn, a comedian, also co-wrote a little He did bit. the Marvel Now, yeah. Right, when, I, when they yeah. came in, and, and uh, that was all right. But even by then, I was already starting to get... Well, and that, that one brushes up against something that we're going to discuss in a little bit. He came back, and he had like he was like had like an attachment to a spirit during that, and it uh, was a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent. <laughs> because everything had to tie into the oh, damn shield. Oh yes, that's the modern Marvel era, the old oh, good old garbage. shield. Uh, uh, I do agree with you that he is overused. Uh, when he's used right, he's pretty good. Uh huh. But uh, I wouldn't mind when, you know putting him in the toy box for a few years, which they do, they don't do that anymore with any characters. No, they sure don't. They all they sure are don't. out at all times. Putting some of these guys away can go a long way to like, and then like you could take him out at a time that you could use somebody. That mm-hmm. is, you know, fearless, unkillable. What are all of his traits? Uh, as it is now, it's like Deadpool went to the store and he fell in a vat of acid, and, and then a mm-hmm. truck ran over him and died, ah, but he's fine. Ta da! You know, that's a Deadpool yep. story. So uh, that's, <laughs> that's all I got to say about that. That's about right. <laughs> um, oh, you got your tropey fellas. Yeah, these are ones that uh, I, I really can't point to one character in general, but uh, anytime they bring in zombies or robots, I check out. Now that's uh, not a hundred percent true, right? You, the, there are some robots you like. I like the Vision. Yeah, the Vision's you go. okay. Red Tornadoes, all right. All right. But uh, like when it's like when you're fighting an army of robots right. or an army of zombies, I'm just done. Uh, there's no stakes for me. It's you, you kill something so it's more dead, or you kill something so it's, so it's broken and it can be rebuilt. And, yeah. and a lot of those they fall into the funny haha, where it's like. Hey, here's a really funny. Th- uh, here's Captain America as a zombie crying out for brains or patriotic brains. Who gives a crap? Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I just can't do it. I mean, it, 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 robots to me is uh, I like better. Although the same thing, the problem is the stakes are lowered. Zombies is something. 
it, you know, again, it's got to be used sparingly. We are in sort of. I, they say we're on the. We we are. You know, zombies are no longer hot. You couldn't tell me from looking at all the crap out there with zombies in. Oh, it, you know, Lord. good God. Yeah. It's, and you know, I don't. I do. I do like the idea, but again, sparingly. You know, Night, Night yeah, of Little Dead is actually one of my favorite. Uh, that's a that's an old Reggie family movie from when I was very young. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's uh, and and that Marvel zombies thing sucked. Garbage. So, <laughs> Garbage. That's what I have to say about that. I like Blackest Night better, which is sort of DC's answer to it. Uh, mm-hmm. Although those aren't really zombies, technically, who knows what the heck. They were Black Lanterns, Who yeah. knows what really is. Same the, thing, but. <laughs> and some of them weren't even, like, actually for reconstituted people. They were, like, you know, projections or whatever. But, so. when the, but when Blackest Night ended, they all went away. They all went away, exactly. <laughs> you know, we weren't enough to hang out with the zombies forever. We, so. didn't, we didn't have zombified Terry Long anymore. He was just gone. You know, it's the same thing with the, but I was thinking about Manhunters, you know what I mean? Like, the idea of the, <laughs> the, idea of the Manhunters just drains totally away when you're like... Oh, sure. I think, come to think of it now, think about it, the... Uh, uh, who the hell are the Dark Stars are the same way. These are both, like, both Green Lantern robot Villains well, the dark, like, stars have, uh, they, the dark stars did have the dark stars did have people in uh, there, right? Yeah. But, but those people yeah. are like done once they're uh, once they're in the thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they're, they're veritable zombies. So yeah, uh, yeah. You know, this it's just a gimmick just to make people killable, make make it so you can have a high body count without having to actually like deal with the fallout of people actually dying. So yeah, I admit it's lame. Uh, just real quick, <laughs> I want to talk about. Uh, Something that maybe Chris can actually help me out with, to be honest sure. with you. Uh, I had a problem, you know, as I've talked about before, I walked away from comics in the early 90s when there was a, sort of a changeover in art styles and everything. <laughs> and, uh, you know, one of the things obviously I walked away from, and this was where a lot of the art change was happening, was the new was the Mutants titles. And since then, most of the mutants I've heard that are created from the 90s, Chris, suck. Right? Am I wrong? Am I wrong about this? A lot this? of them do. They, there, them is, do. there are some stupid-ass mutants. Like, what the hell was going... It's like they should be on the Great Lakes Avengers, some of these guys, you know? Uh, <laughs> uh, somebody, you gotta help me out. Maggot? What is Maggot, what's this thing? Maggot was an... He was kind of interesting, actually. Uh, at least the way that... It's another one that... I can't remember if it was Joe Kelly or or, uh, or Siegel uh, who came in to do the... Because Kelly and Siegel took over the X-Books after Lobdell left. Lobdell introduced Maggot as just some big blue guy. And uh, who had, like, these kind of bio-nasty bugs. Uh-huh. Like a pair of bugs. Uh, I think I want to say it was Joe Kelly, but it might not have been. It might have been Stephen T. Siegel, but uh, he made it so Maggot's bugs were actually his digestive system. Uh-huh. So, like, he wouldn't eat through his mouth. He, he would eat through these bugs, and then the bugs would go inside of him, and he would absorb the nutrients. It was kind of interesting in kind of like a because you know the X Men they you have to have the angst, you have to have you know my you know my power, my curse. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I don't know what the maggots would have done otherwise. I mean, it's making me sick to hear about it, Chris. What the hell are you talking about? <laughs> like, like, are they going to have it sit on Magneto's head until it dissolves the entire uh, thing? I don't know how how good that is in battle. Oh, but, uh, yeah, really. Well, how did that come into come into use? You know what I mean? Like, uh, <laughs> he should have been a Morlock. Basically, what is he? He throws he, he throw that guy into battle, and everyone throws up on themselves, and then uh, that's <laughs> a, a distraction. Good lord! What do I help me out with skin? What's, well, what's... Skin was one of the he was one of the original members of Generation X, uh-huh. and uh, his whole thing was that he had a whole lot of extra skin that stretched. Uh, we met him during a Cosmic Treadmill episode a, a while back. I think uh, Andrew 
Andrew from Belfast had uh, recommended that, or had asked us to uh, cover Generation X number one, and we right. went through that. Um, he was a neat character uh, in that, you know, he was kind of a uh, – it was another one. He's got angst, my power, my curse type thing where he was – very unhappy that he looked the way he did because he's got all this gray skin hanging from him. Yeah, right. He looks, uh, he looks gross as hell. He's ugly, yes. And uh, his legacy, unfortunately, is uh, being laid in an uh, in a grave with the wrong name on it because Chuck Austin didn't do his research. Uh, so, well, well, my uncle yeah, has the same that ends. power. He got his stomach stapled. Now he's got the same thing. So that's nice. <laughs> uh, and and uh, just lastly, I'm gonna you know this is this is the big controversy, but cable. Okay, and really a lot of, yes. I, I, in my mind, I lump Cable in with every character. You could just say every character created by Rob Liefeld, or 95% of them, because they're all interchangeable, they all suck, they all wear wrestling headgear for some reason. And uh, Cable's just a guy with a gun. I mean, I know now he's got like a much more interesting story, mm-hmm. but they kind of pin that onto him. As, as a visual, I always hated him, and I hate that glinting eye. Sure. I don't like him. What, what, what's your take? What, what, do you, what do you have to tell me about him? Cable was rough early on. Um, I liked Cable when they made him like the the softer, kinder Cable. Mm. But that might as well have been a whole new character uh, because it was such a staggering change. Um, Joe Casey wrote him for a little while. A, a guy named Robert Weinberg came in to write him as well and really humanized him. Uh, gave well, him had when him... we did Age of Apocalypse, that was probably the best Cable I ever read. <laughs> You know, and even that, that wasn't even cable. That was X Man. Oh, that was, a, but you know, it was, it was, you know, a, after, a version of him. You know, yes. But. After Age of Apocalypse, probably I want to say 1997 through 2000 ish. It was this uh, really fun run by uh, Joe Casey and uh, what's his name, Ladrone. Very Kirby-ish uh, art style uh, from Jose. I think it was Jose Ladrone. And then Michael Weinberg came in and made him even more human. Uh, he had a relationship with a human. Uh, it was. Very, uh, very good storytelling, but at the end of the day, it might as well have been a whole different character yeah. uh, than, than the Cable we met back in New Mutants and uh, leading up to, like, Executioner's Song. Actually, uh, it, it's true, and more and more recently in, like, the 21st century, I've seen him farting around in Marvel books, and he is, like, he's someone, I, I, my memory of him when he first came out was he couldn't even talk, he was just so angry shooting all the time, you know what I mean? He was just... He had, he had all those teeth in his head. I don't, I don't think his mouth opened. His teeth were just... <laughs> it grew more teeth on top of teeth. Um, and it was just like, just a guy with like, why do you have so many freaking... Why do bullets exit your gun five ways? I don't know, you know, one one hole is usually enough. <laughs> how are you holding it that way? How are you holding it? Why is... How do you hold a gun that's bigger than you? I don't really understand. <laughs> why uh, do you have five triggers? So... But, uh, <laughs> When, but at Weinberg was building up because they the X-Men stories had promised that they were leading somewhere for the turn of the century. It was going to be the revelation of the 12, uh-huh. which was something that was name dropped back in like the mid to late 80s and uh, had a lot to do with like Franklin Richards and stuff. But they dropped all of that and made it something totally different. Uh, Weinberg was was helming the cable cable book and it was all leading to this last man standing only one walks away battle between cable and apocalypse and this was being pushed for seemingly years i i mean i was ta- i was very dialed into like i said usenet things like wizard right. magazine and this was something they were building to well they get to it weinberg is kicked off the book mm-hmm. rob liefeld is brought back and tells a story for this big knockdown drag out with apocalypse that starts and ends with Cable chained to a wall. 
So it's like the issue didn't even need to exist. Right. And nobody to this day has accepted writing credit for that issue. <laughs> yeah. It's cable number 75. Oh, that's hilarious. Nobody has accepted writing writing credit on that. And uh, They just they, brought Rob in for a sales boost, do you think? Or do you think yes, he just like yeah. It, yeah, they, you know, some deal came, was made? Yeah, because yeah, they brought him in to do – he did a run on cable. He did stuff on Deadpool, and he did a run on Wolverine. And uh, in that Wolverine, Deadpool was the villain. You know, it's funny. So, that's, that's, two, that's two Liefeld characters on my list that really I, – I like them a lot better after he – Stopped After he got you know off, I, mean? right. I, I, I admit Cable is. I still think he's he's a little doofy as far as the character design, but I do understand that he is more of a, uh, like well, say, a well, kinder, a, a useful yeah. person, a hero, you know, instead of just like a guy spitting bullets at it from left and right. And, and he was also part of like my first ever, uh, you know, comic gossip that mm. actually paid off because that's you know people were going you know you know Cable was you know Scott's son from you know Uncanny X Men two hundred one. And and we're thinking like because uh, we were brand new, me and my buddies were like like Cyclops has a son. <laughs> we didn't know any of that. Boy. And uh, when it finally paid off, we actually felt like we were on the ground floor or something. It was like wow, you know, we heard that somewhere. But uh, and this was before internet was a huge thing. But these days, I couldn't tell you what Cable's doing because I, I think he's he's probably on at least two teams of the X Men. He's probably on two teams of the Avengers. Oh yeah. He's probably a high-ranking official in Shield. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, he what does. He does there. everything. Yeah, he's, he's yeah. everybody and everything now. Uh, they got a movie coming out for him too. So expect oh, to boy. see some more Cable coming out from Marvel. What? Why don't you pick one of the last two? Will and we'll start to uh, wrap this up here. <laughs> well, another one of our tropes on the show is uh, my love for Terry Long. Right. Uh, Terry Long. It's it's weird. I think I'm going through like some sort of Stockholm syndrome with him. It's like. I'm actually when he's when he shows up in in a background of a panel I'm like hey it's Terry yeah you know? it's like what the hell's wrong with me you don't like him but he's familiar to you you know he's like he's like, like your first day at high school and you're like ah, I yeah. don't like you in junior high but uh, I, 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 we're buddies but you, you, yeah I know your face I, I can sit next to you but uh, he made his first appearance in New Teen Titans number eight that was June 1981 cover date and we actually covered the life and times of Terry Long back on the Cosmic Treadmill I think yeah. it was. Episode seventy one. I want no, no, no. Seventy one was uh, Starbrand. Somewhere in the seventies, I believe we covered okay. uh, covered uh, the life and times of Terry Long with a focus on his wedding to uh, Donna Troy. But uh, his whole character was just very uh, off putting, very creepy. Um, he, he's very, very. Uh, I, I don't know how else to put it, but but off putting. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, I, I wonder if that was was on purpose because he does sort of fit an '80s archetype of like a creepy college professor. You know what I mean? Who's also the Alan Alda sensitive man type deal? He's got he's got some of that. I, I mean, I just don't know exactly what what Marv Wolfman's uh, you know his his intentions and his inspiration was for that character because he kind of strikes me as like you know he reminds me of um God I can't if I can't Marv Wolfman. No, 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 the, uh, the character Terry Long. Uh, yeah, Marv Wolfman? In a way, actually, to be honest, yeah. <laughs> for one thing, not far off, although Marv Wolfman, not a curly-haired fella, so that's, uh, there's that. No, no red, yeah. And, uh, and not red, well, kind of, you know, maybe, but a um, little reddish. <laughs> but there's a character, God, I, I just can't remember his name, but uh, a character in a, in a movie that's just very much like that, and bearded also, and I wonder if that was the inspiration 
Uh, maybe <laughs> Elliot Gould had something to do with it, like we've said. Yes, maybe. Uh, I've, always, I've always, The joke I always say is that Chris just hates curly-haired men. That's his problem. Yes. So, you know, anytime he sees them, he has no trust for them. No. And uh, that's... But I, I do think you've... I think, I think after doing your blog and doing our episode, you've kind of come out the other end on Terry Long. You, the two of you have a sort of, you know... Tenuous a agreement. Begrudging respect. A begrudging yes. respect. <laughs> you know? Uh, and, you know, for what it's worth, Terry Long, on his own volition, even though everyone thought it was going to happen, uh, you know, throughout the Teen Titans, he never really turned. Right? No. Uh, no. Is, there is a time, isn't he, isn't he tied up in that Millennium thing? No, no, no. That no. was uh, Rudolph West, uh, another right. bearded man. So, that was uh, Wally's go. father. But, uh, but Terry's whole thing was. Uh, that Donna drove him away right. uh, by by bringing in the Team Titans. They had their farm destroyed uh, by villains. Uh, their their child was uh, was you know in jeopardy because the child from the future came back and tried to tried to kill the mother. It, it, a lot of weird well, stuff. Well, he, he wanted her to quit. That was the thing. He he thought he wanted Donna to, to to retire, and she yeah. would retire, and she was like, she no, wouldn't. no, this is my thing. So that that was there. But you know, the whole time reading it, uh, even even you know when I first ever looked at it, I keep waiting for the moment that Terry Long to go into the Secret to, room and contact yep. his master. You know, and that never happens. Called Deathstroke, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and, and maybe that's part of what your feeling is too. You see, like, you know, as as much as it grossed me out, he and Donna had like a normal relationship. Nothing bad really happened there. He wasn't beaten there. He wasn't doing anything crazy. So I can't. You can't hate the guy too much for that. But You're the next guy, yeah. I definitely, uh, you know, and I think I think the next guy was on purpose. <laughs> Danny Chase. Mm. First appearance, New Teen Titans Annual, Volume 2, Number 3. Uh, he gets compared a lot to Cousin Oliver from the Brady Bunch, and he, he looks a lot like him, Absolutely, too. Absolutely, yeah. uh, He is... It's weird, because like, they have... When Jump the Shark used to be a thing, I don't even know if it still is a thing. I don't know if people who listen might even know what that is anymore. I don't even know. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it's when a TV show goes bad. And uh, one of the... Uh, Tropes is the Cousin Oliver effect, where a show is starting to lose ratings and people aren't watching it anymore, so uh, they introduce a new character, a cute kid, or they have a kid. And so they did that on the Brady Bunch with Cousin Oliver, and mm-hmm. they seemed to do that in Teen Titans with Danny Chase. Only Danny Chase was, like, the most revolting thing on the planet. There was more he, to it, though, too. Like, he, you know, it turned out to be a much larger story arc with him. You know, there was, there was a, a plan in the works with Danny. Yes. I think he was always supposed to be... Annoying. The, the reader yeah. was oh, never yeah. supposed to like and temporary. him. And temporary. And temporary, uh, exactly. Because he, uh, he got kicked off the Titans uh, right after a death in the family when Jason Todd died. Uh, Nightwing and like, we, the we rest. We can't have kids. Yeah, we can't, we can't do this. He was movies. away. Right. Yeah, he was away. He was away from. They were. They were fighting. No, what were they doing? They were doing the what, what is one? Who is Wonder Girl story? Okay. So they were facing off with gods, and I was falling asleep. <laughs> they came back, and uh, Nightwing finds out that Jason Todd died, and Danny Chase makes this really obnoxious comment about how weak Danny, uh, how weak Jason Todd must oh, have been, wow. or how bad a hero he was. And Nightwing like throws him up against the wall. It looks like he's going to beat the crap out of him, and then finally kicks him off the team. So uh, I don't need gone. you. I don't need the Titans. I don't need anybody. You know, yeah. who's I that didn't ask to be born. What a jerk! Uh, but that was his thing. You know what I mean? You were yeah. definitely supposed to dislike him. So in a way, whereas disliking Terry is just because of your bigotry against curly-haired men. Danny would have actually been an effectively, you know, annoying character. And uh, for sure, I gotta say, I mean, to to write a character that kind of annoying writing and not just 
for speaking <laughs> is pretty good. I got to say, you did a good job. Yeah. Because uh, because you can't always just you know put your thumb over that his, his that panel if you don't want to look at it. Yes. Um. And now we're gonna wrap up. We talked about a little bit throughout. Uh, we kind of have different different but similar opinions on this one. Uh, mm. For me, I don't want to see any more comic book organizations aside from Shield, who uh, debuted in Strange Tales one thirty five August nineteen sixty five cover date. Or on the DC side, we can have. Suicide Squad and Star Labs, and they can also go into Cadmus, and Shield can also have maybe one other stepchild also, but, hmm. uh, you know, there, there's there's like 90 different groups running around. Now, you don't feel Back the same way about okay. Shield. Let's, let's talk about Shield first. Shield back in the day is okay. Yeah. I don't mind Shield back in the day. After... very sparingly. Because it was. It yeah. was very sparingly. Uh, then Secret War happened, singular. It was a Brian Bendis uh, story from the mid-2000s where they introduced a character named Maria Hill. Right. Who uh, took over for Nick Fury and became the head of S.H.I.E.L.D. And from that point on, Maria Hill and S.H.I.E.L.D. appeared in, I want to say, 90% of Marvel's books every single well, th- week. Well, that to me is 100% synergy with the movies. That's what that is. Uh, they, I, I believe it. Yeah, I, I, I know. I know you have. I don't know what you what you've seen or not. I've not seen any of them. The Marvel yeah. movies hinge on Shield essentially being the liaison between, like, not even just the government, but like between like normal humans and superheroes. You know, that, but that's that, not fun to read. Um, it, it's it just goes on. You know what I mean? It's. The, the thing when, about... I, when when something when when something is coming to destroy New York, right? And Captain America has to stop everything. Call Maria Hill yes. and ask for permission yes. to act. That is stupid. Kiss my ass with that. Yeah. I know. Yeah. That 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 negates. It's like, well, then this is just a an arm of the military. Uh, yeah. T- to me, when you bring in these government agencies in a, in mm-hmm. a story, it should denote something extra has happened. You know, yes. Spider-Man not a typical uh, story, yeah. on his day-to-day Spider-Man, he beats up the Scorpion and he doesn't need to get anybody else involved. When a big thing happens, that's when you, you know, you call the cops, you call the, 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 <laughs> the uh, you know, Air Force, whatever. Uh, but now, I mean, shield helicarriers. I mean, that used to be such a huge thing. Oh, wow, the shield helicarrier is coming in. It'd be like the Watcher and the shield helicarrier. There's something huge on the Something other, huge is, is happening. Now they might take the helicarrier out to the drive-in and go watch, uh, you know, <laughs> e- a rerun of E.T. or whatever. It's, 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 they've taken all the onus away from it. Uh, yeah. my, my only thing, like, I guess it doesn't have to be shield, but pick mm-hmm. one. Stick with one. Sure. You know what I mean? There doesn't. You know what I mean? I understand that that in the true government there are plenty of agencies, but, but that's it, not fun to read about. It, 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 <laughs> it confuses me in real life, so I don't need to be confused in my comic uh, about all of the different agencies. And real quick, just want to go through some of these because uh, it's just they go on and on. We got armor. That's altered reality monitoring uh, and operational rescue. That's a Marvel Zombies thing from number one, December two thousand eight. Marvel Zombies three. Um, really not more to say. It's from Marvel Zombies, therefore it's stupid. Yep. Uh, <laughs> F- FI6 uh, and, and from Excalibur 49, April 92 cover. And then, of course, M113 from New Excalibur 1, January 2006. It's like, just pick M- M16, right? Is, <laughs> is that illegal? You, you can't get the rights to that? Look, what's wrong with you? You have to have two... Different fake M16s. Fake. Yeah. To pick pick one fake X, M, M16. Uh, you want to go out and grab any of these? Uh, we got Hammer, H-A-M-M-E-R, an acronym that 
does it stand for anything? Does it stand for anything at all that I know of? <laughs> Secret Evasion number eight, January 2009. We have ONE1, the Office of National Emergency. They showed up in Hausa M the day after January 2006. This is right after all the mutants lost their powers. Uh-huh. And there were only 187 mutants left. And they were they became kind of like a protected species. And there were sentinels, because this is the, the ONE, they are like a sentinel squad. Uh-huh. And they have... Uh, they had like the entire Xavier school surrounded by sentinels. Uh, it was lame. That could that could <laughs> really lame. shield make that shield. Like what the hell? Right? You know what I mean? Like we gotta have another group, another uh, ONE. You know what I mean? And they just wanted right. to use the word one as an acronym. That's all this. Yeah, that's I, all this is. They even had a they had a miniseries that was called Sentinel Squad One. Oh my God! Why would you want to read a book like that? Yeah, really. That's a, that really sounds like a manual to me. You know. Oh. Uh, still, still hanging at Marvel. We got uh, oh no, it's, yeah, this is Marvel. Yeah, right? yeah. Stars, Superhuman Tactical Activities Response Squad. That was in Maximum Security Number One, November two thousand. That was a Resident Evil group, and uh, one per customer. You know what I mean? Once they used it, they salted the ground. Don't <laughs> don't take it. And, and as I recall, like the the name of Stars Resident Evil isn't even that much different, right? Isn't it like it's not superhuman, but it's like. Tactical something response oh, something like this like it's not it's not that way off it's it's you know so it's like come on guys uh, and of course superhuman restraint unit Civil mm, oh S R U yeah my favorite yeah uh, yeah superhuman restraint unit you mean like shield what can it just be shield why not shield Anti- like I don't understand <laughs> <laughs> and they they came from Civil War number one May right. two thousand six yeah so we also a, have another sh- another bad uh, origin location we- yeah. <laughs> We have SWORD, S-W-O-R-D. This is the Sentient World Observation and Response Department. They first appeared in Astonishing X-Men, Volume 3, Number 6, December 2004. This is a Joss Whedon thing. I was going to say, that was a Whedon thing, right? He it was. Like, was. I'm not which, using S.H.I.E.L.D. I'm using and, this one, you know? And and the thing about this is, I mentioned Maria Hill earlier. Around the same time, they, int- they introduced Abigail Brand, who ran SWORD, and then also... Uh, Victoria Hand, who ran another one of these things. I think it was the Magia. But they're the same character. They're just snarky women. With, it's, ver- it's, with very waspy names, too. What the hell's up yeah, with that? They're, and it's, and it, they're all very, very snarky. That's their entire character trait is snark. That's kind of why I was worried about Bendis coming on to Superman, because I was afraid that Lois was going to turn into a Maria Hill snark bot. Well, if you see Lois change her name to Eleanor Covington, then you know that something... <laughs> Something is going to change in that comic very drastically. Uh, the, uh, very stupid one, WHO, the Weird Happenings Organization. That's another Claremont uh, magic piece. Excalibur 9, June 1989. It's just a shitty name, really. I mean, that's all I have to say about it. It just sucks. Yeah. And also, the World Health Organization might have something to say about yeah, that use, but prob- more likely, they don't know or care. They, they probably want the URL back. Uh, you know what? I'm not. I'm not going to reveal this next. I'm not going to do the next one because that, that's one of my least ones. But what I definitely hate is the magia. The magia. The magia. <laughs> what would you s- soft or hard G with that? Uh, <laughs> Avengers 13, February 65. Just come on. It's the mafia. Just say the mafia. What's a, and I understand probably you know Stanley didn't want to say the mafia because he actually was sure. dealing with the mafia, but. We got to do something better than the Magia. That sucks. You know what I mean? That's just a lame cop out name, and uh, I don't. I'm not with it. I'm not. I'm not taking it. Uh, no. Now we're gonna kick it over to DC. You started off, Chris. We have Apes, A P E S, All Purpose Enforcement Squad from Young Justice Number One. That was September 1998. 
Now, this team, it might surprise you, but it's not actually compi- comprised of uh, apes or gorillas or that's any simians, really. Yeah, that's my main yeah. problem with it. What are you going to call an, an apes squad with no apes? When DC has plenty of sentient gorillas, I guess that's the other thing, too. It's like, I know there's no shortage. You yeah, know, you yeah they're Hala, there. You've right. got Grodd. you got so many people that could be on it. But that that's also an issue. That's a Peter David uh, story. Yes. And uh, he also introduced a Fightin' Mad, a guy whose last name was Fight, F-I-T-E, and a guy whose last name was Mad, M-A-D-D. That same issue, so, uh, right? yeah. Yeah, so that is a... As we know, Peter David, Peter David loves, stuff. loves to name his stuff, you know, let me tell you. Silly. Yes, very <laughs> silly. Uh, CBI, the Central Bureau of Intelligence, showed up in T-Titans Volume 2, Annual Number 3. 1987 was the year. Uh, just use the CIA. There's nothing wrong with or that. Or the we, FBI. Well, or the FBI. Like you, you want to do both. Yeah. Like why? Why do? Why are we playing footsie with both these organizations? Just go. Just go with one. You've created a third organization <laughs> for no reason. It's ridiculous. <laughs> True. We got a checkmate. Now they are from checkmate number one, April 1988. I, uh, it always bored me. I've never uh, understood uh, what the hell the deal is with these guys, why they matter, or, you know what I mean? Like, what is the, it, what makes them different than whatever, you know? So, anybody, yeah. Any, it, any it, other it, government agency. I don't really understand why they have a special... They had a long-running series, too. I don't. A really, couple of them. It's yeah. so boring. I don't really understand. And, they, uh, and like, they'd always bring, like, uh, their civilian characters or their civilian-ish characters, and they'd, like, put them in there, like... Uh, Sasha Bordeaux, Batman's old uh, bodyguard, right, right, Bruce right. Wayne's old bodyguard. She joined up. Uh, Maxwell Lord showed up in there. I believe Vostok, um, Valentina Vostok was in there for a minute. No, I, maybe. I think you're right. Yeah. I think you're right. And and it would surprise. I'm actually surprised they haven't brought this one back because of how agency like everything has become in comics. It's true. Where I'm really surprised that you know in what like Forever Evil we didn't get a panel of checkmate looking at a bank of monitors or something, but. Uh, uh, it's a boring, dull, dull, boring stuff. If they maybe they'll show up in one of the television shows, and then we'll get another run. I'm sure. <laughs> uh, Chris, I'm just going to run down the last of these because we are sure. running a little long here. We got the DEO, Department of Extra Normal Operations, showed up Batman 550, January 1998. Are they really? I mean, is this really necessary in a world that already has the Suicide Squad, the superfluous thing? Uh, Night Watch and Superman, Batman number five, and Stormwatch. Not that one at all. That that was like uh, a secret policing agency just for Batman, in the government. It was it was very stupid. Uh, Stormwatch one, nineteen ninety three. This they folded into the DCU officially in two thousand eleven. For what reason? Like why? Another another group of guys that watch they watch reality, and the Justice League watches the Earth from a satellite. Just yeah. just give the the reality watching to the Justice League. You know, we'll uh, <laughs> consolidate. Hive, the hierarchy of international vengeance and extermination. New T Titans number two, December nineteen eighty. I don't care what anyone says. This is just DC trying to play uh, AIM, Marvel's AIM. You know that that's all that is to them. Yeah. Uh, Cobra Cult from Cobra One, February seventy six. Uh, I only accept the lead via Cobra Commander from GI like Joe. Cobra. That's it. Uh, also another another boring one, like a superfluous. Group, you know what I mean? Like, you got the League of Assassins. I like the one guy. I like the one guy, Cobra. The 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 the, uh, the main guy, right? Yeah, the uh, guy who was called Cobra. The one who was Cobra. The rest of them is just like I'm here's some, some dispensable guys. Uh, they've been they've yep. showed up in Suicide Squad, and then the guy that's actually around a team that's around now more recently is yep. Night Force. Uh, and I say Shade and Justice League Dark is probably too much. Plenty. 
Uh, yeah, we don't need that many people on the fringes. These magic te- teams of magic esoteric yeah. types, we don't need that many, I think. So no. uh, that wraps it up. Sorry to come real fast at the end, but we are running, I think, longer than I'd like to be for this uh, type of a thing. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> but I had a good time with it, and I bet we could come up with uh, other characters if we really plumb the depths of our minds. Oh, know. I'm sure we could. I got to say, I, I, I had a little trouble because a lot of characters, there are a lot that I'd like a lot. And then there are a lot that I don't really like, but I'm not really mad at. I don't really, you know what I mean? Like it was tough. Because to, a lot of them are just the, that they're boring. They're just boring. So it's, yeah, it's tough to work up an, an emotion about them. Uh, I'd like to do a list also of characters that we really love one day. How about that? I think we could do that. That'd be a nice sister uh, episode to this one. Sister, for sure. sister. Uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe in the near future we'll uh, try to come up with a, a list of the ones that really are meaningful to us and find yeah. out why. That'd be a cool one. But uh, that will do us for this episode of Comics Talk. Uh, thanks again to Jeremiah for the suggestion. Uh, yes. You can go see his blog. He's got the best blog URL uh, on the internet. It's comicscomicscomics.blog. <laughs> so go check that out. It's easy to remember. And uh, thank you to all of our patrons. Uh, we hope, or patrons, uh, we hope you enjoy yes. this show. If you have any other ideas you want us to cover, things you want us to do or talk about, we're willing to hear any suggestions. And. Mm-hmm. Uh, just sure. leave it leave it in the post after this or whatever you find convenient. Um, got anything yeah, else to share your uh, share your least favorite characters here, or if you disagree with some of ours, uh, definitely let us know. Uh, let us know what's up. Let us know uh, why you feel differently than we do, and uh, or or if you want to pile on to uh, poor Terry Long, uh, feel free to do that as well. If you could convince Chris that the Spectre doesn't suck. You will have oh, done. Boy. You will have done an amazing thing. So I'll, uh, I'll send you. A, I'll send you a copy of the Spectre during Genesis. Ooh, yeah. Look at that. So <laughs> uh, that 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 is your mission, uh, patrons, to try to do that. But if you can't, then that's that's all right too. So thanks again, everybody. I uh, hope you enjoy. We'll be back with another, another episode of Comics Talk this month. But until then, enjoy yourselves. See ya. Welcome back to Comics Talk number four. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a patron-only show, so hello to our beautiful and intelligent patrons. Absolutely. Uh, this this episode, this is actually something Chris and I talk about uh, off the air quite a bit. We've talked, we've had several conversations along these lines. Yep. Uh, 
partly based on research, but a lot based on our own experiences. In There's some research too, yeah. So exactly, <laughs> you know, uh, it's 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 kind of a it's kind of an interesting thing, and it's uh, we'll see where this conversation goes because it sure could spin out, couldn't it, Chris? Let me tell you, <laughs> absolutely could. But I would call this uh, we would call this completionism, right? The, the the sure need to collect to complete to completion. I guess that that's the broadest way to put it because. Uh, there, there are different types of completionism in comics too. You know, there, certainly there are. You know, people that want every comic ever printed, and that is what we call <laughs> the, the the fool's errand. But you know, the you, fringe. But, yes. But you know, Chris <laughs> wants to have every X Men comic uh, up to a certain date and going back to the beginning. Sure. So that that he, that would be a complete run. Some people would say every Stanley and Kirby comic you know there, there are a lot of ways every marvel comic you know there are a lot of ways you, you can break it down but any sure. any aspect of that i would say would be you know that's what we're talking about of the need the drive to quote unquote complete your comics collection and uh we're gonna go kind of butterfly effect with this of how it all started i think i think so um it, it really it really did kind of begin and i you know without intention and uh, with All-Star Comics number three, which had a winter 1940 cover date, this is the first meeting of the Justice Society of America, and that's also the title of the story, by Gardner Fox and Everett E. Hibbard. Uh, this was an anthology-style issue. Uh, they had these narrative bits that more or less bookended it. I think I forget how often they popped up. Um, but essentially every individual character on the Justice Society went off on their own separate little adventure. Uh but you know that that would all come together to for some. I don't. I don't remember what happened in this issue, quite frankly. Well, they weren't. They this, they weren't teaming together in the issue. It was just they were having a meeting and telling about their own solo adventure. So that's all so, this one was. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, so they weren't out on their own. They they weren't having like a combined adventure at this point. In, in the in the in the future, it was always it was always the same thing though. In the future, it would be you know we need these seven spools of Sarabom. Yes. Everyone go forth, and they happen to be at seven corners of the world. Everyone go forth and get all historical and cultural facts incorrect as we collect the, <laughs> uh, you know, the items we need. So, but that was but the, the point being though, they were on their own separate adventures. They weren't they yes. weren't fighting together. But uh, this was evidence because they were meeting that they occupied these heroes were in the same universe, and not just the national periodicals, the DC characters, but their kind of step cousin. All American, twice removed, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, publications. That was Max Gaines' outfit, which had uh, the the accountant for National was the co-owner of that. So there was there was definitely a little collusion there. But that's how you got like you know Green Lantern on the same team with uh, Batman and Superman and stuff like that. And uh, this uh, is the, the Golden Age Adam and uh, uh, who was an All American character and Batman. They were invited to that meeting, but they could not make it. That's that's yeah. That's an interesting little footnote, you know what I mean? That does bring in continuity as if, like, they were... Uh, They're in the same universe. They could be contacted, exactly. Yeah. And, and I would say that this did kick off the idea of completionism, because now you're, you're branching off your characters. Say you're a huge Wonder Woman fan. Well, you're going to have to get some of these JSA issues or uh, All-Star issues... Mm-hmm. I think she shows up in issue nine or something like this. She's she's there, yeah. Oh, she's there in the beginning, or I, I, I believe I, she's in the uh, that round table image she, that uh, that I, kicked it off. I think she was the secretary first or something. But whatever, <laughs> I think so. Whatever it is, you uh, you know, you you you're collecting her now. You're collecting uh, the all star issues, and now maybe you're like, oh well, now I got to get all the guys that are an all star, you know, and and mm-hmm. you know, you start to get 
really kind of wrapped up in this fictional universe. Uh, we've talked before about Roy Thomas's attempt to get all of these issues. Remember, uh, who got him? Before? Was it Roy Thomas got him first? It wasn't. It was Jerry no, Bales no, Roy, got him first. Jerry Bales got him, and Roy right. Thomas contacted. Uh, What's his face? Well, first it was Julius Schwartz, but then he kicked him over to Gil. And then he booted him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, who, who then kicked him over to Jerry Bales, and that's how the, yeah. the like early comics fandom happened uh, right there because they were trying to get these back issues. Uh, and as a matter of fact, Jerry Bales had already bought Gil Kane's bound back issues. All-star run. Which I'd love yeah. to see that. You know what I mean? That must be oh, insane. That'd be amazing. I assume those still exist, actually. I mean, geez. They almost have to, yeah. <laughs> well, I would have put uh... them in the vaults, you know, geez. <laughs> But with this organized comics fandom now, uh, it's also not only organized but also somewhat rabid. So you needed a back issue market because, you know, there was only so much to read every month. You wanted to find out where everything came from. So uh, that market, we discussed the whole uh, newsstand and uh, direct market distribution. But uh, well, just uh, quick and dirty here. It started as a very small outfit in the 1950s with people trading comics through uh, the zine culture. Uh, it started with mail order outfits, kind of like Robert Bell's and Howard Rajovsky's, mm-hmm. and uh, then it would grow into something that would, you know, fill stores. So you'd have things like uh, Chuck Rosansky, a mile high, who uh, specialized in back issues, and uh, you'd see him advertise in comics throughout the Bronze and Modern Age with uh, just tremendous lists of comics right. you could buy. There's, there's, uh, this crossover here between mail order and retail operation, obviously, for sure. too. They, they, they yeah. did both. You had to do it. Absolutely. Um, now, you know, if we jump from the Golden Age, uh, where that had that rabid fandom into the Silver Age, we could jump to Brave and the Bold number 28, March 1960, cover date. Story title was The Justice League of America by Gardner Fox again and uh, Mike Sikowski. And, you know, you figure it worked in the Golden Age, putting the group of heroes together, so give it a go in the Silver Age. Mm-hmm. Um now, after a decade of superheroes being personas with capes non grata on the newsstand uh, that we discussed at length during our Comics Code Authority series, DC Comics' Julius Schwartz decided to revisit some old properties and give them a fresh new sci-fi 60s coat of paint. Mm-hmm. If we go over to Grant Morrison's book Super Gods, he'd refer to this new breed of hero, which would include uh, guys like Hal Jordan and Barry Allen. He'd call them the Kennedy Men and say that they use their wits instead of their fists, but uh, they also use their fists a whole heck of a lot. Too. But there always there always was a lot of I have to admit a lot of like I'm trapped in a you know a lot of Batman type scenarios where these characters a lot of planning would, and, would be trapped yeah. in like a, a a bin and they'd have to break out or use like use their wit. wits. Yeah. That was I think that was part of Julius Schwartz's like and I know more Weisinger like that too. He liked to like write stories about Superman where he didn't he couldn't use any of his powers for whatever reason. Usually the most yeah. contrived, stupid reasons, but you know <laughs> Of course. Reasons, but so. clever cleverness abounded either way. Either way, they had to <laughs> use his brain somehow. Now in Brave and the Bowl twenty eight, I mean I'm I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with this, the top stars of DC or National Comics would come together as the Justice League. Uh, continuity wasn't what it would become but it was definitely on firmer ground than during the golden age. Uh, And also like as a way uh, you hear people talk about like they could only afford one comic. So they'd get the one with all the heroes in it rather than, you know, if you, if you wanted to read Superman, yeah, Superman was there in a couple of books, but if you wanted everyone plus Superman, you'd buy justice league, uh, which (laughs) we were talking just off the air where this whole funneling into one kind of, kind of backfired and, Mm -hmm. 
made it so people who read Justice League wanted to read the solo adventures of all the characters. So, in you know, instead of inverting it, it just blew out into another potential avenue for completionism. Yeah, I likened it to the New York City subway and a lot of a lot of different <laughs> transit that those are always built in areas of high density, trying to you know funnel people out to the. Suburbs, but all it ever does is bring people closer to transit. They just everyone wants to move around the uh, convenience of it, and yep. uh, this is the you know the uh, you know same kind of thing. I guess you know they they come to the convenience of Brave and the Bold or the, or of Justice League, and they uh, get sucked into the Flash and all that other stuff. So it's uh yeah you know continuity is creeping in, but I will yeah. I, you know at this point if you're collecting every issue of even Superman or Action Comics or Pretty much any of the DC comics, you're doing it out of your. You've already got that collector's bug in you because there's no serialized mm-hmm. story. You know, you know, you know what I mean. Yeah. You're not doing it for on a story sense where you're getting a compounded. Thing it's not like a on. soap opera yet. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sometimes you know I've been reviewing every other week now the Lois Lane books, uh, and sometimes they'll refer to you know remember Lois Lane did X Y and Z uh, before, but they almost never mention the issue. Like it's just irrelevant. They don't even you know what I mean. <laughs> Yeah, it's not necessary to to read it to get what's going on. Exactly. Yeah, they're, exactly. they're not trying to get yeah. you. They, they don't care about you going back to read an old comic. They're just telling you that she has whatever an explosive hairpin, and that's what whatever it is. And then sure. that might be contradicted in the same issue. So it's that that's where comics were for a long time of just like they had no expectation that you would ever want to even have two comics in your household. Right, yeah, you get the new one, throw the old one away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it, of course, it really kicked off uh, the Marvel Age, is what brought continuity in. That would be uh, Fantastic Four, number one, November nineteen sixty one, cover date. That was uh, titled "The Fantastic Four by Stan and Jack. Uh, and only a year and a change later, Marvel decided to create a team book of their own and wound up kicking off a whole new universe. But not that new universe. Don't don't get it uh-huh. mistaken here. That was much later. Uh, yeah, uh, it was Avengers number one, September nineteen sixty three. That it would be coming of the Avengers by also by Stan and Jack. And hey, worked for the Justice League. So Marvel said, "Let me do. Let's do a Me Too." And uh, had their two characters that starred in their own titles uh, or shared their titles with another hero. They had a lot of those split books for reasons yeah. that we're not even going to get into now. But we have <laughs> talked about having to do their distribution. Uh, and then jamming them into a team book, and it worked very well. Uh, and mm-hmm. in the same way uh, that, you know, it worked for the Justice League, but even better, in a sense, because their yeah. storytelling was much more cohesive and continuity was tighter. There were editorial fo- footnotes telling readers what comics to go reference. That was huge. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, yeah. Those footnotes, people lived in those footnotes for, you know, even in our childhoods. That was everything. Sure. That, that was your timeline, your 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 lifeline to comics history. Uh, you know, you might have Spider-Man swing by in an issue of FF, and a footnote would tell you to to what issue to pick up in order to follow him where he's where yeah. he was it's going. Like, where's also. he headed? Pick up yada 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 and find out. But so now now we're seeing though, purposeful, right? Yeah. This, mm-hmm. this is this is them try trying to get you to collect to buy. This is comics. selling, yeah. And and that's not you know that is a I think a totally normal and fine thing to do. But for it, sure, it's important. I think the distinction is it was you know the 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 consequence of collecting before now was kind of unintended. They never looked at these as things you would ever want to keep around your house for more than you know the the time it took to read them. Yeah, uh, Marvel was changing that, uh, and and you know we we've talked about also the other. 
uh, sign of continuity was Marvel FF Annual One, right? Was that where or two was it with the wedding? Where they got wedding, well, yeah. But yeah. Uh, but but the Avengers was much more of a make you want to spin out, make you want to buy other comics kind of. Kind yeah, because they all—all I mean? all those characters had their own titles, exactly. or or you could find them somewhere else. You you weren't going to find you know Reed Richards <laughs> yeah, number exactly. three. They, it, was, it was only going to be there, and like and like the, those other characters, they just attended the wedding. They didn't really. There wasn't like they weren't telling you to go check them out in other books sure. or anything. Sure. Uh, but yeah, if you so... were reading all of them, it was a heck of an Easter egg, and it was probably a revelation of sorts to see all those characters occupying the same the same airspace. I, mean, I, I can just, only imagine. Just hearing from people and reading their accounts, it was it really was a revelation. It, it was it was akin to like finding out that your characters inhabited like a Lord of the Rings style. Sure, living Tapestry. universe. You know yeah. what I mean, and uh, <laughs> I can see that being incredibly exciting, especially in the way that it was revealed. It sort of, you know, uh, uh-huh. it sort of came at you uh, little by little, and then boom, hey, we're on a team together, and we occupy the same space. And uh, I think that really did shock a lot of people, and definitely got people into a mindset of, I have to have every Marvel comic. I can't miss one. Because the mm-hmm. stories continue in other issues, you know what I mean? Like if I, you know, so oh, now, yeah. now it's not just I'm a fan of Batman, so I get those comics plus Justice League. It's I got to get every Marvel comic, anything with a Marvel logo on it, so I can make sure to follow every story thread as it goes. Oh yeah, yeah, and uh, that led to a term called uh, Marvel Zombies. And uh, when we say that, we're not talking about those, you know, Skate Eight Hundred horror <laughs> comics that Marvel put out over the past decade with that uh, with a uh, with those wonderful homage covers only featuring zombies. That's right. But uh, we're talking about a term coined sometime. We're guessing because if you search for Marvel Zombies right now online, you're not going to find the term. <laughs> You're no, only going to no. find those books. But uh, we're assuming it was probably mid to late 70s, right? That the term Marvel yeah, Zombies. Yeah, I've actually heard Liefeld say that he was a Marvel zombie in 78, you know, like he, when, he was, okay. uh, when he was a little kid. Uh, I don't know, you know, you didn't get a. You didn't get an ID card, so that might be no. him just subscribing it to himself or whatever. But <laughs> I believe it going back, I think it went back to even the mid to late 70s, yeah. I'd figure, yeah. And this would describe folks who would blindly gobble up all of Marvel's output, just like we were saying here. You got to get them all. You got to follow everything. And uh, and usually it's said somewhat derogatory, uh, like dismissively. Uh, uh-huh. uh, the first time that I'd actually heard the term was probably in the mid-90s, and it was from a couple of people dressed all in black buying Vertigo books. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, they, uh, they mentioned something about Marvel zombies, and I didn't know what the hell they were talking about, but... Uh, I figure they're probably today taking their kids to see all the Marvel movies anyway. So. Being a Marvel zombie yourself at the time, you were oh absolutely, you took absolutely. At this. I gotta say, in my memory in the '80s was it was a it was a badge of honor. Uh, sure, sure. You know, and, and again though, this is we talk we we probably go into this more as we go and talk about it more. But Chris and I are talking about a time where you could be a Marvel zombie or a DC zombie, and like. Pretty much afford it on most any decent salary. Not even any salary. Any not salary, an like like an it would, allowance. It would be like uh, you know twenty, thirty bucks maybe. By then, I'm talking now. By late, we're going late nineties, you know. But in the eighties, early on, even and definitely in the seventies, and like twenty bucks a month you're spending for every Marvel comic. It's not that yeah. crazy. It's not. It's not like it's you know you're you're, you're choosing between food and uh, comics. You're choosing between <laughs> beer and comics, which I think is a fair a choice to make. You know that that's sure. Fine. It's, it's uh, your your disposal your dispensable income. Exactly. Uh, you know that's yeah. that's where you want to put it. But uh, as we'll talk about probably later, it's the situation is quite different today. 
It is, it yeah. is. And uh, like you said, they do sometimes take it as a badge of honor, which is sometimes annoying, like, like kind of the way how we're all proud of being nerds and geeks right. nowadays. Sometimes it can so, go the other way, yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah, it, it gets a little bit cute. Uh, now, if we jump over to the direct market, uh, you know, the days of the newsstand, it wasn't always easy to be a completionist because, you know, we did discuss this in our direct market series. Distribution on the newsstands was anything but scientific, you right. know. You'd get the, the books that they know would sell, and then it's like, okay, fill in the rest with mm. whatever you got. So you were by no means guaranteed one of everything. Uh, then the direct market hits and the emergence of comic specialty stores, you know, that really helped the compulsive co- collector get them all. But at the same time, it wasn't guaranteed still. Right. Because, uh, you know, during the, the crazier days of the comic speculation era, we're talking like late 80s through early to mid 90s, books were like literally flying off shelves. So uh, if you didn't have a hold box, which at the time was a luxury you'd probably have to pay for. Yeah. You might be forced to travel to several comic shops to collect your bounty, but uh, luckily, you know, they, they seem to be opening up, like, on every corner back then. <laughs> but, <laughs> it's true. Uh, it is true. But still, you weren't guaranteed, and, and I can speak from, you know, personal experience. You weren't guaranteed to get everything you wanted, and uh, that would lead to, you know, into the back issue bins. Uh, they didn't keep books on shelves the way they do now. You know, right. if they were a week or two old, they were... A, in the bins marked up already. So. Often well marked up, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <time>. absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Either on the wall or in the bins, and you're paying that premium uh, for not getting there quick enough. So if you were a completionist, you were paying for the uh, for the luxury of being a completionist by having a box or by paying inflated prices on anything you might have missed. And you had to and you had to be mobile. You had to get out there. I mean, this is something with sure. still a hangover from the newsstand going on into the 90s where uh, you know, and that's what makes those comics uh, you know, people want to get people search for them because they were kind of catch as catch can, less so as you go, you know, obviously into the direct market, but Sure. Those newsstand days, you hear stories about guys like, you know, on Comics Day, they had to hit five different candy stores because they knew one guy would always have whatever, this comic. And the other guy, he would always, you know, he'd always have the other one they wanted. So it it, it really was uh, an adventure. I don't know. I don't know really how to put it, but there there was a whole uh, collecting thing to it. Like, you know, you're always in the bins. That's that's the, that's where you. Do your you ply your hobby, we'll say, or whatever. I'm uh, telling you, there's a there's like a part of by me least, script you know. in this. <laughs> you <think It's> like <laughs> a... <laughs> you want to see a dead comic, you know that. <laughs> uh, no, but I, I, you know, you, yeah, you, I mean, you're, you're you're in the bins, but there is nowadays a, uh, and we're kind of we're going to start getting into it now. The modern way of collecting is really very passive, uh, and. Yeah. You know, we talked about hold boxes. Also, these are called pull boxes, pull lists. I don't want anyone sure. to get confused. They're all the same. The same thing. Uh, after that boom period we talked about, this would have been going 97-ish or something like this. Comics retailers had to curb their orders. They're no longer buying 1,000 copies of, uh, you know, foil oh, cover issue, number yeah. one. <laughs> Whatever it is. <laughs> and uh, they can no longer count on speculators to wander in and just buy 50 copies off the street of the latest issue of Youngblood or X-Men, which you actually saw someone do for... For Spawn number one. For Spawn yeah. number one, right? They're walking yep. off the street and buy 50, uh, mm-hmm. or try to buy 50. I, tried to buy 50, yeah. And he was, the guy was like, oh, no, buddy, I'm, I'm piecing these out. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, these prices are going up as my quantity decreases. <laughs> Yeah, uh, we're just, in we're in crunch pricing that's right exactly now. Exactly, probably that's a, <laughs> I can guarantee that's what happened. 
Mm-hmm. And so now, as such, whole boxes were offered for free and often with a discount, which is really where they are today. Most places, most comic yeah. stores will offer you a whole box. And I think it's a 20%. Depends on the yeah, place. I've heard all. It either things. cancels out the tax or maybe goes a little bit higher. Yeah. Right. Right. And uh, you know, it's. I'll be honest. If you are a comic, comics fan here, the, your assumed guaranteed patronage was worth it when retailers were struggling to keep the lights on. Then they, they were willing to give you a break. Some of them do request that you put down a card. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. it's, the smart ones. Yeah, they were the smart ones. <laughs> but but, they, but to be honest, a lot of them don't because they can't afford to. Not get something, you know what I mean? Like not have sure. some kind of clue of what to order. Yeah. Uh, and now, a completionist really could order one of everything and even do so at a discount. So that's this, when I did it. Which is what you have done. Uh-huh. Oh, well, you, that's when I started. So you had right. a you had a, a hold box at one time. Yeah, I got a because it was like a, it was one, another one of those revelations because we moved out to to Arizona in the late nineties and uh, I wandered into a. Uh, ramshackle comic shop uh the the first one i ever went into out here and i look in the bins and like nothing's bagged and boarded and uh, I, i'm the last time i think i was in a comic shop was probably 95 ish and uh and i was you know i was accustomed to going in and there'd be the bins bagged boarded everything with a price tag on it sure. so i asked the guy i'm like oh how much are those he's like he's like cover price i'm like but those are like a couple years old he's like yeah cover price wow What's going on here? Right. And uh, and we, uh, you know, I got to talking to him, and I started up a hold box because he's like, "Hey, do you want a hold box?" I'm like, oh, "How much?" And he's and he said like fifteen percent. I'm like, I'm "Like fifteen percent of what?" He's like, "No, no." <laughs> he's like, uh, "He's like, no, no. It's fifteen percent discount if you if you sign up for like ten comics a month. If you go for like twenty comics a month, it's up to twenty percent. So it was, you know, prorated uh, right. uh, percentage, which makes sense. I think that's it does. Barrier. It does. And uh, and I was shocked because I I was I was accustomed to be back home where it's like okay you want a hold box yeah that's uh that's twenty bucks a year or Absolutely. fifty bucks a yeah. year mm-hmm. or twenty bucks a month if in you know the headier time and, but, and, uh, and that that did not guarantee that the comics in that box were were cover price either often they would also still true. Ja- they would also still juice them up for what they thought they could get. For what they, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You just guaranteed an issue, not a price. Right. But uh, yeah, so I was, you know, just bamboozled, <laughs> and it was like, mm-hmm. oh, I, I can actually try more books now. So it came to a point where I was a Marvel zombie, one of everything of Marvel. And then, uh, although, uh, my, you know, although if I have my Chris timeline right, that's roughly around the time you started to peak a little bit at DC, right? Late nineties, isn't that when yes, you started? Yes, absolutely. To yeah, because. Take a little uh, sniff on the other side of the fence because I guess it was so easy. You were like, "Why the hell not?" Exactly. Yeah, because I started. Uh, I started working full time, and uh, that was around the time of uh, No Man's Land. Oh, okay. And I'm and I'm like, okay, so I can grab a couple of Batman books, and I see them all having that caution tape on the right, edge, right. and I'm like, well, I need all of them, right? Yeah, yeah. So it was all the Batman books were in there. Then it's all the Superman books are in there, and and all of a sudden it became I was a one of everything. Wow, both you, you, Marvel and DC. They really got you with a, the No Man's Land is a big boy. You you just jumped into. I'd say that's that's close oh, yeah. to like DC's Clone Saga in scope as far as like number of issues. So many pages. Yeah. So many pages, and they, and they all were part of this uh, crossover they was absolutely. like absolutely nothing felt like it was a uh, totally nothing felt like it didn't matter right exactly there, there were there were definitely some we call them vignette issues but they were sure. all uh part of the you know the the mood of the whole thing so oh yeah yeah you got roped in there i you know i tried having a pull box uh a few years back it didn't really it didn't really work for my lifestyle you know what i'm saying chris <laughs> i'm just not that 
<laughs> no, I'm not that kind of guy to be packing uh, single issues into into. I'm not. I just don't collect them like that. That's all there is sure. to it. So, um, but going back to that boom period and even before it, the comics industry, like we we're talking about, they adapted crossovers and event style storytelling, and this would coerce readers into buying and trying books they normally wouldn't. Uh, obviously, things like Crisis, Secret Wars, and it, again, that's the innocent days of it. Sure. <laughs> you know, then the X Family crossovers, then the Superman. You know, the Superman oh, yeah. spinning out into four and, is yeah, exactly. Oh my goodness! Like they, they once they saw how to do it, they were like, okay, this is how you force people to buy extra books they wouldn't necessarily it. do. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and for a completionist, this is what you must have it. You know, and and again, it just it it's so funny to me because uh, you know we we're, we're to, we talk sometimes broadly about collectors and. But everyone is a fan. Everyone is a collector in their own way. Uh, mm-hmm. Some people, a collect, you know, a, a collector of Superman. Some people will just stop with any comic that has the word Superman in the title. Yeah, they don't care what it, what it ever spun out into. They don't care about when it crossed over with action comics. They're good just to have that one comic. That's their thing. Other people. Mm-hmm. They got to have everything with Superman in it, and then you are in a world of pain and hurt. <laughs> uh, and and just, so just real quickly on this one, decompression. Um, there are completionists who may not buy all of a certain title, but all appearances of a particular character. Like I was saying, different ways to collect, you know? And so, if said a character is appearing in a title these days, it might be spread to six issues rather than one or two. And we, we're going to put a pin in that for now. We're going to do it a whole comics talk about decompression and writing for trade collections uh where we expand on that but this is also part of what draws people so now i mean god you you, if you have a six issue mini where Mm -hmm. your favorite character throws up and shows up in three issues what are you not going to get the whole six issue mini you know what i mean like now now are you not going to get the the follow-up whatever you know what i mean it it really does just compound itself and as soon as these companies figured that out or, or really had the people that do that working there <laughs> <laughs> boy did they make good on that but uh certainly we're, we're and you know even it. speaking of the people working there there are completionists for creators <laughs> you know sure, like sure. absolutely yeah so like you'll you know if you want to get every every issue written by Paul Dini you know or every uh every issue drawn by Jim Lee i mean you're you're digging around, and uh, I'd say I'm, it, I'm closest to that kind of thing personally. You know what I mean? Uh, mm-hmm. There are characters I like, obviously, that I try to have every appearance, uh, like a Doom sure. Patrol and uh, different little weird things. But as far as really what I pursue, it's it would be you know I love Wally Wood's art. I'll I want to see everything Wally Wood drew. I, you know I love sure. Alan Moore. I want to see read everything he wrote. Uh, I haven't over time. I've I've even collected things and shed them, which I'm sure you have too. <laughs> but you know, you want to get them, so yeah, that that's close sure. to where I am with it. Yeah, because like I, I'll probably follow Grant Morrison just about anywhere he mm-hmm. goes, even even if it's like the retelling of Santa Claus's origin at some. <laughs> I, I think it was like Boom or something. Yeah, Krampus, right? Was that called? Or what, that was it was because right. Claus, Claus with a K. Yeah. yeah. But uh, you know, if we go back to uh, you know guest appearances, things like Wolverine, who would show up in a whole lot of books during the '90s to try to push uh, to inflate numbers on, you know, an issue, a random issue of Guardians of the Galaxy. They'll, uh, yeah. you know, based in the future, they'll be fighting Wolverine's animated skeleton. You know, it's like <laughs> just to get you to buy the book. And of course, that one was foil covered too. Oh, of course. But uh, 
know, people who were Wolverine completionists or people like me who were like Vartox and Terry Long completionists, you know, we'd, <laughs> we'd have to buy uh, issues of a whole bunch of books you normally wouldn't pick up because, mm. you know, there wasn't much crossover between the Guardians and the Galaxy and the X-Men back in the 90s. You know, uh, one was the top book and one was a third or fourth or maybe fifth tier maybe book. Maybe a fifth tier book, yeah. yeah. That, that's why but, Wolverine suddenly was expanding. He, he kind of took a little trip yeah. around the Marvel Universe around then, didn't he? Several, several. He knew, <laughs> and he knew everybody. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like a brand new character. So I was like, yeah, I had an adventure with him once. Oh, okay. And then we get to hear about that. But, uh, I mean, these days we'd probably look no further than Deadpool and his uh, DC equivalent Harley sure, Quinn. Sure, sure. To, uh, for that, where they're just shoving them into books to to pump numbers, and uh, if you are a fan of those characters, you're probably gonna go to books you would ordinarily not touch with a ten foot pole. So yeah. uh, it's just uh, interesting, and uh, that that kind of takes us into our next point, which is milking of franchises. Uh, it's by no means a new problem, if if we can even call it a problem. It, it's it's a it's a uh, it's a it's a business plan basically, uh-huh. but. Uh, in the years leading up to and into the speculator boom, titles, so, you know, you have your Amazing Spider-Man or whatever, they were becoming families of titles. So right. The, the stories Spider- are too big to be contained, Chris. They yes. had, we had to expand <laughs> them into these issues, yeah. It's like Spider-Man had, you know, four four week, you know, four weekly <laughs> titles and a quarterly book. Mm-hmm. Uh, Superman, the same thing. He had four books and a quarterly. Uh, when you get into things like Batman and the X-Men, you know, forget about it. It's you were you could you could fill your pull box with just those and still drop a, a pretty decent amount of coin on. Oh it. yeah, and, and to be fair though, this does go back to really even the early days, like. There, sure. There once were, like, in a sense, four Superman books with Jimmy Olsen, Lois Lane. You had an uh, adventure comics. Yeah, an adventure comics, but also Superboy. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, th- this idea of give the people, you know, more and more of what they want until they're sick of it is not new to comics, not new to the business, but, you know, now. But back just... then, you didn't need to read Lois Lane or Jimmy. No, exactly. Now exactly. you have to read everything. Now there's a much more calculated <laughs> need to tell you that if you're a fan of this character, if you're a fan of this story, here are the, all the comics you have to you buy. You might miss something yeah, if you don't exactly. buy this. Yeah. And, I mean, these days, it's, it's more of the same. So, you know, you don't just have one Justice League book. You know, we have right. Justice League Dark, you have Odyssey, we've had, you know, Justice League United, we've had all all different yeah, books. And, Justice uh, League of America, like Justice League in America, Justice League became two teams. That's how yeah. much they had to split the damn thing up. Yep, and, and we had Justice League International again sure. at the start of the New That's 52. That's right, I kind of forgot about that, you're right. Yeah. yeah, it ran like a 10 or 12 issues, something like that. But It did suck, so. <laughs> it wasn't very good, it wasn't very good. But uh, if you are a completionist, uh, or someone like, like me, I, I've got I've got just about a full run of Justice League books since the day I was born and beforehand, you know, before uh-huh. that. And now it's like, okay, well, now Justice League is three titles, so it's like, what do I do? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I am <laughs> now. Justice League is a comic that I I do collect in trade, but uh-huh. uh, I, I have a, a lot of Justice League trades, not just the series, and I've swapped one out. But I've even got like the they've got like storylines collected. You know what I mean? And, and uh, sure. it's just because sure. I'm into. But then you get into the more modern era, and I've just had to make personal choices where, like, I don't consider that a Justice League book. I don't care, <laughs> you know? And, and, and I'm like, without naming names, there are certain runs, very recent runs, that I've been like, I'm not, I'm not collecting that. I don't care about that run at all. Like, you know, like, so you can break the cycle, folks. There are there are certain, you know, depths you don't have to go to. But uh, anyway, I'm sorry. I just wanted to mention that. 
No, it's it's true though. It it's true because it's just so fractured right now. Mm. Where, you know, I, I was. Uh, it was funny, but we we were recording a couple of days ago, and we were talking about something in Marvel right now. And I took a look at the uh, the discount comic book services bundle. Yeah. And I'm seeing books like. Spider Verse, Spider Geddon, Spider Hulk. I'm like, what is this stuff? I mean, yeah, I'm, like, so, if I'm a Spider Man fan, do I need these books? Like, exactly. what's going on? <laughs> Especially, you know, I mean, we go back a year or two where I think it was Spider Geddon, uh, where the main story of Spider Geddon didn't take place in Amazing Spider Man. The right. Amazing Spider Man issues were the tie in. So you'd okay. have to buy a whole other book. To get the story, the, the main it was Spider Verse. It was or into the Spider Verse. Was one it? of those. It was, yeah, like it was one of those. But yeah. it was one of those. Something with a spider hyphen something. But uh, it's just it's if you want to collect everything, you need to get them all. Uh, and, and they like kind of deflated the X Family books for a little while, but now they're blown up again. So it's like yeah. I'm not sure I have enough fingers on my hands to count. How many X Men books I need to buy a month to, to X Men keep... Blue, X Men Red? I was like, I didn't realize that. Back the Uncanny X Men is weekly and like five to eight dollars a piece. It's I didn't like, realize I brought the Green Lantern on? Corps over to Marvel with all the different colors. X Men promotion. Yeah, uh, and they they really do just churn them. I gotta say this quickly, uh, and I, know, I, I want you to tell them about your amazing uh, revelation about the modern, the current run of Uncanny X Men. But uh, oh, yes. I remember years ago. Um, gosh, what what do they call it? This is this is like 2012 or something like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the X Men, something like this. Maybe it was Uncanny or they well, they had something. back then. They had like Uncanny. They had Wolverine in the X Men. They had Astonishing X Men, Amazing X Men, X Men Legacy, uh, X Force, Cable and X Force, Uncanny X Force, yeah, X Factor, I... all new X Factor. Well, what what, uh, what, 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 what this purported to be was that it was going to be the original Stan and Jack team. Uh, oh, all new X Men. That, that's I think that must be what it is. <laughs> uh, and it, it was going to be them, and I was like, all right, I, I like them. I feel like I hadn't seen them in that way in a minute. You know what I mean? And I was like, all right. And plus, I'm an you know I'm an old fart. I'm very comfortable in that old Silver Age world. So I uh, I went I went to get it. And uh, what it was was that team was oh, brought the to the present, present, where there was another. Scott Summers, like the current Scott Summers. Oh, that's what it was. Beast brought yeah. the old team to the present in order to like make Shock Scott yeah. Cyclops back to normal, back yeah. to being normal. But it didn't. He was still like a jerk, and so there were like two versions of the team running around. Mm-hmm. And I and like I was able to keep up because I knew enough from you know reading it in the eighties. But I was like, God, God help anyone if this is their first. Could you imagine comic book? Yeah. They would be like, What is happening? Could you imagine? <laughs> And, and, you know, that Marvel was a, you know, they got too cool for school for a little while where they didn't use things like thought bubbles and they didn't use yep. things like editorial footnotes. Yep. And so you didn't know where to go. Uh, you <laughs> no were, idea what was happening. If, but what Marvel did do is they put a page of text in the beginning of every uh, issue because that's what people buying comics want to read is a full well, page of text. But, but, you know, I have a problem with that. People talk about that, too, as that being such a good thing. I think that there's... It's not. <laughs> it's, it's not because you're, you're basically blowing out a page that could have artwork on it, you know, with, with a nice chunk of text. And as complex as these stories are, you you know, that's where that's where we've come. You have to pre- preface each book with this huge block of text. But mm-hmm. even at that, it doesn't tell you every, you know what I mean? These doesn't. issues, you know, when we go back to the newsstand days, for obvious reasons, they these issues needed to be self-contained because the, yeah. the writer didn't know if you were going to have the previous or the next one. Uh 
But now they go so far out of their way not to be self-contained. And that's part of my problem with this all-new X-Men. It's like the big reveal is is that, you know, the big shocker, the big to-do, and what actually drew, drew me into it is that they're using these old characters. But yeah. what does a new reader care about? You know what I mean? What do they care? There's no, they have no nostalgia that, for it. They have no ties to these characters. You have it's to make just... these characters relevant to them. You know what I mean? Like sure. this, These are the people that are going to be buying comics into the, the future. You know, it's like you're just you're just stroking my ego and poorly at that because I didn't even I didn't even end up buying that comic to, to, for a long time. I think I bought two issues and I was like, I'm lost. Forget it. Goodbye. It, uh, I I was actually reading the X Men at the time and I was kind of lost. I mean, it was just because, like you said, it was such a huge deal. But at the end of the day, it was just okay. Well, here's more of the same characters and uh, and they were still in the same horrible world. Like I forget what was happening, but. It was after uh, the. It was it was after Avengers versus X Men, where uh, Cyclops took in the Phoenix Force and turned bad, and and then he was like Dark Cyclops. Yeah, Phoenix I remember. I remember and... he was like, but and like, but like, I forget what it was. The world was like crumbling around them. Maybe that's just how the Marvel universe and all comic book always is are yeah. these days now. Always, <laughs> always, everything is destroyed. But uh, I want I want you to tell our patrons who I know can can keep this amazing secret, Chris, your decision. <laughs> On the current Marvel Uncanny X-Men. I mean, I, uh, breaking I, a long tradition. I have been buying Uncanny X-Men since, I want to say, 1988. So wow. 30 years this year. And uh, they stopped producing Uncanny X-Men to bring in all these, uh, the color books. Uh, X-Men Red, X-Men Blue, which X-Men made, Black. Which made it X-Men... easy for you, <clears throat> the, the person you are, to... To Stop. walk away, right? Exactly. Yeah, because they weren't Uncanny X Men anymore. So I wasn't, I wasn't interrupting a run per se. I was interrupting a family of runs, but not a run in itself. Right. And uh, then they bring it back in whatever this disaster is. This uh, this Uncanny X Men eight dollar four hundred writers seventeen thousand editor book. And I open it and I have no idea what what's going on. Yeah. And uh, and then I, I look further and it's like, oh, this is weekly now. At, <laughs> Five to eight bucks because they have a skate 800 writers on each issue. Oh, wow. And uh, that, that was it. I was just done. And uh, it broke a 30 year run on a, on a comic. And uh, I realized I don't miss it. I, <laughs> Which... find that, I find that to be, and I, I, I bet your story is not super unique. You know what I mean? I think a I'm lot sure. of people come yeah. down that way. But, you know, if those comics, you know, had been grabbing you in, in the earlier 2000s, the X-Men comics, uh, it's likely you would not only, you know, you'd be buying not only this run, you would have bought all the comics. I'm sure. saying if you like them, you'd probably be living in a storage locker, you know, uh, signing <laughs> divorce papers, but that would be the reality of it, you know what I mean? But, uh, but, 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 you know, Marvel sort of just by this churn, they churned you out. You know, they did. They they they, they, they they spit you out of the rotation. That doesn't happen yeah. to everybody. I'm sorry. And Go they, ahead. And they and they could previously count on at least a hundred bucks a month from me. Mm. I mean, that's not a big. That's a drop in the bucket to a you know a billion dollar uh, you know, conglomerate they're yeah. part of. But I, I mean, I I told you about that that pull box I had uh-huh. <clears throat> back in the late '90s. Every Christmas, that dude would buy me a gift. Because I, I was with him for like three or four years, oh. and uh, and I'd be like, "Oh, thanks," and he's like, "Yeah, he's like, yeah, you." Uh, he says, "You pay about a third of my rent." Huh. Interesting. And I'm like, "Holy smokes! I pay a third of this guy's annual rent." That's unbelievable. That's incredible. 
Oh my God! I mean, that's that's all money that uh, Marvel was getting. Sure, <laughs> he ain't anymore. Yeah, because uh, I I did try two books because I I have complete runs of, oh man, Fantastic Four, Avengers, Spider Man, Daredevil, all the X books going back to before I was born. That's Ooh. you know I'm I'm gonna be 39 this week, so I mean it's a uh, a long 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 runs and uh, and I tried a new issue of Avengers. Nope. Tried right. an issue of the, the new Fantastic Four? Nope. I didn't even try Amazing Spider-Man because I'm not letting anything by Nick Spencer in my house. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I'm done with Marvel now. And this is the first time in 30 years where there are no Marvel books coming into my house. And yeah, that, that's stunning, you know. <laughs> I, I know that can be like almost like you lost a friend or something, you know what I mean? It, it's like, true. It's true. And I see people sharing Marvel stuff online and it's like you it used to be that would perk me up and be like, oh cool, what's going on? Now it's just like it's just so maddeningly frustrating where it's just like, oh okay, so oh so everything I knew wasn't real again. Yeah. Oh okay. I, I, God, I, it, please, I'm I'm about to blow my stack. This this <laughs> latest this this Charles Soul Daredevil run. Okay, which which and Daredevil, my Daredevil uh, completionism. People, people don't uh people which I again that's another one where I made them I made a Justice League type decision. I'm not collecting that one. You know I don't that one is a, a gas leak season or whatever they call it on a <laughs> Community. But I uh yeah I you know I, when he when he started when he was going to be on that I liked him so much on a couple other things and the I was Swamp like, Thing I, yeah I loved him on Swamp Thing I lo- I liked sure. him on uh, Red Lanterns and I was like wow he's a lawyer. A New York lawyer about to write a That'd New York fun. lawyer. Yep. This would be cool. And like they, they just they had pulled the switcheroo where he had been in San Francisco. Secret Wars happened, and now suddenly he's the assistant DA in New York. And they were like, "Well, we're going to explain this later." A year into the run, I'm buying it. <laughs> they explained nothing. I was like, "Forget this. I'm not buying this anymore. It's boring as hell. It was so slow." And then I find out that the recent one, he made it all a dream, Chris. He Patrick Duffy the goddamn thing. You're kidding me. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I was like, are you? They're, they're, there's supposed to be a, more revelations to come as to what How I many like, issues are in this volume? Oh, God. Uh, I don't know. How, I couldn't tell you it's the It's got to be up to like 40 it's, or 50 now, it's, right? It's like almost three years, I think. Oh. Yeah. It's a long run. And I was like, are you kidding me? I was like, you might as well just kick people in the dick that actually yeah. read the thing. But uh, this is... This is uh, there's oh. no impetus for them to write a good story. There's nothing there for them to do it, Chris. That's really no. what it comes down to. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, let, let's let's tell them about these giants here. This, this is a little yeah. bit of good news, I think. Well, it's it's funny because uh, you know we we're you know we are compl- or I am a completionist. Uh, okay. I still get my my weekly books, but I get them you know for, in the mail order every month or so. But uh, I still do buy single issues. Is is the thing of right. the year. And uh, there are things that I'm still a completionist about. I, you know, I've got probably 700 issues straight of Action Comics at this point. You know, it's like I I, I only need maybe 15 issues of Teen Titans to have every single Teen Titans book. You know, yeah. uh, so Titans is one of the things that I'm a completionist about. It'll be Teen it could be. Titans. Well, it could be anything. It could uh. be Team Titans. It could be Teen Titans. Uh. Just Titans. Tiny Titans, Teen Ooh. Titans Go, uh, Teen Titans Manga Crap, uh, uh, Teen Titans Earth One, anything with Teen Titans in it, I'm going to I'm going to grab. And uh, 
when they introduced these Walmart 100-page giants, I kind of dismissed them as like, oh, those are just the things that'll sit on a shelf at Walmart, which for the most part they are. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> and then I see people giddily sharing the uh, the books that they bought, and it's all people that I follow already who are already going to the comic yep. store. Or or who are still buying comics regularly and showing off the comics they buy regularly. And uh, I got the Swamp Thing one. I got that one too. You know, know, that's my my completionist wheelhouse where I'm trying to have every appearance, you know, uh, uh, you know, issue of Swamp Thing in in some form. So, yeah, I had to have it, sure. Yeah, so I I, uh, I I go in there and I dismiss it all together, and then I find out that oh, there's a Teen Titans one. <laughs> so yeah, right. Then, like like a hypocrite, I go in there and I buy the Teen Titans one, and it's and and, and as I'm buying, it, I'm feeling really weird because it's like this one this book isn't supposed to be for me, but you know that the big guys know that there are completionists. Absolutely, absolutely. And, uh, uh, I mean, it kind of gets into like. And it's not—it's none of the, It's not their fault. They're a business trying to make money, but you, you can't help but kind of feel exploited. I want—I right. want to say that earnestly. You know, I mean, uh, we don't know DC's mind on this, but I want to say they earnestly do hope to get new comics readers. Well, from sure. There. Yeah, why wouldn't they? But yeah. if, if that's all they wanted, why weren't they all reprints? Why would they even bother with new new anything? You know what I mean? Like they, sure. DC and Marvel have put out plenty of comics in the past of all reprinted material. So mm-hmm. why not keep? Why not try that again? And frankly. Frankly, I think you get a lot more traction. To, uh, not to mention, it'd be a lot cheaper to. Uh, I was going to say the price point is kind of telling because you know five bucks for a hundred pages—that's like a screaming deal to you and me. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But but, uh, but to a mom with like a five-year-old or eight-year-old kid standing online at Walmart. They're not gonna put five bucks into a comic book. Yeah, they're like, eh, how long is this gonna take? You know, right? They need something that's gonna take up like hours, and that's why YouTube works very well. Yeah. For their children. <laughs> <laughs> the kid's gonna flip through it once, probably not read any of it, and just put it away. Yeah. You, know, you might get one or two, but for five dollars, I mean, five bucks, you could go next door to the GameStop and buy, you know, one of the Batman Arkham games. Right. So it's. Why it's it just it the price to me is probably the most telling part because if DC really wanted the new readers they'd start throwing those one dollar books in there I mean, I, I, you know it, they could fit a ton of them in those little bins and uh, they by, probably by the get time them. by the time this comes out our uh, our uh, Christmas episode of, of Cosmic Treadmill with that Rudolph will be out but yes. we talk about limited collectors edition those were all giant treasury you know. The kind of they thing a, a kid could yeah. spend an, an afternoon on of all reprints, and they were for a dollar. Now, granted, a dollar in 1975 is probably about five dollars today, but <laughs> uh, but it was still a dollar was an amount of money you could like peel off, you know, like you yeah. know you, you start you start to get into a whole mental once you pass that dollar threshold, it come, you come into a different mental world because of the guess sure. the way our money is split up and stuff. Where even even looking at like iTunes apps or I I, I what's Apple Store apps, it's like. If it's more than ninety nine cents, people start to second guess. Exactly, they're just like, oh, yeah. oh, now even though it might be just another dollar, you know what I mean? It's like suddenly, you know, it's suddenly it, a, what is the value there? It's a big yeah. expenditure, even though a dollar today is literally worth almost nothing. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, at a candy bar. <laughs> I mean, he's Walmart. Thing. I mean, you're, you are one hundred percent right, and I do think that's what the new material is about. Because, like I say, yeah. from a from a true just layup publishing st- standpoint. Like Archie, those Archie Digest, those are reprints going back to like when our parents were children. You know, at sure, least they were when sure. uh, into the '90s, at least. And uh, 
they'll, they'll keep churning those things until the bindery breaks in it. They don't care. <laughs> uh, and th- that's why they can they sell them so cheaply, these little bound books, you know? So yep. uh, just, just imagine if the Walmart was, the Walmart books were all reprints and you sold them for two bucks. Exactly. Then I think you would truly see whether or not they're going to fly off shelves. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think uh, that kind of says the, the, uh, History lays down this the personal histories and the real yeah. history of collecting, um, but you know there's another side of it that I talk about a lot. Yes, maybe, maybe too much, but I really think this is an issue in comics that really needs to be addressed, and that is the obsession and the addictiveness of collecting. Um, it's not unique to comics, uh, but it is essentially at some point you're essentially hoarding. There are so many collectors uh, that get pull boxes or or don't whatever. The, however, they get their comics, uh, their new comics. I mean, and they have not looked at it. They have not cracked a comic in sometimes decades now. You know what I mean? They're just sure. slipping them into a box. They're you know they're, they often come bagged and boarded and slipping them into a box. And uh, this is what I was kind of getting at before when I was saying you know when you. In the 90s, when you wanted to get your comics, you might have to hit different stores and yeah. stuff. Or going back even further, you had to hit you know different locations. You had to go on the hunt, and you still do that today. You don't do uh, you get your new comics you know from DCBS. You, you're in the bins. You're 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 doing the rotation. Uh, oh yeah, I'm so filling holes. That's yeah. that's that that's the activity of it. You know, what I mean that that to me is the. The, the, the meat of the hobby is that, you know what I mean? The, the categorizing and allocate, that that's the necessary housework. Yeah. But the, you know, the, the digging, getting your hands dirty, that's the thing. But a lot of these guys today, they're, they're not even doing that, you know what I mean? They're just receiving comics and then filing them away in this yeah. incredibly passive, addictive way. And this is... Just some, checking off boxes, yeah. That's exactly, that's exa- you know what I mean? And it, it's the kind of thing where you made a decision that you were going to stop with Uncanny X-Men, the new one. Some people yeah. have not and can, and cannot make that decision. You know what I mean? They are compelled. Yeah. They they've bought everything with an X on it, going For back years. to whatever, yeah. and they're not and they're never going to stop. Uh, I mean, I I've heard of stories of guys. I was saying before, but my uh, my comic shop has another store on in a different borough in New York, and uh, they, there's a guy there that buys every Marvel comic every month in a box, and they give it to him, and and I'm pretty sure they cut. He get, gets them bagged and boarded. Uh, for that kind of service, for the kind of money he spends, because he spends like oh, it could be five hundred or more dollars a month. Easily, uh, yeah. easily. You know what I mean? Like if there's an event month, you could be Don't spinning out. It. It's a, and if Deadpool gets married, uh, you know you're gonna have to uh, <laughs> take out a second mortgage. And it's the same on the DC side. I don't. I mean, it's, it's oh, sure, it's, sure. It's, DC's a lot cheaper until yeah. recently, but it's it's the same type of thing. So, um, this is something that that I think that uh, comic companies cater to. I definitely think that's why you keep seeing the same named events over and over and over. And what happens to them is irrelevant. The story is. is irrelevant. The impetus to make the story good is not there. You know what I mean? Like this. Oh yeah. If you're guaranteed um, two thousand, even just sales of X Men, well then you only need to juice a few thousand more. You know what I mean? Like you know what I mean? Like yeah. you, you have a good baseline. I, I mean, I'm, I'm picking numbers out of the air. Yeah, just easy enough. Sure. And I will say that before I, I came to the comics internet, which would be around 2012 for whatever reason, it took that long. I had it in my mind that it wasn't, that there weren't that many collectors of that type. Chris, <laughs> I don't know why. You ever have just this notion in your mind and you look sure. back and you're like, I had no 
fact to base that on. I just decided that was true. I, you know, I literally <laughs> did nothing to, to find out. I was just like, oh, there can't be that many left. There are, I can tell you now, having been in the comics, there are a lot, there are a lot of people that are just oh, yeah. filing comics away every week or month or whatever, however they get it. Uh, mm-hmm. to, to, to some extent, that's you, but you are reading a lot of them. But you're I'm, not reading, I'm reading all of them. I, I, yeah, there's <laughs> no way I'm. Up. It's like it's crazy. Back, back when I had, when, back when I was getting one of everything in the mid, the late '90s, I was actually reading everything. Right. Now, um, you know, I I I'm lean and mean by comparison, but that's still, you know, I'm still getting a a grip of books that I'm not reading, and they're they I sit there, I say they're sitting there waiting for me, but what, when the when the hell am I going to read Dan Abnett's Aquaman? <laughs> like really? Like yeah. What, when am I going to read, uh, you know, uh, a story from Detective Comics two and a half years ago and, and, a, and a continuity ago? I mean, it's just, you know, it's just, it, I just, it's just not going to be a time. What we hope is that one day you'll get trapped in a well and then you can tell your <laughs> wife, just start Throw sending, it down. Start sending down the boxes. <laughs> <laughs> but I was pretty surprised that they, they are, they're bringing uh, footnotes back at DC. Yes, I, yes uh, they are. But the thing of it is, is they're all saying, read metal. Right. They, they all say read metal. <laughs> and actually, there was one case recently where I saw there was an inconsistency where they referenced a comic in one scene. But they, so it, it's not, there's no... It's not. Yeah, it's, it's not it's being not uniformly measured. applied. Yeah, yeah, it's not measured like it used to. It used to. I mean, to be honest, in the '80s, it got ridiculous where there were more callbacks to old comics than there was stories. Sometimes you were just like, <laughs> you know, and, and, read X, read, <laughs> read Superman, da da da, to find out. And it was just like, wow. <laughs> and as a as a guy who blogs every day for three years now. I do a lot of callbacks now too, so I'm importing. I'm, I'm importing links throughout yeah. my. Uh, oh, we do it pieces. all the time too on Cosmic Treadmill. Oh yeah, <laughs> and it's just like yeah, exactly. It's like check out this in the archives. There are some episodes where we say that more than anything. It's true. Sometimes I feel like you know we can't all be in the archives, but yeah, when you build up when you build up a thing, but you know I'll tell you, I used to it used to I used to bristle at that in the '80s because I felt like what it is is essentially getting YouTube, you know, buy more comics and stuff. But yeah. looking at it now. That seems so much more honest and transparent, uh, transparent, and right, and yeah. story driven than the kind of malarkey that goes on today, where it's like every event has whatever you know. It starts with six books. Now it grew three more books. You know, like yep. the, like yep. the Grinch's heart on Christmas. It grew three sizes, <laughs> and and now there are three ancillary like side things that really you don't have to read at all. Not to mention oh, random boy, issue yeah. tie-ins, and and this is how every event is set up. Uh, on both sides, I you know. Uh, oh yeah. And in the end of it, it means nothing. Like this freaking daredevil thing, I meant nothing anyway. No, is it because I've talked a few times on here about how my, my my Marvel zombiehood died, and that was during Civil War. Yeah. Because of just what you said, I mean, Civil War took forever to come out, held everything up, and it had all these branching uh, miniseries like. Civil War Frontline, so I can see what the man on the street thought. Right. What do I care? What, what do I really care? You couldn't, you couldn't some, put some, that in a regular issue? Like, have a little right? bit of that in there? You, you couldn't have know? a cutaway of a schlub watching <laughs> Spider-Man pull his mask off? Really? You need to charge me four bucks an issue for that? <laughs> it's just... And, and you know, and like you said, it means nothing because... And, and this is both companies, but Marvel especially at this point, they announced the relaunch, right? They'll announce in, say, January, they'll say, hey, April... Everything's getting relaunched. Okay, cool. So you get to April, you start buying one, two, three. They announced the next relaunch in November. Yeah. So you have like four months of just lame duck storytelling just getting you to the next reboot. 
so which which will just you know make the cycle happen again. You'll uh, get I, three I, or four issues of build, the announcement, and then three or four issues of lame duck. And at the end of the day, like you said, it means nothing. I think the attitude is uh, uh, definitely in Marvel, and I think at both companies, it seems like they can't sell anything but number one issues. You know, it's true. Um, you know, the, both of them now legacy. The, the Marvel Legacy, they did what DC. It's funny. What's so funny is, uh, you know, I'll never claim that that Marvel is not the mover and the shaker. They sell by far the more comics there, and Absolutely. now they're more culturally the more culturally relevant, relevant. Yeah. Uh, comic company. But in terms of these recent initiatives, it always seems to be like DC does them first. You know, like they did the new like 52 yeah. first, and then Marvel, did, Marvel now. rebooted. And then they did it like more than DC ever did it. They rebooted like five times in the next, you know, five years. So yeah. they, they, they like, it was like, the, you know, you think you can reboot? I'll show you how to reboot. <laughs> but, uh, and that's the same thing with this, where Rebirth, they created the two first issues, right? There was Rebirth yep. number one for everyone, and then there was and then the, regular the actual number one. one. And then Marvel did that for this. They had Legacy, where they had the Legacy number one, and then the... Actual number one with the legacy numbering of each yeah. issue, uh, and I dipped it on that, thinking, "Hey, legacy, <laughs> right? This is where I'm comfortable. This is where this yep. is where I'm good with Marvel. Really, until about eighty four, eighty five. Uh, mm-hmm. I could go a little later with some comics, but uh, Hulk going into the nineties a little bit. But uh, that's really where I'm comfortable. And uh, Chris, I didn't, I couldn't tell you one damn thing that was happening it's true uh you it's know the, true. the only things i understood were the parts that were playing to my nostalgia mm-hmm. anything new anything anything relevant to the story i was totally lost you know that was all i all i got were the asides you know the little han soloisms of like you know uh you know mentioning something that happened in the past that i remember sure that was all yeah because they they launched that with a big uh, one shot the marvel legacy one shot that i actually didn't right. order but dcbs sent it to me anyway wow uh, i don't know why they maybe they ordered extra no no they didn't All right. well fair enough yeah it was weird yes yeah, so maybe they ordered too many uh maybe i was just a loyal customer and they thought maybe i forgot i don't know yeah but uh i read that and i didn't understand a word of it <laughs> and uh but still i still bought all of my regular can't quit you books you know i was right. still getting you know, Avengers and New Avengers, Amazing Spider-Man. Uh, I don't think Fantastic Four was around then. Uh, Daredevil, uh, uh, three or four X-Men books. I w- I was still getting everything, despite yeah. not even not being able to formulate what the hell they were even planning in this one shot. You know, yeah. I, I what I did understand of that one shot, I hated, but I still <laughs> bought the books. Yeah, that's the addiction, man. Because is... like in the back of my head, you think like, one day I will be interested in this. Uh, that, that's because uh, uh, what was it? The uh, Scott Snyder did the Batman Year Zero. Sure. Bored the hell out of me. Yeah. But I kept buying it because I'm like, ah, you know, I'm gonna want to read that one of these days. Hasn't happened yet. Probably won't. But I have them there just in case. I mean, the, the, as the comics compound and you, the time in your life decreases, they mean less. The, the and probability less. is, you know, that you're gonna read them is just getting lower and lower. It's like it's almost like you should have a ticker. Going yeah. every, every second, the probability decreases by another like point oh one percent or something. Oh, you know, absolutely. like that like you're gonna read them, and it's uh, this is it's just you, you know you're putting them away. I mean, 
I've heard people say that they're creating an archive for their children, and I'm like, when are your children yeah, right. going to read, you know, 30, <laughs> 50, 100,000 comics, you know? Or I'm, I'm saving them for posterity. It's like, what are you, the Library of Congress? You know, like, what? what, what what's going to happen? Here? We're, we're, we're going to be an yeah. Armageddon, we're gonna need, we're going to need every issue of, of uh, Heckler or something? What, what is wrong with you? So, uh, yeah, it's it's every excuse under the sun, but it comes down to, and I mean, Chris, I could I could go off and do a whole other thing as you've heard me go on to in about the 20th century. I'm not going to even go in there though. I'm not going to do it. Well, that'll be another episode. That's another episode about how crazy the whole thing is. But uh, it's it's tough, and I and I feel for people. I don't I don't feel that you for by the way are a uh, ravenous addict. For example, you were able to put down. X, yeah, I, I'm X-Men. getting better. I'm, and you, uh, <laughs> you you limited yourself from the beginning though too. You know what I mean? You, you're you're it's true. You're, you're, you know, you weren't always trying to collect every Marvel comic. Now, in a sense, no. you'll oh, buy no. any DC comic, but I don't think you're looking to collect all of them. No, any... A lot of them are ones that I want to write about or, or, right. or one that we might do on the show or something that might tie into something we do on the show. Right, yeah. But, but, uh, which has changed both of our comics absolutely. buying habits, doing the show and, and wanting to get more uh, sometimes relevant to the, the history that we're doing. And we end up Certainly. I've, Certainly. I've looked at comics I would have never really thought about looking at in my whole life uh, <laughs> for doing Cosmic Treadmill, that's for sure. And, and it's weird because, like, there are, like, with with, uh, with consumable entertainment, I guess, or collectible entertainment, there are, like, two tipping points. Because, you know, you get to, if you if you, if you are addicted or, or compelled to buy everything or buy a certain, like we've been talking about here, like every issue of something, yeah. you get to these two different tipping points. You have the one tipping point that I fell off of because, like you said, you, you know, you're piling books up to read eventually. Uh-huh. And if you have a stack of books that's like four inches tall, you're like, yeah, I can get to that. That's whatever. Fine. That's a weekend. Then, then like a month later, it's like twelve inches tall, and then, and then it gets to like fifteen inches tall, yeah. thirty inches, and then it gets to the moment where it's like, there's no way I'm going to read this. Yeah, now, so now then you I'm going to have away. to have a week off of life yeah. to read over the comics I have stacked up. <laughs> yeah. So you know, you, you, because yeah, I, I used to leave those with the bags open, you know, and right, uh, right. then I just shove the, you know, fold them over, put them in the box, fold them over, put them in the box. But I'm still buying them. So I haven't reached that tipping point yet is the thing. Yeah. So I've 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 already accepted the the reality that I'm not going to be able to read them but I'm still buying them. So it's like you we have this like two channel uh It's interesting, yeah. Yeah, you have these two tipping points that both need to tip over before you could actually be out. Yeah. Uh, which I did with Marvel because my Marvel stack was huge. I'm like, there's no way I'm going to read that. And then it was like, okay, you know what? I don't want to buy it anymore either. So, yeah. you know, I I'm, was I'm already able not to climb it. both fences. Yeah. yeah. And, you, and then you looked at Legacy. You're like, I don't even like this. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like there that we were able to cut the cord. Uh, that, that really that really is interesting. I also think there's another one that uh, will face everyone, and that is space. Uh, everyone has to make decisions at some point on space, whether that's to move to a bigger space or to cut their, 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 uh, collection. Uh, everyone has to do something eventually because there's just no way around it. It it just takes up space. There's no, no (laughs) two ways about it. Um, and, uh, you know, I'll tell you, it didn't even, we didn't even really have to come up here, but there is also the people that flip comics, but I wouldn't, those, those, some of those people could be considered, I think. Obsessively collecting. Well, sure. But that's sure. almost that's almost another thing. You know what I mean? That's that's another side of it. Because even you know, I mentioned earlier about the uh, Walmart hundred page giants, where when they were announced, I saw people sharing them online. Yeah. And 
I, I wonder how much of the compulsion is is due to our ability to share things online now. I think there's some of that, yeah. Like where you you want to be you want to be up with everyone because you know, comic collecting for me was always a very solitary thing growing up. Yeah, uh, it was just me, and then I moved you know across the country, and it was definitely really just, just me. you, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and now with with all of our with all of our friends online sharing their stuff, it makes you want to share your stuff, right. and then it, it kind of snowballs where it's like okay, I I can look and be like okay he grabbed that one oh maybe I should grab that one. And it's uh, it's like a, it's not so much a competition, but because I mean the comics are available wherever you want them. Right. But uh, it, I think that might fuel a little bit of the uh, of the compulsivity because you you it's 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 almost like a passive peer pressure. I think that's exactly. I think you are right about that. Yeah. I think people get caught up in that. Um, you know, we see it every Wednesday. People showing off their sure. polls, and then uh, there's just as there was anything different ways to go about it where. People showing off their polls of new issues, but also a lot of times people showing off the back issues. Absolutely. Um, and it's just like you're essentially just sharing purchases you've made. <laughs> you know, which is kind of a funny, <laughs> whatever, any way you cut it, it's kind of like a funny thing to me. Like, oh, look what I I bought this. Like, hello. Uh, you know, like I, there's one thing I, I talked to you about this, this uh, Facebook group for EC Comics. Yes. And I, I went on there thinking that we would just mostly talk about EC Comics, and there's some of that, but really. It's picture after picture after picture of people's slabbed comics. And I've seen now two people who came mm-hmm. into the, the, the group just like me, just fans of the comics, who now they're showing off their comics okay. that they're buying uh, at much lower quality at this point. Great, you know, it, yeah. it, all, it all starts somewhere. Um, and, and I guarantee it's because of this. And, and you know, that's... I mean, the, the, pro- the problem is when I talk about this being an addiction... It's an addiction doesn't hurt anybody. You know what I mean? No, no. Uh, not, not unless you're taking food out of kids' mouths or but, or gambling to get the money or whatever. Really is you know, that that is something else. Uh, you've gone another a whole, a whole other, other level thing. I've never yeah. heard of. But it really doesn't hurt anybody uh, beyond the fact that you you know you are storing a bunch of fiery you know flammable material in your house. It doesn't really you know <laughs> d- d- decrease the value of anything. So it's, but it uh, smells so good. It, it can smell good after a while. I love that slightly moldy smell, like uh, especially of magazines. That nice uh, pulp, yeah. Something about it. It really it really does uh, intoxicating. Very nostalgic, but. Uh, <laughs> Any obsession, any obsession like that, especially when you get down to it, you're just funneling money into these creatively bereft people's pockets. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's like they, they're not, there's no impetus for them to do better as long as you just keep giving them money for, Voting doing, with your wallet, for yeah. doing a mediocre job. <laughs> and uh, that, I'd say, is, is the problem. But also, like, you know... Um, there are there are better there are better pursuits I think in life to be honest with you than to have you know I I think I think that like we say there are different things if you're trying to collect every DC comic or every Marvel comic or every comic just stop doing that just don't worry yeah, about it it's not going to happen point. you're never going to do it yeah. uh, not to anyone to your satisfaction and just just put that put that dream away and find and go take flying lessons. Find something more productive. <laughs> That's what I would say. Maybe maybe just look to Vartox. Get all the Vartox issues, you'll be fine. That's fair. That's that's an accomplishable goal. Exactly. You know, you got to set yourself You know, you you've you've accomplished a few in the, just the time I've known you. You've gotten every sure. first issue special. Yep. Uh, yep. You did every Vartox. 
Uh, I think you already had. I think every I Terry might have Long. every Terry Long. I think you already had that. Are you close to? Yeah. it? When I, I, I bought the Wonder Woman issue where he died. Oh, so okay. I think I might have all. That, of them that's now. how you closed it out. Um, <laughs> so you know that that's what we for me. Uh, I've collected. I have every appearance of Doom Patrol. Uh, every issue, or actually, I don't have every issue, but I my I hope to have every issue of Swamp Thing. Um, okay. And I like to collect the silly stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah, but, pop. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, uh, maniacs. I have I have every appearance of maniacs, for example, and inferior five. But sure. uh, that's just that's just where my like goes. And part of that, I think, sure. was also I made a decision to do something achievable. Absolutely. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're you're not looking for every every Superman appearance. You or, know, or, or even or every even, Superman even appearance every this showcase, month. You know, I mean, inferior five. Oh God. Yeah. Maniacs show up in showcase, but if I try to they get do. every showcase, forget it. Oh, forget about it, yeah. So, uh, I think we have gone on at a good length about this sort of tortured subject. Uh, Kind (laughs) of, in a way, difficult to talk about among comic fans to comic fans, because we kind of have to hold up a mirror to ourselves and, uh, you know, look at our own behavior. But I think think that's a worthwhile thing to do, and this isn't telling anyone or suggesting to anyone that you stop collecting your favorite comics, but no, because it'll be a case of Doctor Heal thyself. You know and exactly. I, uh, yes, <laughs> I, I'm sitting across from about eighty long boxes right now, so I, I'm not judging anybody. Yeah, uh, but, but you know, it's some, something to think about. If if you if you have a stack of comics that is fifteen inches high, yeah, think about the minutes that will take for you to get through that. I gotta <laughs> say, Chris, even, even the even the comps we get from DC, I've got a stack. It's gonna take me like a day and a half. Uh, sure. and, th- and those are comps, for God's those sake. Those are just comps. I yeah. haven't even paid anything for, for this week. Yeah. Uh, no, well, that's or true. next week. We yeah. have a big. We have a big one. No, I, I just, to be honest, like uh, I find the comics so boring. I just yeah. don't care about reading them. And then I'm like, oh man, now I have like five issues of Batman, and I'm like, and the stakes are just so low. I'm like, yeah. do I really want? To? And to be honest, I probably end up my 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 tablet will tell me that uh, I'm running out of space, and I'll say, well, goodbye, Batman. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the sorry. tablet decides. You know, the tablet will tell me. Uh, I, I told you that's the third mitigating factor: is space. We it's all true. have to deal with it eventually, digital or point. physical. Absolutely. But uh, yeah, I, I think uh, hope hope this wasn't too much of a bring down for people, or uh, people found it interesting and they can relate to it somewhat. Um, I think so. Do you have any? Uh, of those uh, Maury Povich final thoughts for us on this matter. <laughs> no, uh, next I think next time we're gonna be we're gonna be hitting on uh, the writing for the trade and decompression, which will be another up uplifting uh, episode, yeah. I suppose. <laughs> but, but you know that it'll be good because that kind of dosey does with this too. There's a little bit. It, of... Yeah, they, there's like a little dovetailing into each other here. Mm. It's, uh, I think it'll I think they'll complement each other well. You know, I, but I'll tell you, you know, I talked about collecting Justice League and trade. Mm-hmm. The fact that I can do that is all going to be part of the discussion we'll have Discussed. in the next episode yep. of Atomic Comics Talk. But that'll be coming in January. Uh, of course, if you want to hit us up, you know the many ways to do it. History at gmail.com is the centralized location. But you guys can mm-hmm. comment on this patron post. You can get us on uh, Twitter, however you like to do it, if you want to talk sure. about this or whatever's on your mind. Our next episode will be in January 2019. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll have two that month as usual So uh, we won't be talking to you here But we'll have episodes of Cosmic Treadmill Coming out uh, yep. for the new year So but uh, Hope everyone had a wonderful Christmas And uh, if we don't hear from you 
again, I hope you have a wonderful new year. Happy, happy, merry, merry. Welcome back to the, I think this is actually the sixth episode of Comics Talk. Is it five or six? I'm, I'm so bad at this, Chris. I've, I've been getting my show wrong every every episode. <laughs> the number has been the worst. Uh, um, I can try to read our Patreon page. I don't know how to do it, though. <laughs> it's um, Let's see here. Published. Uh, we did, uh, this is episode five. Oh, episode number five of yes. Comics Talk. Coming at you. This is our Patreon exclusive show, so... Thank you to all of our Patreons, Absolutely. our patrons on Patreon. Uh, we picked up another one this month. Uh, welcome to Herman. Thank you very much. And yes. I hope you enjoy uh, some of this exclusive content. We got two episodes of Comics Talk a month, and we have a comic, Cosmic Treadmill After Dark, also coming later this month. Mm-hmm. So for this one, we're going to talk about what, Chris? Well, we're kind of um, kind of doing a little dosy do because last time we did... Uh... Uh, we did a, an episode on obsessive obsessive collecting, right. um, and uh, you know the gotta get them all mentality, and it kind of dovetails into what we're going to discuss today. We're going to be discussing uh, two concepts: the concept of writing uh, decompressed, and also decompressing to fill a trade. To fill a trade. So. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of a, a wonky thing, and, uh, and and if you ask certain comics companies, it doesn't even exist. I know. All I in our minds. I, I, can't, I can't believe when they say that. That's the same thing when, like, the uh, Department of Traffic says there's no quota on parking tickets. Like, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, right. There's no quota on traffic tickets. The, the last week of the month is a little bit more t- ticket-heavy. Suddenly, everyone is just parking crazy the last week of the month. I don't know what happened. It's like, Whoa. <laughs> working overtime, so uh, yeah, uh, th- this is definitely yeah, this is like a continuation of last episode, and I think this one more focuses on what the publishers do to get absolutely uh, stimulate yes. Yes. that collector's gland. But uh, anyway, we could uh, jump right in. We'll jump right into a little bit of history here. Uh, in the long ago, stories generally didn't continue past a single issue. You know, you'd have certain aspects of a of a given character; those might continue, like maybe a change in a costume or relationship. 
maybe a power, even though that would be contradictory. Sometimes that can to go back and the forth. Same yeah. issue. <laughs> uh, but at the end of each issue, um, at the end of most chapters, you know, the day was won, the threat was neutralized, and we could go on to the next thing. Yeah, episodic, you know. Yeah. Um, now, DC Comics would reference events in earlier issues during the 50s and 60s, but they would also contradict these events to suit the story. So there really wasn't a solid attempt at maintaining a, a fluid continuity. Right. And, and you know, obviously this is because people are picking them up off the newsstand. You don't know if you're going to get the guy, to, the same kid will come back next month. You don't, you know what I mean? Sure. You don't know what issue you're going to get. So every issue had to stand completely and totally on its own. Because I mean, the newsstand you could be you could be buying Superman number one hundred one one week, and then the next week buy Superman number ninety six. Yeah, really, you really, just never know. It really <laughs> could be like that, or like yeah, you or you could buy, you know, Superman ninety six and be like, oh god, I can't wait to get ninety seven. Yeah, well, that came out five years ago, kid. You know, and <laughs> the, the the now the new issue is one hundred and thirty. You know, whatever. Yeah. So, uh, like, it, there was just no real way. We've talked about uh, how people later would go back, kind of backfill their issues and. Going into the 60s, you start to see some collectors that are needling their newsstand guys to, you know, get more specific with their orders. Like, make sure you get Justice League or whatever, but uh, pretty much it was just catch as catch can. So, uh, continuity really, we've talked about this, we'll go over it again in the in the in this episode, but we talked about it in the last one, and we talk about it every time we ever talk about continuity. It began with the Marvel Age under uh, the editorial guidance of Stan Lee. And, of course, that all kicked off with Fantastic Four number 1, November 1962, cover date by Lee and Jack Kirby. Uh, this is when it became important to have every issue sequentially because these stories would compound into future uh, you know, events and stuff like that. Although at this point, Chris, right, it was still pretty linear, right? There, was, there, wasn't, there was a little bit of, like, you get a little, you know... Who is this man lurking in the shadows? Find out next issue, you know, that kind of thing. But sure. uh, it was really later they would start to see these crazy stories. But I guess we'll get into that. Um, at this time already, going into the, as by the late 60s, Marvel counted on its Marvel zombies, which we talked about uh, in the last episode of Comics Talk, to buy every issue under their masthead, like when Roy Thomas concluded his Doctor Strange crossover in Doctor Strange 183, that was November 1969 cover date, Submariner number 22, that was a February 1970 cover date, and The Incredible Hulk number 126 with an April 1970 cover date, which led to the launch of the Defenders number one August 1972 cover date. So he basically finished a story in three different comics. Uh, over and, four years, three years. Over, over, yeah, over, but it's it's a quick see November through April, but yeah, it's uh, yeah, over several months, you know. And uh, this we talked about that Defenders number one, Cosmic Treble number thirty two in our archives. Yes, uh, but in these newsstand days, each issue was written to be read by itself, if necessary. It wasn't until the advent of the direct market that the stories really became connected. Uh, really, you have the uh, three-issue series Contest of Champions from Marvel, that's uh, June through August 1982 cover dates. That might be the first instance of this, uh, where you'd have to get a continuing story, you have to get all the parts to get the story. Yeah. Um, but after the explosive sales of the 12-issue maxi-series, uh, Marvel Superheroes Secret Wars, May 1984 through April 1985, and then on the other side of the street, DC did Crisis on Infinite Earths from April 1985 to March 86 cover dates, comics publishers saw the writing on the wall. Oh, it's like, whoa, <laughs> yeah. we could sell that many comics? <laughs> yes, and uh, yeah, because, I mean, you're you're 
you're gonna if you go for one and you like it, you're gonna come back. You know. I mean, it's, uh, it's not a matter of even you know liking it starts to slip away, but that's still that's still <laughs> a factor here. You're right, and it's like, yeah, you got him for the first two, you got him for twelve. You yeah. know what I mean? And you you are in like Flynn, so uh, it was just too too sweet. I think a plum. Uh, and of course the uh, successes of Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns and Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons Watchmen. That also provided a new, very lucrative market known as the Trade Collection. Mm, so uh, yes. this is something that's something get on my soapbox real quickly. There is a difference between a trade collection and a graphic novel, although often your local comic shop won't differentiate, and that's fine. Yeah, it really is just you know nomenclature. It's not a big deal. I've I've definitely my comic shop, for example, has sales where they'll be like, you know, buy two graphic novels, get one free. They mean anything. Everything. Yeah, they mean anything yeah. that's not stapled saddled, you know, <laughs> that's, that's, that's all they mean. So a graphic novel is a singular bound book, an OGN, they sometimes called, produced to whatever is the length of that book. The story, ta- you know, is written to 128 pages or whatever the length, 300, 320 pages, whatever it is. A trade collection is a bound book consisting of material that's already published as single issues, most normally. Uh, financially, this is much more of a layup for the publisher, obviously, and this is a way, uh, especially nowadays, it's become a way a lot of people collect comics. You can put them on your bookshelf instead of having to get the boxes and what else. So that's the difference. There is a difference. And and we don't make this mistake in our show, Chris, either. We don't, we, we, no. we don't make the, we don't interchange them. No, but I, I always thought that graphic novels were the thing that the cool people read that, uh-huh, that were right. ashamed to say they read comic books. <laughs> yes. Graphic uh, novels are, it's it's like the tomato is a uh, vegetable in the kitchen and a fruit outside. A, a, gra- a graphic <laughs> novel, it's a it's a graphic novel in the bookstore. It's a comic book on the street. That's how it works. There so, you are. <laughs> if, you, if you want to make it easy, actually, I'd say call them all comics. They're all comics. That's all they are. That's fine. Yep. You know what I mean? Uh, however you want to do it. Now, the problem in the past for comics publishers is that they sold a comic to a newsstand, took their returns, and that was all they got from the issue. You know, they might reprint the story later in some, maybe like a seasonal 80, 100-page giant or a dollar comic for DC or in like a Tales of Marvel Tales over there at Marvel. Or even sometimes Uh, when a book was running late, they might just slap slap a reprint in there. Right in there, because who'd know? Who'd know? Uh, But the bulk of the money earned on that issue would happen Right out the gate, the first printing. Uh, But a trade collection in a bookstore can be something we call evergreen, which is they sell over multiple printings just like a – quote, normal book, you right. know, uh, it's something that uh, it, it can be read anytime and still be as impactful. Um, in the past, only comics retailers and collectors drove interest in the stories contained in back issues. However, now the publishers could also drive this interest. Yeah, and that, that, that I think is the massive change. And, and what we're really talking about here is a change to the storytelling. Uh, there's definitely a huge change to the marketing and the publishing plan, but the part that that bothers uh, Chris and myself as much as it does is how it has changed the way the stories are told. Uh, going into the 1990s, the marketing departments of those big two requested more decompressed stories in order to maximize their sales. There were successive X-Men events uh, and dead or near-dead heroes driven by marketing. We also compounded profits by producing variant covers, selling the same book multiple times, essentially. 
uh, that is the dream. This is like they were, yep. I mean, they must have been thought they were living in Narnia. Like, what is happening? We are print, we are selling the same book eight times, and it's <laughs> unbelievable. Like, they'd never thought this would happen. And we talked about this a little bit, remember, when we, we did uh, that episode about the Clone Saga, that Spider-Man yes. issue, and mm-hmm. how they kept telling them to just drag it out, keep dragging it out, yep. with, you know. Editorial to, and marketing were butting heads just, over that one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Marketing wanted to wanted to keep going, keep going. They wanted it to like be the you know for Spider Man what the X Men stuff was doing. Uh, yep. There was also something with um, Nightfall and Zero Hour. How Nightfall was supposed to be drawn out, then they had to like crunch it at the end to accommodate yeah. a different event. And this this is where this is what's happening. This is no longer stories seamlessly flowing one into another. This is uh, driven by marketing. Yeah, because it's uh, a lot of the complaints coming out of the uh, speculator era and into the 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 real reader era again was that uh, the shift in going from writers telling stories to editors being mandated from above to mandate onto the writers. Right. That's kind of that kind of became the way comics were were done, and it was a, a pretty big bugbear for a lot of uh, a lot of creators. We had uh, uh, creators leave uh, titles like the X Men, the, the the top books in the market at the time. Yeah. Uh, Steve Siegel and Joe Kelly walked off because it was uh, everything was editorially mandated. It was basically the editor writing it and the writers scripting it, and then the editors changing the script if they needed to. And this is so, before Disney too. This is this is oh, I, this is yeah, this, this is way is before a so, decade before Disney. I mean, yeah. now, now it's uh, oh, forget they got to get everything signed off or triplicate. You know, it's some of some of that is though. It's different people's styles. But sure. I, I think I think you uh, you know as far as the way creators work and the way editors work. But I think you're absolutely right. It, there there was a big change from like uh, coaching a story along to rewriting yeah. a story completely and just expanding it and needlessly slipping in issues of like literally of a character walking. Sure. <laughs> Stuff like that. Uh, and you know sure. this is this is not this is not organic. Uh, creativity, but anyway, no, it's not. Too much it's, it's very, it's very. Uh, it's it's like they they made a mold, and you have to fill the mold instead yes, of very much making like the mold happen. The formula, yeah. right? Exactly for sure. Now, at the same time, uh, more and more material was being made into trade collections. Uh, initially, DC was quicker to pick up on this trend. You'd see uh, collections of like Night Nightfall. You'd right. see collections of Nightfall pop up. You'd uh, the Death of Superman would pop up, mm. and, and they began doing like kind of like seasonal DVDs of television shows like you'd have you know four volumes of the first 30 issues of Nightwing you know right. it, it was starting to become more of a we're just going to collect whatever it's that it doesn't have to be a Dark Knight Returns or a Death in the Family or, or a big event be, right they would just sure. you're right yeah they would just start collecting various things you know runs. I mean, popular yeah. runs and it was working for them yeah Absolutely, and then uh, Marvel followed suit in a big way, and uh, actually, uh, you know, took the crown. Uh, oh yeah, Marvel is a lot quicker about putting things out in trade, um, and they're putting nearly every. I, I'm not sure there's a thing they're putting out that doesn't uh, see life, see second life as a trade. You know, I heard just point. to cut in. I, I heard years ago. I don't know how true this is, but it sounds. I want it to be true that mm. uh, re- comics retailers asked Marvel and DC to to. Uh, hold out on their trade collections for you know, I believe it yeah. for two years just so they could try to sell some back issues and mm-hmm. uh, DC did it and in fact until recently if you remember DC used to be real long with their trade like, you don't really yeah. pay close attention to it but it used to be like the hardback would come out two years after 
the last you know issue in it, and then a year and a half you'd get the paperback you'd stuff get like the that. Trade, yeah. So, but Marvel comes right away, and Image does the same thing. All, all, everyone else pretty much does right away. Uh, but basically, yeah, Marvel was like, nah, we don't care. It's like, that what you want? Nope. <laughs> we'll do whatever yeah, the hell uh, we want. <laughs> I remember there was a Ultimate Daredevil. It was Ultimate Daredevil and Electra. It was a four or three or four issue miniseries. And on the day the last issue hit the shelves, yeah. the trade hit the shelves. It it, it, so, it just makes sense for them, you know. Yeah, because the movie was one of the. It was either the Electra movie or the Daredevil movie was coming out, and uh, yeah, the, the day the last issue hit, the, the trade was sitting there right next to it on the show. Very I very mean, strange. It just puts more eyeballs on it, but it it must sure. animalize the uh, trade. The oh yeah, got to figure. Except for the zombies, they they sure them. sure. <laughs> now today, all comics produced are released eventually in trade collections, which has uh, given way to writing for the trade. Uh, which is to say every story arc is five or six issues, uh, whether the story warrants it or not, and usually it doesn't, uh, to make a quote-unquote complete trade collection. And, uh, you know, everyone loses, but yeah. uh, <laughs> it's like we're all crazy because, you know, this is, like we said earlier, this there's no such thing as writing for the oh trade. Oh, my God, we're all just imagining that all these yes. arcs all need to be six issues long, you know what I mean? Even and, though, and every fourth issue needs to be a recap of the previous three, yeah. It's, it's so organic that that every time you need to save the world, you don't need one MacGuffin, you need to get three. <laughs> every time. Why did you need every three? Every time. The old three strikes you're outlaw, folks, it applies universally. <laughs> It really, it, and I, I gotta say, this is something Chris and I, and really, really, I think more. Chris has just heard me scream at, scream into the <laughs> microphone about. I think this more than variant covers, more than you know any of the other gimmicks, more than the successive events. This is the worst thing to uh, comic because it makes single issues useless. It, it makes does. it may it, it really it, does. I routinely go pick up a single issue, read it, and I'd be like. Well, I'm the biggest chump in the world. Why am I reading this sliver of a story when I know that the real, the thing that they care about, the thing that they're putting any effort into is coming in like four months, you know, three months. Like, yep. And, and I, I would tell anyone nowadays, definitely for DC and Marvel, if you're interested, just wait for the trade or, or with yep. Marvel, just get the app. And just sure. wait out. Wait, you know, wait just... until the wait until the thing the what the embargo ends. Yeah, up. the six month thing. That's the way. That's the way to do it because. Uh, buying buying an issue, reading it, and then having to wait a month for not just like the cliffhanger to be resolved, but to find out who the characters are. You know what I mean? True. Like that's what that's what we're talking about. Uh, and I mean, you're putting you're putting a five dollar bill on the counter, and you're getting change back for that. Yeah, if you're lucky. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable. It's you know that that they charge so much for just such little story. Uh, I used to. You know, one of the things I love of so much about Silver Age stories, besides their campiness, is a lot of them are jam-packed, boy. They have no... Oh, yeah. You're not, there's not a lot of panels of people standing around chatting in those old stories. Is <laughs> Even while they're chatting, they're usually wrestling a dolphin or something like that, you know? Sure. Uh, and, 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 and it isn't and it, and it isn't one line of chat with a talking head over and over and over no, again. No, no, it'll, it'll be Robin doing a flip and uh, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, he's that's what he's saying. You know, you look groovy, wonder chick, or something like that. <laughs> So uh, it, it makes me think, and I'm sure you know this this thing too, Chris, that John Byrne says about, um, he, he names a scene in a comic book. He says, uh, two people are talking while somebody uh, steals into a house, takes a television and exit, and they don't notice that the house has been robbed. <laughs> how, many, how many panels is that? And people would say whatever, and he says that's 
one panel. A panel. Yeah. yeah. People talking oh. in the foreground while somebody sneaks out in silhouette in the background. That tells you everything you need. That the entire tale told in one panel. You'd need you'd need three issues of a Marvel comic to tell that That's, right now. I, that well, actually, we talked about uh, the new Avengers, right? And Ben. Oh yes, we did. Ben just doing that Ultimate Spider-Man. Like I thought, I thought that eight-page story needed a seven-issue expansion. No, it didn't. <laughs> One of the no, greatest things about that origin is it's so tight. And, it is. and yeah. you can, you know, you don't need to, you know, he's like, he's like, we just care about Uncle Ben because they tell us care about Uncle Ben. No, you don't. You see them have their moment in the morning. You see that he, like, really looks up to Uncle Ben. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, we revisit Uncle Ben so many times during the ori- the original run. It, come, where it you... comes back around, yeah. Like, yeah, he becomes, constantly. He's almost too much. Uh, I would I would agree with that. But, I mean, I mean, <laughs> we I, I never at any point was like, well, I guess Uncle Ben's okay. You know, I was like, oh well, that was the, that was the impetus, obviously, for you know Peter becoming Spider-Man. And like, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I shouldn't talk because I have not read. Nor do I have any great plans to read Ultimate Spider-Man. More out of time constraints than anything else. But uh, it, it just only takes about be, five minutes. It's well, you were saying it was a nice breezy read, and I could. I, I do have the app, so I could go back and read it. But. Uh, you know, um, and I, and I, I don't think that you had like you hate it, but it, I do think. No, that no, I liked it a lot. Actually, it's I, just it's a little it's, it's a little snooty to be like, oh, this this origin needs seven issues. No, it doesn't, dude. It, no, really, it doesn't. really doesn't. No one's it origin really needs seven. You know, I got to talk about another thing too, Chris. Since we since mm-hmm. we are on our uh, off the cuff comics talk here, remember Certainly. that um, Justice League you not united was it united? Do you remember this? This was in the, the one with uh, Star Girl and uh, Martian Manhunter. Yes, Mar- no, no. Uh, yes, it was, and there were there was Jeff Lemire. Like the Legion it. showed up. And, yes, uh, it just it and went Robot crazy. Man. Yeah, yeah. Well, what had happened? And Adam Man was in it. Green Arrow was in yes. it. And and yes. the, I remember when they when they first they were going to like it. reality jump. It was like post convergence and stuff. That that was that was what it, it ended up being. Actually, no, it actually started before convergence. Then it went on after, and it got and it was super. going to be Jeff that. Parker took it over. It became a whole thing but uh remember it was going to be justice league canada at first yes and they were going to introduce this new canadian superhero whose name i do not remember and i could not remember if under you know torture to be honest with you but this was (laughs) going to be a huge thing you know the first uh first nations character in dc and whatever i guess since uh, Manitou Dawn or whatever. I don't know. I don't really know the full thing. Manitou Raven kind of uh, So it, it, they went on, went on, and eventually the name changed to Justice League. I'm almost, it was United, right? That's what it, it was. It was United, yeah. But there was, it, it actually, there was a variant cover that was that Justice was League That was the first Canada. one, was it Justice League Canada? And, uh, variant, yeah. and the, the D in United has the maple leaf in it. That's right. I, they they were based in Canada. Like, that was the thing. They were up in the, fro- the frozen it, snowy the, north. <laughs> the addition was revealed to be Mayabin Martin, a 16-year-old Cree teen from Moose Factory with the code name Equinox. Equinox. So, so here's the thing. All right, I'm 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 all in on this. A lot of this, these sure. things. I lo- I love Animal Man. I like Green Arrow. I like the way Jeff Lemire wrote them. I'm a big. I like a lot of the stuff in it. And I was like, all right, cool, new character. I'm into that. I'm sure you don't remember. I'm not sure if you read this. If you got around to it, it takes six issues to introduce the character, and yes. on the on the end of the sixth issue, she. Uses her power, whatever it is. I, I don't even know what it is today. Her powers I, stem from the earth and change with the seasons. I have no <laughs> idea what happened. It was like six issues, and now it's like I, I thought this was going to be like you got the touch, you know, like the Transformers yeah. thing. I, I I couldn't tell you if my life depended on me. I was like, what happened? Who? And then like for the rest of the series, I I, I think she like 
was in the back filing her nails. Like, you know, Jeff, Jeff Lemire just took a new direction. Uh, obviously, he wanted to write the Legion, so he, like, did a whole six-issue arc that was basically yeah, the Legion. The first arc, didn't the first arc end with Convergence starting, so the book went, like, on a two- or three-month hiatus after that? I could. This is actually what I remember. I remember it had two arcs, mm-hmm. and then it yeah, went on a hiatus, and then it came April back. April 2014. So yeah, it might have been two. Yeah, it looks like it was two arcs before convergence, and then it came back and had a final. And the second arc was Jeff hurrah. Lemire just obviously just like, well, let me get this last chance to buy all my to use a lot of my favorite characters before I go to Marvel because that's what happened after that. <laughs> uh, and then Jeff Parker picked it up and he was like, let me just write this crazy six issue arc about the the war. So, but again, the problem with it. The main problem was it was a six-issue arc, and it was like the the slow rollout of all of DC's war characters. I mean, let me tell you, an issue of all of DC's war characters appearing in the present or something, and I don't know, driving the war wheel down uh, Rodeo Drive, something, you know what I mean? Like, this is going to be a fun time. I want the tank out there, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, uh, yeah, like Johnny Reb dealing with modern this and that, but uh, six issues, like, come on, dude, like, give me a break. And it's, it's, it's killing the narrative, I don't think it's necessary. I mean, if we are, if everything has to be collected in a trade, and I've said this to Chris so many times, he's he's like, I know already, but why can't we have, like, two issue, one issue, three issue? You know what I mean? Like, yep. just make sure it lands. It doesn't have to be six, yeah. What? You know, this this uh, this belief that the reader at the bookstore is going to be, like, blown away if they they have to, like, go to a new story. Oh, my God, in the middle. Of the, I think I think they can handle it. You know what I mean? I, yeah, yeah. They, they, they're, if, they're, if, they're, if they're interested in reading a comic and they know how to buy a comic, they're probably smart enough to follow they probably multiple under, stories. They probably yeah. understand that what they're reading was once published a serialized, in a way. Yeah, yeah, it's a serialized comic. Uh, frankly, I think they might even find more value in it personally, but. Well, sure, because if the first story ain't to your liking, or, or if you find it disappointing or whatever, and you go into another one, that might be better. You it's, might have a couple more, yeah. Uh, yeah. And if you have that one single issue there where it's maybe a quiet issue where you can actually learn who these damn characters are, it might be a decent thing. <laughs> I, I think about, huge. like, back, you know, in the 90s and the 80s before that, if a character died, the world kind of stopped, and, like, there was a funeral, you know? Yeah. You'd have that funeral issue. You'd have a quiet issue with everyone in memorial or whatever. In and when this writing for the trade thing kind of started, havoc. Uh, Cyclops' brother died. Uh-huh. Cyclops doesn't address this for like two years. <laughs> <laughs> it's like your brother's dead. <laughs> He's like, I'm busy, man. I'm busy. (laughs) Nobody addresses it because it happened in X Factor that nobody was reading because it was Howard Mackey's little thing. Yeah. But uh, nobody mentioned it for years that he. They didn't mention he was dead until he was coming back. Oh my god. It's like what? What is going on here? Because the stories are so expanded and it's it's. There's no breathing room now. You have no room for an issue like that anymore. Exactly, because everything has to be collected so you don't get those mm one-off quiet issues. Yeah, and and I suspect that publishers think those those one-off, those those payoff issues, I would call them, usually after a Hmm. big event, after a big, like, you know, clash of some kind. uh, Sure. My impression is that they probably don't think they play well in the collections because it's like they're not getting nonstop punch-em-up action. I sure. say give give people a little more credit in this world, would you? You know what I mean. Uh, it, a lot of a lot of a lot of what we see coming out of the big two is them telling us what we like. That's it. 
That's listen, it. listen to what people like for once. You know what I mean? Like, and I'm not even saying we're not even saying to stop your trade collection program because that's a pipe dream. That's not happening, okay? <laughs> Believe me, no one, no one is is living in a fantasy that you're going to stop, uh, you know, catering to bookstores. But you can make the single issues reasonable too. Um, I want to do Absolutely. Chris dug this amazing, uh, notable, quotable stuff at the end right here. So we want to read this off here. Uh, June twenty seventh, twenty eleven. It was reported around the comics internet that DC Comics publisher Dan DiDio had taken inventory of the direction of the comics industry. As a whole, at the very same time, DC was clearing the deck for that new 52 reboot that was just a couple of months away, really, right? Three months or two months. Mm -hmm. Um, So at a New York retailer roadshow, the following was reported. DC had taken a look at the comics industry as a whole and felt that the industry needed a shot in the arm. They felt that the stories had gotten stale and too talky. Dan recounted a book he had read recently from another publisher that had 15 pages of nine panels of exposition. This was Avengers Volume 4 or 5 or 6, number 14, one of those uh, Avengers. itself one, yeah. Yeah. Uh, he felt comics used to be able to do stories that movies couldn't. And lately, comic book movies have been doing comics better than comics have. Dan felt that DC needed to work harder across the board to improve the product. Mm, and this is the same fellow who employs Tom King, right? Yes, that's very okay, correct. Okay, yep. Okay. Just wondering there. I guess uh, I guess a decade will uh, change your uh, it changes mind now. Things have changed. Yeah. yeah. Now, uh, also, this is quoted here as saying, "Another change DC is making is that they won't be quote writing for the trade anymore. Uh, writers have been told to write the story they want to write and not worry about trade collecting. If they can tell a well-paced story in four issues, they've been told." Here we go. Not to pad it to make it six issues. Editorial can worry about how it's going to be collected. Going forward, books will be trade collected depending on how a story fits. If a book has a four-issue arc followed by a three-issue arc, the trade will collect both. If it's two four-issue arcs or three two-issue arcs, those will get collected. Right. Uh, and that was total, uh, you know, excuse my friend's bullshit. It ended up being yeah, 100%. Yeah, it didn't. Yeah, never happened. Not, didn't happen with any book uh, that I can think of. There were some books that ended up running so short that they did have seven issue collections, but that, <laughs> but that wasn't because of the uh, had the arc. books were supposed to be two six. Yeah, they were they were hoping to get two <laughs> yeah. volumes out of that. That never happened. Um, I mean, this this is just it's just a total bold faced lie and. It is. Uh, although it's interesting seeing this in, in knowing uh, New 52 is coming, and they definitely, you know, I think they use the term widescreen action, you know. Yeah. They, they definitely tried to simulate, especially those early layouts, some of that mm-hmm. movie stuff. and uh, that, that let Jim Lee draw less panels. It doesn't work. You know, <laughs> I mean, this, this is us. We're definitely romancing the hell out of comics. That's kind of what we do over here at the, uh, that's, that's why we do what we do. But to me, you want to talk about, you know, what comics can do that movies can't. Well, comics can tell a story in a way that movies can't and that prose can't in the way that we just described that panel. You know, that's the, the lang- yeah. that's the language of comics. That's what doesn't work on screen and doesn't work, you know, in the same way. You, you wouldn't tell that scene the same way because it, the, the language isn't there. When you realize that that's the foundation of the language, it's not words and pictures. It's panels, panels and gutters, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I th- of course, I always think about, and this is obviously the most highfalutin one, but that uh, opening of the second volume of Mouse, where Art Spiegelman's addressing you with f- wearing a mouse mask. Yes. You know, <clears throat> that whole scene, 
could not be done in a movie. That that nope. it, it wouldn't make any sense. You would you would have to do a whole different type of exposition to make that work. In a comic, it's a visual shorthand that works immediately, and that's the part that that they should be putting forward. Not the we can remove limbs. We every you know <laughs> guarantee yeah. every issue a character loses a limb. That was like that was the beginning of the new Fifty Two. It was like wow. Well, nobody, yeah, because that was that was something they said. <laughs> that was something they said where it's like we're going to kill a significant character every four months. Yeah. Like, what the hell is this? Who, who asked for that? I, there were so many things. Like, also, also, we're going to have fifty-two issues a month every month. Why? Who asked for that? Exactly. No one, no one wants that. Like the retailers, the, the buyers were like, no. You know, <laughs> Too we have, much. We have to find space for this shit. Oh. Uh, yeah, that. That whole thing was nonsense. You know, I mean, listen, someday, right, Chris, if we if we mm. live long enough, we will do some sort of an episode or retrospective on the new 52. Yes. Uh, we have plenty of thoughts about it. Uh, but, you know, I think we need to still, we still need distance. We still need, uh, you know, a closure on that. Yeah. But I, w- I will say, no one, and no one can deny, it sure did spike those numbers, boy. You know what I mean? The interest garnered... That was a good couple months. Yeah, it really was. I'd say two to three <laughs> months. And for some of the comics, they had like a uh, six-digit hangover that lasted about a year. Even Batman yep. and a couple of them. But uh, so it it worked for that. But you know, I I, I get the impression oh. that they're just barking up the wrong tree. I'm so go ahead, Chris. I, I, mean, I was going to say when all all of the. Uh... Six months after the New 52 started, they all had volume ones. Every single book had a yep. volume one with six issues in it. Oh, yeah. So, and, and, and just thinking about DiDio saying this at a New York roadshow, I'm sure there were Marvel representatives there. Mm-hmm. Like, when he says, we're not going to write for the trade anymore, we're not going to pad our stories. It's like, I, I got to wonder how betrayed some of them felt. It's like, wait, no, no, only we can say yeah, that. Don't admit that in <laughs> don't, public. Don't say we that out loud. We weren't on. supposed to reveal that. Yeah, no, I was, I was thinking that too. Like, uh, that that's supposed to be a trade secret, buddy. But <clears throat> anybody reading comics, it's it's so stupidly obvious. I mean, he, and it's hundred yeah. uh, percent true of Marvel. Also, I mean, it's so true now of the indies that they're kind of making a thing out of it. You know, you get your six issues, and then you got to wait. And they go on break. They go on a break and they come back, and and it's, it's so, it seems to work for them at least for some of the titles. But they're all they're making they're light. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. That been their whole other issue. And frankly, whatever they got to do to stay solvent, I say solvent. do it. And uh, whatever, but however it works. But I mean, they're owning up to the fact that yeah, these these are all a part of the trade, and that's a part of a huge part of our sales. Um, I just wish it didn't just murder just more things that killed a single issue and. Uh, it just gets more. It gets more and more to a point where I'm. I just reading a single issue. I feel like I've been taken for a ride. Because it makes me wonder, like, what what do the story outlines look like now? Like, uh, it's like a whole different paradigm now. Because like we just had, we have Heroes in Crisis going on now. That was solicited as, was it seven parts initially? Um, no, six or eight. Oh, si- okay, six, it and now we're up to and what, they added three. Now we're up to seven. Oh, we're up to nine. Yeah, nine. They was, oh, it, so, it might have been seven. They added two or six. They added three. I can't. One remember. of those. Yeah, yeah, but it's like, how? Yeah, I know. How? Yeah. Uh, I mean, do we, it, and then like, I'm looking at like Doomsday Clock. That's solicited as a twelve story arc. Is there twelve issues of story there? I, like know. how how do we how do we judge these maxi series as having this much story to fill it? 
I mean, we 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 just finished uh, Mr. Miracle not too long ago, and like the second and third issue consisted of Scott turning his head. Yeah. Oh, it's man, like, that what, one what was doing? so decompressed, it was ridiculous. I mean, pretty much we had the same issue four in a row with that stupid thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, and let's, let's not even get into the fact that, uh, you know, Mitch Jared's and his copy-paste skills are quite good. That's not even the issue here. That's, that's <laughs> that We could call that an artistic uh, you know, choice or whatever, but yes. story-wise, the, uh, the thing was just obviously clearly padded out way beyond. I think I might have read something that they wanted to do six and and DC said twelve. I might I might be wrong about that. Because uh, yeah, I could see that filling six time. issues, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it it was all right, but yeah, for twelve, it's too much. And then you got to think about the dollar cost of this too. This is not for insignificant. Sure. You know what I mean? This 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 pads out. Comics at one time were a kick. You know what I mean? Kind of a fun little a little bag to have, a little hobby on the side. And now it's like, oh yeah, uh, buys. Do I feel like eating? Stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you know how hungry am I today? So it's you know it, it's the worst thing. It's the worst thing in comics is this writing for the trade. I really wish they would stop doing it. Uh, I I don't care. They lie about it. We know you're doing it. Yeah, just yeah, stop it, doing it, it. Dan already broke the news. He we broke know. the news to us. We can tell. Yeah. I'm thinking about this. I'm thinking about this. Uh, this was this was before Wade was on Doctor Strange. It was uh, who, the, who were those guys on Marvel? Jason Aaron Jason and uh, Chris Botula. That's, that's exactly yeah. who it was. I'm, you got it. So. Uh, and it was so I'm you know I'm a big Doctor Strange fan. Sure. And uh, it wasn't a horrible story. What happened was I can't remember exactly. Whatever it was, Doctor Strange lost his powers over six issues, and then guess how many issues it took to get them back? Oh. Exactly six <laughs> issues, and he had to get three MacGuffins to do it. And I was just like, oh, Lordy. wow! Like was this th- this story is two issues? It's two issues. It's I lost my powers. I got them back. Maybe three. Maybe we could have one where it's him like. Dealing in, a, in the world powerless. Oh, Lord. Twelve issues of him losing and then regaining his powers. And I was I was like, boy. And in some ways it makes me feel like being a comics writer, boy, what a what a honey job what a that cherry is these gig. days, yeah. boy. Come up with one idea, come, one idea a decade, you're good. I've been uh, reading some of the uh, Justice League, Justice Society team-ups, and all those stories are are basically the same. Like they they cross over. Yeah. The machine that they use to cross over is broken. Bro- it breaks. breaks, and they they got to find yeah. the uh, thing. And then yeah. they got to find three things to get back, and it's in one issue. Yeah, I know. It's all we one issue. Ch- we get a chapter of like Batman and uh, Batman and Our Man going to do something. Then we have a chapter of Superman and Green uh, Alan Scott doing something, and it's all done in one. And and today, God, that would be that would be a year. It's easily. It's, it's crazy, man. It really is. You know. Um, yeah, I, I I hate to restrict the language. You know, I think sometimes expansive comic storytelling can be great. I think of some manga or even even American comics. But uh, when you have 20 pages, and when you're trying to crank them every month, like, don't rip us off, dude. You know what I mean? Just stop ripping well, people off. What was it? We we just read um, uh, Books of Magic. Yes. Uh, for the uh, Sandman universe. Yeah. And it was issue three, and it, it was an issue of, of nothing. It was, it was literally in, almost like yeah. all the characters sat at an, They sat at, in an auditorium. And yeah. it just let, let an issue pass. Like, nothing happened. It was like, wow. Uh, yeah, and, and that's a book we're enjoying, you know. But, sure, uh, we are enjoying it. But it was like this. This was a but the padding is real. Yeah, and it really is. It's it's really annoying. Uh, I mean, I'm sitting here saying what publishers should do on a first of all a patron only show, so no publishers would hear this, and not like any publishers <laughs> would be listening to us anyway. But no, I wish, I wish that there was some uh, because 
I don't think there's any comics fan that wants to do something that's going to hurt comics. You know what I mean? No, certainly um, not. And I, I don't think any reasonable comics fan thinks that the era of trade collecting is going to end. Uh, no, it doesn't need to. It doesn't need and, to either. Yeah. Um, but that, yeah, you can make the single issues better. I'm even just saying, like, if they, like, when I review comics for the Weird Science site, sure. if, if I get a three issue arc, I'm dancing. I'm like, wow, mm-hmm. what a what a great day. <laughs> That's what we had with uh, with Mother Panic. That's uh, right. The first run, there was three issue arcs, and it was you had the you had the introduction, the rising action, and the climax. Boom, done. And then Perfect. and then on the last arc of that first volume, they kind of it was kind of a you know remember all the stuff we did. It was that was mm-hmm. a really well done uh, formulaically. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like as far as like writing formula, that was a really good one. I think you know like it was. yes, like snapped along. Character grew and developed, and there were a lot of things we didn't like, but as far as the fundamentals of comic storytelling, we really did like that one. Yeah, because uh, could, we could read a year's worth. Uh, like, there were uh, The Rise and Fall of the Shi'ar Empire was an Uncanny X-Men run. Ed Brubaker came on. Yeah. It was a year-long story. And, and in a year, like three days passed. <laughs> it's just like uh, wow. Uh. <laughs> you gotta know every minute. It was like it was like watching twenty four, right? You got every minute accounted for. Pretty much. Yeah, yeah. we don't need that. We don't actually no, need that. Sure you know. Don't. I think I think people saw those old splash pages by uh, Stan and Jack of like or of Jack by Jack of like the thing on a couch reading, hmm. and they were like, "Oh, that's fine. Now we can do that now from now on." It was like, "No, no, he earned that." He had to earn that by drawing like twelve splash pages of like somebody getting their face knocked in, you know. Yeah. <laughs> that splash page was followed by twenty-two pages of nine. Exactly, yeah, like nine <laughs> you know, uh, alien invasions, fleets coming in and stuff. Oh. So uh, yeah, I mean that's that really is it. It's like so much this yappity yap and talking, the yeah. dragging things out, and uh, it's it's depressing, uh, especially at three and four bucks a clip. Oh, four and five, yeah. Uh, four and five, that's true. I mean, actually, we still haven't left three dollar realm yet, totally. But it's it's imminent. It's uh, moments yeah. away, if not. Yes, what the, the new age of heroes are still three bucks. They're still they're and still three Titans bucks. Titans go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, no, I'm not even I'm not even counting those little kid books. But yeah, I think there's the the new age of heroes, and I think that's it for DC. Nothing for Marvel. So. Oh no, it hasn't um, been for Marvel in a long, long time. Yeah, Marvel's been sitting on that four dollar for a long time, and they're they're already. Poking up into five dollars on a lot of them, and it's to their peril. I and you know, in some ways, I really feel for comics retailers. Uh, oh, absolutely. You know, absolutely. comics retail is a funny business. We sometimes we got to maybe do a comics talk off the cuff about it because it's kind of a hard thing to talk about historically. But it's something that started in such earnest. And then mm-hmm. attracted so many horrible scumbags <laughs> who then got their comeuppance, and then it kind of was left with people that. Really had to become business, you know, people after that. You know what I mean? Like, sure. uh, diversify into Magic: The Gathering and other things, and get out of their comfort zone where comics are concerned. Even like, you know, uh, learn about other other things. So, you know, they, like, they you get know, beaten up. Yeah, because like, if if you know that it's a six issue arc, and you know that if you buy issue four of whatever book, is going to just be nothing. Yeah. You're, you're gonna you're gonna wait for the trade, but are you gonna go to the comic shop to buy the trade at full price, or are you gonna go on Amazon and buy it at fifty to sixty percent off? Hey, that is a hundred percent right. It's oh, I really? Mean, it's it's twenty it's twenty percent off to start, definite. Yeah. and then it could be you know you're right fifty could be uh, could be sometimes the discounts are crazy if you pre-order it 
way ahead of time. Like CBS, you get you you get uh, most trades come out at fifty percent off initially, at least. In stock, does the same thing. Yeah, Uh, we are not sponsored by either of them, but we just know that (laughs) we wouldn't mind being. Wouldn't mind if if they they (laughs) want want to be our patron and hear this episode. But yeah. uh, Yeah, I mean that that's 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 one hundred percent right. Why would you even bother? Especially when you're, you know, part of the thing about reading single issues is the week to week staying on top of it, talking about it with your friends. If you're not doing that, then why would you even bother going to the store at all? Just just give it to me when it's out. Yeah, unless we tie back into our last episode where you're just obsessive. That's the other side, exactly. (laughs) You're right. No, that's right. So it 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 draws those people in to just like slip them in, but then. It also turns a lot of people, you know, the casual readers, the people that you want to, the ones that were covered, the looking to right. get in, the mystical, yeah. the, new, the new reader. I always <laughs> that they always talk about this person that is new, brand new to comics. They've never seen such a thing. Wandered into a store you know, on accident. I picture a guy coming coming off the steamship, just like, "Hello, I am from country not having comics." You know, like, "Oh, what is this? <laughs> Don't be ridiculous!" Like, what is I not? I am seeing words and picture in same place. Oh boy, it's uh yeah. So that's it. So that that's our cheerful comics talk. I think that's what we're <laughs> from here. Uh, once again, although again, this this is sort of ties into the last episode. So yeah. uh, we wanted to definitely talk about these two in a row. Uh, sure. Do you have any other uh, insights or or tales from the uh, six issue? Uh, not really. Just it's just it'll just be a lot of repetitive, uh, whatever. Yeah. I mean, yeah. The when Jemis and Casada took over, you know, they weren't even they weren't even messing around. You'd have it on the cover. the The title of the story would be there. It'd be like Captain America: Ice, Part One of Six, right there on the cover. Right, it's right. Like, of course. So there's not a no surprise, no uh, no hopes that maybe with the fourth issue it's gonna be over. It's just nope. Right out the gate, this is a six issue. Which uh, actually, I I appreciate that more than doing a mini and not saying anything. Well, I mean, like I'm talking. I'm talking yeah. during the during a during a uh, an ongoing. Oh, okay. They, they would put the story oh, like like the they arc, did with the Rebirth. Arc, right, 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 right. Yeah. Right, yes, yes. I know what you mean. Uh, yeah, I know. It's right there in your face. It's like you're in for the long haul, sucker. Uh, yeah. And that, that that right there almost might might make someone make pause and be like, so basically they're telling me that this is going to cost me thirty dollars, and it's going to take a half a year. Do I want to spend? If you know, if I'm lucky, it's going to be yeah. half a year. Am I still uh, going to care in July? Yeah. <laughs> really? That's the thing. I'm going through puberty. <laughs> Uh, girls are getting sexier every day. Do I care about this? <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's uh, that that really is the reality. I, I have one question for you, Chris. This is a much hmm. more avid uh, collector and the comic box uh, arranger. Sure. Has uh, the arc has this affected the way you arrange your comics? Will you only end at a box on an arc and begin a box on an arc? Is what I'm asking. Uh, either either an arc or a uh, a round number, or like a okay. uh, like a, 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 a like a, a quantity of twenty five. You know, like a twenty five, fifty, seventy five, or a hundred. Okay. Uh, I'll do it. At, I'll split an arc up that way if it if I can get it to like number you know six seventy five right <laughs> on there. But uh, I mean, with the way these books are written, you don't need to read them more than once. That's true. <laughs> I, I mean, am I going to want to read, you know, the rise and fall of the Shi'ar Empire again? No. Maybe. No. I, we might have an episode coming up soon. We don't <laughs> have to dust that baby off, you know. But yeah, I know that's the that's the uh, that's the 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 other side of the old collecting gambit. You know how it goes. That's true. But anyway, that's, true. that's uh, that's for you to think about. 
this year going forward, Chris, I think. <laughs> uh, I think that's all we got to, for this right now. Um, I don't think we got to do a usual. I don't know what the hell our wrap-up is for this anymore. We don't really have a yeah, we'll typical one. But, uh, <laughs> anyway, thanks, everyone, for your support. Absolutely. We hope that you're enjoying these episodes. If you have any topics you want us to cover, uh, we would love to hear from you. Um, Certainly. We, we have cheerier ones. The next one's going to be a little cheerier. Fun, the next one's going to be a lighter one. Yes. Uh, you know, the sides I'll of comics that we enjoy, not just uh, us complaining and, and kvetching about them. But, doom and, doom and gloom. Uh, yeah. But this really is like what we, this is often how we begin our recording sessions. It's just like pissing and moaning about comics. <laughs> we, we limber up the vocal cords. That really is it. Then we got to get in and be like, hey, everybody, now we're very happy. <laughs> but that's, that's the, what it is. That's the gig. It's showbiz, baby. You know what I mean? It's a. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, what you see, what you get. Um, yeah, so, of course, you know how to get to us. Patreon is a fine place to post. You can also write sure. to us at weirdcomicshistory at Gmail or, you know, our Twitters, however you like it. Let us know what you want to hear, what you want to see, what you want to do on this. And uh, like I say, we have another episode of Comics Talk later this month and, of course, Comics Talk After Dark, which I'm going to signal to Chris is might be our second choice. It might be. <laughs> we might be switching over to our second choice for that. But that was a a inside a little inside baseball for the Patriots right there. <laughs> nudge, nudge. Uh, but anyway, uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for all your support so much, everybody. And uh, we'll be talking at you soon enough. Yep. Thanks, and see ya. Welcome back to Comics Talk, episode number hey, hey. six. Uh, thanks. This is our patron-only show, second one for the month of January 2019. Uh, mm-hmm. The second Comics Talk, that is, the third of the patron-only shows. And this is something that Chris dug up that I thought sounded really interesting uh, as a topic 
It's called the four types of fan, or really mm-hmm. the four kinds of fans. I don't know why I decided <laughs> to rename it, but there it is. But uh, yeah, why don't you start telling us about what the four kinds of fans are here? Sure, sure. This is a this is a subject that I've been wanting to talk about for like over a decade now, but just haven't found a way to shoehorn it into the conversation. Mm-hmm. So, figure that this is as good of a spot as any here. Um, now, this is something that I kind of stole from. Uh, a wrestling personality, a professional wrestling personality named Jim Cornette. It's a, uh, he's a booker, manager. Uh, he managed the Midnight Express during the 80s. He did his time in WWE. He, he's been around the business pretty much everywhere you could be. Uh, he kind of reminds me of uh, Mark Wade in a way. Uh, oh, yeah. They, both, they both seem kind of hot-tempered and, uh, and have very long and storied uh, rap sheets, you yeah. know? They, they, they've, they've made friends. They've made enemies. They've done journeymen. <laughs> But I want to be clear to everyone, too, that Chris is saying this for my benefit because I don't know anything about wrestling. So um, <laughs> if, you, if this is redundant to you, this is for me. So don't feel like he's yes. uh, just saying anything. I, I'm, yeah. not, I'm not condescending <laughs> to anybody. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Jim Cornette, during uh, in the, I, I want to say this is probably from somewhere in the mid-2000s. This is after WCW went out of business. So there was only really one big promotion round. Mm-hmm. And uh, the fans were kind of drifting away because it wasn't as interesting as it was during the 90s. Right. And he was approached and asked, you know, what do we do to what what would you do to keep fans engaged, keep fans to grow the fan base back to what it once was? Mm. And uh, he went off on a promo. He cut a promo, basically, which is what he usually does. And uh, he discussed what he considered the four types or four kinds of fans. These are wrestling fans, of course, but it could be we could apply it to any kind of fandom of entertainment or yeah. Consumable anything, basically. And uh, we're going to read through his uh, his four kinds of fans here. And uh, it's all going to be applied to applicable to wrestling, but we will go through it again and pop some comic stuff in there, too. Yeah, where we think it direct, more directly applies to Absolutely. It. Absolutely. Now, he looks at the first group, and he says, there are this many people who come to see anything in a wrestling ring. They're going to come to see anybody in boots and tights in a wrestling ring no matter what. They're hardcore. They're on the internet. They want to come because they either can't get enough wrestling or they want to bitch and complain about something and say how they can do it better. So that's your first group of fans there, the hardcores who will always be there. The hardcore, they're on the internet. That's not a uh, oxymoron. Are you sure? Okay, I just want to make sure. They're hardcore but soft-bellied. Oh, okay. You mean hard and robust in their fandom. Is Okay, that's what you meant. Indeed. Uh, the second group, he says, this crowd likes good wrestling. Not old wrestling, not new wrestling, just good wrestling. There's two kinds of wrestling, good wrestling and bad wrestling. I don't care who presents it or what it is, that's this crowd, that's the second crowd. They want to see good wrestling, and if you present a good product for an extended period of time to where it gets the point across, they will come to see you. Yeah, so you have the two groups. First group's always there. Second group will be there when it's good. Mm. And then we jump into the third group. He says, this crowd comes to see the star, comes to see the big event, the rock, the Steve Austin. Either somebody really gets hot like Hulk Hogan two decades ago or The Rock in Austin in late 90s or whatever, or the WrestleMania is hot. That's that's the crowd where no matter what you do, they aren't going to come all the time, and they're not going to watch every week, but they know it's around. That's the third group, the people who will come for the big shows or the big stars. Uh, Everybody else in the world is in the fourth group. They don't give two flying forks. 
You could put a flying elephant in the ring. They don't give a spit because it's wrestling and they don't want to see it. They want to see ballet, fly fishing, and I don't give a spit what else. You ain't going to get them. So you've always got these people, group one, right? And I'm not saying you should spit on them because they're your ticket purchasing patrons. But you've always got these people. If you've got a good product, you've got group number two, so concentrate on that. There's really no way that you control group number three because how you how do you just say, okay, this guy is going to be the next Rock or the next Steve Austin or Hulk Hogan? You can't do that. They've got to come along, and that's when you really you get the really big house, the record gates or whatever. And the fourth group, who gives a flying fork what you people want to see? If you people are gonna going to the goddamn ballet, fork you because we're doing wrestling. And the people who try to say, well, we're going to give the people who don't like wrestling something to watch, they've got something to watch. It's on the other forking stations while your program is on, you dumb son of a bitch. <laughs> so why do, you, why do you do spit that's not related in any way to wrestling on a wrestling program? They don't stop Saturday Night Live to have Kurt Gowdy give a goddamn Olympic freestyle skating report. The people watching Saturday Night Live don't, don't give two flying forks about the goddamn Olympic freestyle skating, so why do it is all I'm saying. So, you've got group one. If you're good, you have group two. When you're lucky, you have group three. And the rest of them, it doesn't make a forking difference because they're not coming anyway. Yeah. And, and I was just thinking while we read this, and, you know, it definitely applies, could be applied to pretty much any sports fan. Any Oh, for sure. For sure. I mean, this, this is almost, now that I really think about it, this almost reads like a list of also the four kinds of sports fans, but uh, really any entertainment industry, I'm pretty sure. Absolutely. But the only thing is we can't really say with total authority since we don't know what the sure. uh, what the crowd is around fly fishing, for example, but I bet it's <laughs> I bet it's similar. I bet there's, you know, hardcore adherents and there's people that only like the stars of fly fishing, like... Uh, Rattlebone Jim, you know, that's I a love big, that guy. big star. I love that guy. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but in terms of, we, we, of course, we, if you didn't know, Chris, we do a comics podcast. So, oh, yes. Uh, yes. We're going to be talking, we're going to be relating this to comics. And uh, I think there's definitely, really practically a one-to-one correlation if you just uh, kind of change the, you know, the, what the expectation of the product is. Sure. Um, that first group to me and pretty much to you too is, uh, would be those hardcore collectors, hardcore fans. And we break that down two ways. Uh, these are folks that don't even read the books. They just buy them and file them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's just people that are just collecting. They just want to complete a run or continue to collect a run or runs mm-hmm. or whatever, however they do it. Uh, or folks who just plow through their weekly hauls the night they get them home. Can't get enough of them, good, bad, and different. They just want to be reading comics. Any comics, single issues, trades, manga, fumetti, 2000 AD, if it's sequential art, they're there. Yes. And I'd say that's, th- those those two are connected, but I do, I do see that there's a difference there. Because sure, one of them sure. isn't reading them. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but they probably were but, at some point. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's <laughs> like, I was I was even going to say, like, like a collector, like, for example, you, you have limits on what you collect. I have my own mm-hmm. limits, you know. But in truth, the only limits we really have, right, Chris, are money and space, <laughs> and Absolutely. how much we can get away with with our spouses. Uh, <laughs> if we, if if all those things were unlimited and we get away with anything, uh, we would have every comic ever made. Absolutely. Um, but you know, because that's not reasonable, we and that's what people do. And I think you sort of move through different phases in your collecting, and then one of them eventually becomes the. I have no time to read them, or I've even stopped enjoying them. Let me just file them away. 
Absolutely. Uh, but definitely, you see them online all the time. The people that are For sure. really reading that, and, I, and you know, I, I got to say, I consider us to be uh, comics enthusiasts in the way that we pre- we do our best to appreciate the breadth of the of the uh, genre. You the know language, what I mean? Yeah. Um, that's it's it's. I mean, you know, probably just like wrestling, you can break this down so many ways because there are people that stick with the superheroes. Uh, mm-hmm. But as as you mentioned, I'm I'm almost kind of having a conversation with my health, myself here, Chris. Because as you <laughs> as you mentioned though, that's usually for a while. You know, every you know sure. you you start to like you you talk about you got annoyed with comics at one point. Uh, you went manga, mm-hmm. and uh, became quite a big manga fan. You know, and it's just like sure. that just happens. You know what I mean? Just like you it's... see something else, you get interested. Suddenly you're reading you know Robert Crumb or whatever. I definitely would put myself in the first group, uh, leaning a little bit into the second group, which we'll get into in a second. But definitely, I've got, I've got at least a foot in the first camp here, yeah. uh, where, like you just alluded to, when I when I felt that comics weren't for me, or when I was out of work and couldn't afford the you know the prices on these comics these days, I did turn to manga because it was cheaper and I got more for my money. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm the kind of guy who just wants to be reading comics, regardless mm-hmm. of if it's you know if it's about a group of school kids who get superpowers or if it's a, a, a Western group of school kids that get superpowers. You know, it's what's cool it, is it's also it's comics in another language, and and I don't mean I don't mean just. In sure. Japanese, but even the whole language of the comic is, is the oh, way yeah. you're reading it in a different direction. It's got like all these different uh, mm-hmm. icons and you know visual identifiers. It's it's absolutely it's a fascinating thing. You have to be a certain. I think you are that that sort of man. <laughs> no, I'd, I'd hit the used bookstores and I'd grab anything that I could in the clearance section. So I have got, I've got you know, tan tan books. I've got a bunch of indie stuff that I would have never grabbed before. Yeah, it's just because I always want to be reading comics. I always want to have something, and, and it's one of those cruel ironies because I always wanted to have something on my to read pile, and now uh-huh. I could be buried in it. <laughs> so it's, oh, now you're it's be careful what you. It's a monkey's paw thing. <laughs> But now we'll jump into the second group, and we consider those basically comic book readers, uh, you know, uh, not quite as hardcore as the first, but these are ones that will follow storylines, characters, maybe creators. These are like more traditional sorts, less hardcore, Mm. Uh, though whether they comprise the biggest part of the fandom is questionable because these days you don't know. Because we don't know know. if like the – is the industry being pushed forward by the the habitual comic fan or it's – so it's weird. It is yeah. weird, yeah. It is. Uh, I mean, you have no answer there, but it's, it's sure makes you wonder. Yeah. Anyway, it does. <laughs> but uh, to paraphrase from the Cornette quote, you know, uh, and apply it to comics here, they want to read good comics, and if you present a good product for an extended period of time to where it it gets the point across, they will come and see you. So, you know, books get buzz. You know, on the internet now, especially we've sure. got we've got a bunch of sites dedicated to hyping things. So. You know, good comics, like any good consumable entertainment, will get that buzz. And, you know, we can look at things like The Walking Dead or, or like uh, Brian K. Vaughn's saga, you know. Mm-hmm. Even things, whether we liked it or not, Mr. Miracle, the Maxi series, that had buzz. Even, so, Black, even Black Hammer, which, you know, we talked about recently. Sure, that got, sure. That's getting a little bit of buzz, too, because it got that pickup, and I'm sure that gives a bump to that comic and stuff. Absolutely. So. so now you have people who already have a proclivity toward reading comics, mm-hmm. and they hear that something is good, 
they're probably or, or likely they'll pop their heads in to check it out, you know, because they are attuned to visiting a comic book store. They've done it in the past. They did it willingly in the past. Yeah. And now that they hear something is good and it's got buzz, they might be interested in checking it out. And, and we do live in a time right now when I think in America people are, are more inclined towards the comics language than ever before. Uh, there, there's still a lot of, you know, I'm sure you get it sometimes too. You know, you tell them you read comics and people they smirk. Still or they, they, yeah. uh, they still make those. Or they, they assume that you're you know, a baby. You know, a man child, it's like, yeah. It's like the comics can be about a lot of different things. But I think there are more people aware of that now than ever. Uh, you know, the I, we know that the, in the bookstore, what used to be a non-existent or a, a spindly graphic novel section has now become a deluxe and a lot of, you know, if the bookstore still mm-hmm. exists where you live, folks. But uh, it's become these much larger manga and uh, dens, graphic yeah. novels. There are also many more graphic novels being published now than ever before. Uh, not that that's the only comic, but if that's, that is what's bringing people into the language of it. Uh, so that they're already familiar with that, so that if they see that there's a buzz on a comic, it's not like crazy to them to that they might enjoy it. Even my wife mm-hmm. reads a couple of comics, and this is, I don't think that's, would have been something she would have done 10, 15 years ago, to be honest with you. So, uh, sure, sure. it's not because of me, is what I'm saying, because she doesn't read the comics I like, folks. <laughs> Believe me, she thinks the comics I like are stupid as hell. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, uh, that's not totally true. But anyway, we, uh, <laughs> So it's uh, it, the only thing here, though, is of course the uh, qualifier of a good comic, Chris. Yeah, that, uh, mm-hmm. it's like what is a good comic, and that's this to me is is uh, group two is also sort of a group three situation, which we'll talk about because there is a little luck there also. Oh, absolutely. Um, but and, and I'm going to tell you something that I'm I, I'm not going to name the publisher. But everyone listening to this, and Chris knows the publisher, the ones that we get comps from, uh, I noticed the, the worst errors, like the most basic errors. And yeah, we're, those are comps, but I see the finals too. They're not fin- They're not completed. Sure. Uh, they, they're missing credits. They go entire issues without naming characters. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you go entire issues like... Where basically a character walks from left to right the entire thing, you know what I mean? And, <laughs> uh, and it's like, though, that's not good. That's not a no. good comic. That'll never no. be a good comic. The basic language has to be correct. Uh, sure. And there are, you know, I think that I think that the rules that were in place in the newsstand days might not apply anymore. Um, oh, totally. Not. Yeah. But somewhat, I think that I think the basics of the nuts you, and bolts. You you should. I still believe you should be able to pick up. A comic issue, and and be able to read a one story in there. Even if it's you know, I'm not saying the villain has to die. Obviously, you know, whatever. But you've you've read something complete, and you you know what happened, and that's really all there is to it. It's sure they're treated the chapters as uh, this is goes back to our discussion from however many weeks ago about uh, writing for the trade. Yeah, is these things are treated as chapters, and I mean, God, the number one issues which used to be so coveted. Don't even but don't bother buying a book until there's three issues out because the number one issue is not going to tell you anything. You're not going like, to tell you a damn. Like, what thing. happened? A guy, a guy like walked into a barn. That's what I. That's the whole issue. Uh, it's. I mean, I'm serious. This is like really the way a lot of comics are. Sure. Um, I mean, you know, that's you know, this this is something uh, that that the folks uh, it actually are are lovely patrons, Bob and Barbara. Now that I think about it, uh, they've talked about that too when they talk about comics that like. Uh, Barbara is someone newer to comics, so mm-hmm. she really needs 
someone to like Primer. Yeah. to like say like here here's here's my name here's my basic powers here's my these basic... are my razor sharp adamantium claws you know at, but you know you're saying that phrase because they used to write that all the time absolutely because absolutely. every is they wanted you to know that he has razor, razor sharp, sharp adamantium claws <laughs> now it's a damn secret well I don't even know if Wolverine exists anymore but uh, <laughs> or, or only one <laughs> or, or he'll go a whole issue not even using them. It's like, what do I want to see that for? You know, it's like, oh great, Wolverine went to the store. You know, like, come on, this is not this is not what we're buying. This is not what we're paying for. And now coming up to five dollars, and I mean, yeah. that's if Marvel doesn't want to have a deluxe wedding issue. <laughs> God, you'll have to skip lunch all week to buy that thing. He's crying, yeah. Christ. So it's uh, this this that 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 to me like you can't know if a comic is going to be good. If you know, obviously you you do your best to write a story you think is good. Yeah. And whether people respond to it is a little bit of luck, but if you you got to start with the foundation of a intelligible comic, comic sure. right? A yeah. comic you can read for sure, for sure. Uh, we see it too much. I mean, I I could I can't believe how many times I've seen, uh, you know, these just like uh, how many times have we read comics recently where you're supposed to believe that two characters, you know. Breaking up or getting together is a huge deal, and you're like, "Oh yeah, really? I didn't, I didn't get that." You know, <laughs> like comics where you've been reading every issue, and like suddenly, like two characters kiss, and you're like, "Oh, I guess that's supposed to be like a big deal." I didn't even know they like right? liked each other. What the hell's going on here? <laughs> uh, <clears throat> it shouldn't be that 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 way. Uh, that's what I no, think. Certainly not. <laughs> um, anyway, speaking of that third group, Chris. Yes. This would be those people dragged in because of mainstream news or also uh, names, which we'll talk about in a minute too. But uh, definitely, you know, stuff like the Superman 75, Death of Superman, that old 80s, 90s speculation I think would apply here. Sure. People that were drawn to buy comics because they were heard about it on the news. Uh the new fifty-two. I wanted to mention this definitely applies here, mm-hmm. and we're not. We are not going to talk about the new fifty-two right now. But I no. do want to say that uh, the initial surge it worked. It, oh yeah, it dragged a lot of people into the comic stores. Uh, unfortunately, they didn't. St- most of them didn't stay, and maybe those yeah. that did stay didn't stay with DC. But that is, that's not, you know, their fault. That's, uh, you know, that's DC's fault as far as I'm concerned. But sure. uh, it works, man. I mean, it, it'll get you that surge of mm-hmm. people. Uh, yeah, and anything, and, you know, we didn't list it here, but anything with a number one on it. I mean, yes. as much as we don't want to say that it works, it, it that also works. It's, it, it's, it drags people It sucks, out. but it works. It, it, it does work. People come out, they buy the number ones. Although you notice uh, so with certain publishers that have, Put out many number ones. Maybe done that a little too often. Uh, you find that those, they're getting m- many more diminishing returns on their number sure. ones. No, it's no longer the. I mean, God, remember the new Fifty Two? Like those first books, it was like six figures they were all doing for oh, the first yeah. couple of months. It was unbelievable. They were so high Wild. those numbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, numbers we haven't seen in a long time, and people. Don't know or whatever. A lot of them don't know that comics were really in the toilet right before that. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, but I mean, since then, how many? Especially DC, yeah. Particularly DC, Marvel yeah. wasn't wasn't really doing a whole lot better. Image was like pathetic, uh, you know. Except mm-hmm. for the Walking Dead was all, the only thing they had carrying. Um, yeah. And then since then, think about how many independent publishers and how many 
new creator-owned things have come out. Like, I'm not, I'm not saying this this clearly wasn't Dan DiDio's or DC's plan, but they <laughs> did give a little shot in the arm to comics. The industry as a whole, yeah. Uh, and, and it's had some lasting effects, but not close to what they want. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> also, those hopefully... Just annual crossovers, uh, not three, two and three times a year. <laughs> uh, this is also people do show up for that. The numbers don't lie. They, yeah. at least they ship a lot. I'll tell you that. True. And uh, I do see people after the fact wanting to buy collected, you know, bundles of yeah. of, of an event. Uh, I see that at my shop. I see that online all the time. Um, you know, they buy. They have the. the Whatever, so nine nine issue event, nine issue shrink, and then yeah. the uh, tie-ins. You know the uh, <laughs> the six to nine, the the the, the uh, event that grew two heads. Oh, is that what we call yes. it? Um, <laughs> of course, we're talking about the secret civil wars, crises, the uh, you know original sins, all those great books. All that stuff. Um, yeah. <laughs> the, the civil warsies. Yes, the warsies. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, you know, going back to uh, you know mainstream news here, we had that uh, we had that Obama issue of Spider-Man with right. the fist bump. You know, yes, I mean, of course. there was the uh, the gay wedding issue of Astonishing X-Men that they came that came out with. Those books that did get a little bit of press, they also saw a surge. I Absolutely, mean, even Earth those... Two with the, with Gay Alan Scott. Remember, that's right. Like, that's right. God, who would have thought Earth Two? <laughs> right. Hot book, but all right. <laughs> uh, another thing, uh, we've got you know big names coming to come. You know, since around the turn of the century, comics publishers have looked toward the, quote, mainstream talent to add name value to their titles. Uh, it's probably not the first case of this, but what my mind always goes to is Kevin Smith coming on Daredevil and Green Arrow. Mm-hmm. That's That seems to be like the first, I, I don't even know if we would call him an A-lister, but he was like the first f- fan pro guy who came in and... He was able to write his own ticket straight out the gate. Sure, yeah, well, especially at that time in Marvel. For sure. There, there was, sure. There was there a, lot a lot more, more going on. There was, they were yeah. willing to try anything. But, For you know, sure. I mean, in a, in, a, in a much broader sense, and it's not the same thing, but uh, even like, you know, uh, uh, the Dean Martin, uh, Martin and Lewis comics, Bob Hope comics, just, uh, these big names attached to even though those guys didn't mm-hmm. do them. Sure. But those people buying those comics were probably more fans of those people, not of the actual comics. Yeah, you know, not of was, Bob Oxner. <laughs> yeah, especially when, once they started reading deep into that, they were like, what, the super hip? Get out of here. <laughs> Get out of here. But, uh, but, yeah. now, and, you know, we had, like, people who followed, like, Joss Whedon would show up and do whatever he right, wanted to do. Right. And this is kind of the phenomenon that attracted me to this topic to begin with. Uh, back probably 2008-ish, 2009, I was reading an issue of Marvel Previews, and it, because, uh, you know, if you buy previews, the previews catalog, Marvel's books aren't in it. it that's a, uh, you know, a side book yeah. that comes with it. And it was full of nods to, you know, like, this book from the writer of Entourage and this book from the writer of NBC's Heroes. It's like, well, what? What the hell's the book? Yeah, really. I'm learning about, I'm learning about some, some idiot who wrote on an HBO show. What do I care? It, it, what does that tell me about what, whether or not I want to read this book? And uh, you know we uh, we're going to use an old uh, John Burnism here, which it's ironic in a way. Right. But uh, he would complain about uh, the big two putting the singer before the song. You know, it became about the creator and less about the characters and less about the story, which is ironic coming from like the first dude who was ever called a superstar. Creator. Basically, well, so, uh, well, you know, it's funny because uh, what you're talking about is is what Burn would call a civilian. 
right? Yes, Coming from outside civilian. of comics. But there are names within comics, and there are names that I've grown to trust. Uh, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, but you know, rest his soul. But uh, Darwin Cook was a guy. If I oh, saw, sure. if I saw he yeah. was on a book, I bought that book. The end. You mm-hmm. know, I just, I, I loved his, I loved his work. I love his work. Uh, but that's a guy. That's you know, that's a guy in the industry. So that makes sense. To that's the same thing in wrestling. You know, like of course a wrestling mm-hmm. fan is gonna like. Someone, yeah, if, you know, yeah, that, if the rocks music hits, people are going to go nuts. Well, I mean, that that's everybody, but a wrestling yeah. fan is going to like, I don't know. I don't know enough about wrestling, Chris, but <laughs> a lesser wrestler will say. How about that? Sure, sure. A, a less mainstream. Exactly. Wrestler. That's what I mean. <laughs> but uh, that's kind of what drove me nutty with uh, thinking about this is like, is that people, uh, Marvel, and, and they, I mean, they're doing this for a reason. They're doing it because it works. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it goes back to the saying, you know, it's not wrong, but to me, it's wrongheaded. It's, uh, you're pulling people in out of curiosity, uh, you know, because you want to see how the guy who did Mallrats is going to write Daredevil. Right. Uh, they want to see, you know, Daredevil roll a joint or something. I don't know. He didn't, by the way. <laughs> he didn't, no. But the, and actually, he did his make Daredevil. Batman wet himself. That was nice. Yeah, that was pleasant. But his Daredevil and Green Arrow that he came out to shoot with were very good. Yeah, I, like them I, 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 I don't know if I've read his Daredevil, but I've read his Green Arrow, and it's actually quite good. Actually, to be honest, it is. his Batman isn't terrible. It's just not great. Yeah, but, but yeah. believe me, there's worse. There's this much crappier than <laughs> his out there. So it's yeah, uh, it's just his reputation precedes him a yeah, little much. Uh, yeah. But you know, to go back and paraphrase the Jim Cornette quote here about this group here, Group Three, that's the third group. The people who will come for the big shows, or in our case, the big stories, or the big stars. Right. So you're not always going to have them. You can't control when they come other than you have to hold a big event or you have to have a big star. Yeah, I would say that probably comics has more control over wrestling, although obviously when wrestling pulls in people like Mr. T or I know they've had that. Donald Trump was on in the ring. You know, whenever they have that guy, I'm sure that uh, puts a bump on the viewings, you know, but... uh, you know, this is something comics can control a lot easier. They just find a celebrity and stick them in there, you know. And, uh, and and in truth, like, you know, I think Brian Vaughn is, is a good comics writer, even though he does. Sure. Not, that's not his main thing. Clearly likes it. He he does it, keeps doing it. So Absolutely. Uh, he does, he's into it, doesn't have to. Uh, but in truth, these fans are uh, fair weather fans in the truest sense, yeah. you know. And, and I don't mean that to denigrate them because I'm sure they don't give a crap that I'm calling them that because, you know what I no, mean? No, like, of course not. They're not as invested. They're not sure. invested. They're like, whatever, you call them whatever the hell you want. I'm only buying the comics by <laughs> uh, whatever, uh, you know, the celebrity. So <clears throat> uh, it's, a, it's a bad long-term strategy. Um, these would be novelty fans readers, uh, which limits the amount of control that the industry has over them and their purchasing habits. Uh, not that they haven't tried, though. Endless crossovers face that law of diminishing returns. Uh, yeah, it's uh, whether a superstar mainstream writer becomes just another writer that novelty wears off, which is true. That happened with Kevin Smith actually when he went to DC. <laughs> yeah, because when he did uh, those Batman books, they weren't they, they weren't, weren't setting huge. the world on fire like the Daredevil did. Like, we, are, did. we already know what you can do, and it's it's all right. It's not that great. Yeah. So you know whatever. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, you know, again, uh, a certain publisher which has rebooted many times in the last eight years that we're not going to name, uh, mm-hmm. but I think you probably know exactly who I mean. God, I mean, the, this this is the event fatigue. This is people used to talk about event fatigue. They didn't know what they were talking about. It, you yeah, know they I mean? didn't it, know how good they had it. Oh my God! I mean, we, we used to have only a lowly one event a year. Mm-hmm. It got to the point with the other one where I was like, what? 
what is this universe even like you know what i mean like are we even still in the main universe so who who are anyone where are any familiar version of any character and you know This is a place I don't want to go too deeply into here, Chris, right now. <laughs> We're trying to keep this positive. But yes. uh, this is this is part of the gimmicky stuff to get people, uh, you know, interested. The third group, the third group doesn't care. By by the, the fifth no. event, they're long out. You know what I mean? They're like, whatever. Like, yeah, the novelty is just, there's, it's, <laughs> it's just regular comics at that point. Right. Well, you know, if, if you know, you're on your fifth iteration of Spider-Man... Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah, the novelty is done. So anyone that might have been like, "Oh, I want to see the new Spider-Man," they're like, "Well, when isn't there a new Spider-Man?" True. Um, Very true. And you and I have the same uh, feeling about the fourth one, but we we have phrased it differently. I'm mm. going to say the fourth group is the controversially that fabled new reader. <laughs> but you say it's what? I say it's just the plain non-reader. But it's because it's the fable. You see, it's it's, <laughs> it's it, there is no. There is no such thing. I mean, there are new readers, but sure. Go, you but, go ahead, Chris. Tell them. But oh, there, there are also people who have zero interest in comic books, mm-hmm. and they never will. Yeah. And that's okay. It's okay that they don't like comics. It's okay that they never will like comics because there's so much entertainment out there for everyone. Not everyone needs to be into comics. Yeah. And so much of the planet never, ever, ever will be, and that's okay. Yeah, you're, you know, not, you're not doing something wrong just because no. you're not selling to everyone on the planet. You know what I mean? Like exactly. Because I mean, I look at it. You know, when you look at like traditional sci-fi, you know, you think about things like Star Wars, Star Trek, maybe Doctor Who. I don't give a crap about any of that. Right. You know, that's not my thing. If people love it, that's awesome. Mm. It's not for me. So should the person who writes Doctor Who be like, hey, I I need to get this Chris guy to watch my show? Yeah. That would be a foolhardy endeavor Don't because bother. it's Don't not bo- ever going to happen. Yeah, and, and, and so, you already have all these other fans. Exactly. Don't disrespect the people who are actually coming to your show, giving you your ratings, buying your DVDs, buying your toys. Don't don't disrespect them by coming after me because I'm never coming. Yeah. You know, it's and that's what we have here. We have the non-reader, the people who they might like the characters, they might like the movies, they might like the cartoons and the toys and the video games, but they're not going to go into a comic book store mm. because that's just not their thing, and it doesn't have to be. I mean, you know? I think that's fair. I mean, you know, part of the rule of capitalism is you have to grow by 1% every year, you know? Mm-hmm. But uh, I think we can change some of those rules for comics because of the direct market. You know exactly. what I mean? Like, Am I wrong? Because it's a totally different situation. It doesn't There's no act- invisible hand here. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't need to grow. It's it's essentially... it's it's. A closed it's system. Fans, yeah, fans of comics operating a closed system just out of their love of comics. And if you cater to them, now the question becomes, is that enough people to support uh, comics? I don't know. Sure. It might not be. Uh, might I not think be. I think it's enough to, to support comics on a certain level. Sure. Um, but, you know... Well, we we don't understand the the industry doesn't seem to understand the growing pains that they're in, and it's just well let's just launch another book. It's like oh we we lose money every time we launch a book, launch three more. Oh my like, god, I just don't get it. You know what I mean? It's <laughs> I don't I mean some of the books you're like really what is this like? Okay, mm-hmm. I I really don't want to name names here, <laughs> and, and, and it, it applies to it applies to both of the big two. So they actually sure. don't need to. I'll tell you right now, it applies to both of them. There there are comics. I'm like what is going on? You know what I mean? Like yeah. you don't even have your flagship characters. Sure. And you have, like, you know, 
you know, Willie, we Willie and the Schmoes over here doing, you know, with like people <laughs> that no one ever heard of or cares about. And it's like, I, I mean, listen, and I know you like, I love oddball comics. I love sure. uh, the weird stuff. But do that when the rest of your house is in order. Get, yeah, get your those are a luxury item. Exactly, you know. <laughs> I want, I want to see that when, uh, you know, you know, when, you know, whatever Spider-Man, FF, Avengers, you know, Superman, Batman, but they're all selling nicely. Yeah, we can put out, you know, an ambush bug or a slapstick, whatever it is. You know what I mean? I'm just throwing out sure. ridiculous things, but uh, that that's you know that's that's when you do that type of thing, and that's that's when we can laugh at him because otherwise you're like, God, I'm getting ripped off on both ends. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 in trouble. It's in trouble. These uh, this is. industry. Uh, it isn't. I mean, we have you know you know. Let's say you have one of these non-readers that actually does somehow fall into a comic book store, or maybe they're at Walmart and they see the five-dollar giant, you right. know, whatever, and they pick it up, and they're we we've talked about this before. They're instantly lost. You know, they might like the art, they might like the characters, but I mean, the thought of following some, I mean, it's, you know, there's that joke about like, if you give someone a puppy as a pet, you're basically giving them a chore. Right. It's like, it's like, well, thanks. Now I have to feed this, you know? Yeah. It's the same thing. It's like you, 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 somebody gets into comics. It's like, well, now that's a chore. That's something I have to go do. Yeah, I have to I, it, fig- suss all this out, like figure out why there are so many different People and these teams in this book. Oh, forget that, about like, it. Yeah. Like, what's going on? <laughs> it's it's like you're 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 forcing and you're foisting an education on people that they might not really care much about. Um, <laughs> I mean, some will. You know, we we do, and we did at one time. Obviously, we saw a comic. You know, mm-hmm. I know your first was Elf Quest. Mine was like in in the books or whatever. The old and like that made us interested. That made us want to read more and look at more. And that's what happens with some people. Sure. Uh, you do, you know, it's not going to be a Walmart book. You know, it doesn't have to be. Yeah. It can be any comic, anytime, anywhere, that can cause that. But it's 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 like dictating where lightning is going to strike. You know what I mean? It's For just, sure. you can't really tell exactly who's going to have that uh, reaction to it. So it's. Uh, I mean, that's part. That is part of the fun. Although sometimes I wonder if comic storylines have gotten so convoluted, so as to remove the fun of that. Right? You know, mm-hmm. it used to be it's like, true. oh, well, all I have to do is read, you know, every Daredevil comic, and I'll be a Daredevil expert. Now, Not I do, so. <laughs> I do, you'll, you'll be like, I know less about Daredevil now than when I started. Exactly. <laughs> he only died yeah. like five times. What happened? <laughs> Last year. Yeah, really. Oh, <laughs> but, oh boy. You know, there are, and, you know, we, we mentioned, you know, other... Other forms of entertainment. You know, there are other forms of entertainment out there besides comics, believe it or not. And uh, they're all in competition for your dollar, for your eye, for your ear, for, you know, for anything. So you got things like video game, cartoons, uh, action figures, all sorts of stuff here that is competing for your attention. And these days, as we've talked about before, the price point isn't all that much of an advantage for comics anymore. It's true. Uh, it used to be a buck or, you know, you were a buck. It used to be, feet. this is, you know, if you're going for a road trip, your parents buy you a stack of co- a stack of cheap comics, and now it's like, well, I could buy a stack of comics that'll keep them busy for an hour, maybe, if we're lucky. Right. Or we can go next door to GameStop and buy a, a buy a 3DS, a used 3DS game for $5. Yeah. Or, or even, or you know, for that same stack of comics is probably going to be about fifty bucks anyway. So, <laughs> right. you get buy a, a brand new game, you know, or, you know, that's uh, that that works fine. So, uh, you know, that that's definitely a huge point. There used to be an adage that uh, comics could do effects that movies can't. 
right? That was the thing was that, you know, uh, yeah, just, their, their special effects budget was limitless. Was limitless. And then that that became less true when, when movies came out. But then still for a long time it was like, well, you know, Star Wars comes out, but you got to wait a long time for those to come out, whereas the comics happen every month. That's no, that now is really no longer the case. Now they're, they're cranking out high-quality uh, fake dinosaurs every other week, you know what I mean? So it's like oh, the, the competition is is much stronger, and it doesn't rest so much on bombastic artwork, I think. It it, it rests no, more on story, yeah. Uh, yeah. and that's where I think... St- well, what's funny is I think the art level of comics is better than ever uh, overall, oh, sure. I mean, for these sure. people drawing in comics today, uh, that you know, for the big two, but also for all over the place, I am routinely blown away at how unbelievably talented. And you know, we read comics from all over, Chris. We know they yep. let they let a lot of stuff slide back in the day. <laughs> people that weren't quite up to snuff uh, got published. I don't. You don't really don't see that anymore as much. Uh, pretty much everybody is at a really high level of quality art wise. The plotting sometimes could use some help, but just the visuals are usually pretty good. But uh, it's the writing; it suffers, you know. It, it it'll mm-hmm. it'll tank a book, uh, and of course the price point. You know, you like it, yeah. it used to be something you buy with your candy and uh, soda, mm-hmm. your quarter water. You know what I mean? And uh, there's no way, although they don't make quarter waters either. So what does that say? True that. I think quarter waters are dollar waters now, right? Something like that. <laughs> Uh, of course, the biggest problem, though, and this is this mm. is what they're trying to solve through the Walmart initiative and uh, something we don't Digital. talk about. The Archie uh, Digest, uh, I think, is is big on this. Is that comic book stores are the only locations for comics? Of course, talk about single issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, just just as an aside, you know, there's a lot of effort made, uh, primarily by I'll say just by DC. It seems, but Marvel gets into it too. To uh, appeal to YA kids with a lot of, you know, board books and uh, pro- <laughs> prose books featuring their characters and maybe like limited graphic uh, whatever to get them into the language of comics. Yeah. Comics language is the easiest freaking language to learn. What are you doing? Like, why are you wasting yeah. your time? Mm-hmm. Kids read comics like the, in the first you know, their eyes are open. They're seeing comics. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, it's ridiculous. I don't just, I don't understand this thing. Oh, yeah. Like, we gotta, we gotta teach them the language. Uh, if they learn to read, they'll learn to read comics the next day. You know what I mean? It's, it's not yeah. that hard to figure yep. out what the mm-hmm. hell you're looking at. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not denying these kids' graphic. I mean, obviously, the comics are fine. To make comics for kids is fine, but this idea that yeah, they have to be these. Uh, graphic novels, you know, in a special kids section in the bookstore. Mm-hmm. We'll just give them, give them a freaking issue of, of uh, Fantastic Four from 1962. Believe me, they'll they'll be fine. They'll uh, make it. Yeah. People really, do, people really do assume kids are idiots. I think a lot of that's not, a lot of society is built around this assumption. It takes that a kids, village. Kids to, are too to stupid give a to kid do a comic. things. Yeah. It's like, believe me, it's not that tough. They can figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, this is this is from an editorial by Thomas Harrington in Amazing Heroes, number 183, September 1990, cover date, titled Mainstreaming. He says, one term in this industry that strikes me uh, as odd is mainstream. For the purposes it serves, it's rather useful, but I can't help thinking about the irony in it, especially since it probably came into use when the alternative term was coined. In other words, when comics moved from the newsstands to the specialty shops. 
And he continues to say, The irony is that thanks to the direct market, even the biggest comics are no longer mainstream. Mainstream connotes something that is widely accepted by the culture as a whole. The Simpsons and Garfield are mainstream. Wolverine and the Justice League America are not. And you remember, this is 1990, so there were no movies about the Justice League or Wolverine just yet. And even today, though, you know, the comics that these properties originated in, I don't think we could call those mainstream Absol- either. Absolutely not. Look at the numbers. Yeah, they exactly. Are for sure. Exactly. Comics have a big advantage, he continues to say, over a lot of media. Uh, they're easy to read, still relatively cheap, where they were yeah. back then, <laughs> uh, and capable of holding the interest of a wide audience. But while American comic strips do this, the comic book scene has willingly turned itself into a subculture. When I compare it to the 70s and 80s, uh, I have to say that the effect has been beneficial, but with less and less readers spending more and more money. I wonder if this will bring us to a vanishing point. Uh, and yeah, publisher attempts at outreach, like I said, are ham-fisted and stupid. But uh, yeah, I think we're, go- we're we could be reaching that vanishing point. Well, you know, yes and no. In, in a lot of ways, hmm. because these independent publishers have been pulled up to a point um, I think they could survive probably selling their stuff online. Probably. Right? Probably. You know what I mean? And uh, I think it, the culture as a whole has become more comfortable purchasing things that way. Big so, time. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I think that that could be the last respite <laughs> when when and if the, the shoe finally drops. I think I think that it's the comic shops. But then, but then you know, you will get a real uh, – I mean, it'll be the same closed system, really, and you'll get a real – number possibly right from the consumer of how many you need to print so they'll be in the same you sure. know with a minute mitigated risk uh of what they do now but uh yeah it's the comic shops it's, it's a tough tough mm-hmm. game right here in new york city today a long long time comic shop uh st mark's place comics st mark's comics uh which is on st mark's place just announced that they're closing and i mean this place has been there at least 30 years, I would say. It's an 25, institution, yeah. Yeah, it's really is an institution. Um, they are struggling, man. It's it's just mm-hmm. tough because the back issues don't move. Nope. And that's what the bread and butter was supposed to be. Was That was the whole idea, was that no returns. Uh, frankly, I think one way they could solve this is if publishers took returns again. How about that? Well, why, don't you hey. try, why don't we try that? And they do that with special things, and you see those numbers spike. Yeah. But, but they hate that, obviously. Then they got to eat, eat too much paper, so... Exactly. Then somebody's going to take a picture of a stack of return books, and it'll go viral on the internet. Now we'll see what Can't a failure everything is, you know. <laughs> and we, we were wrapping up with uh, publishers' attempt to, to reach out to this fourth group of people who don't want to read are ham-fisted and stupid. And it's, it's true. I mean, we've seen no, numerous attempts to engage with people who aren't interested in comics. Yeah. Uh, they they might, you know, tweet a picture of a panel or something. Right. You know, or but they, they are not interested in actually purchasing books, but the big two have been bending over backwards to try to placate these folks and bring them on board when they're not interested. And they're they, can, they, the, the problem is that they cannibalize their fan base to do it. And I, they I, do. I, they I do. don't think that's necessary. I think that part of the problem is and why uh, the people don't want to come to comics is they can tell these overtures are pandering. That's that's my guess. You know what I mean? You like, know, I hope I hope they're smart enough to realize that I mean, because it it's it is just it's overt. It's it's, it's these overt th- nonsense things where it's like, all right, this character is uh, X Y Z, and I'm supposed to therefore. It's like that's that doesn't follow. You know what I mean? Like the yeah. product still, especially this day and age, where for, for where for example, 
there really isn't as you know there there was a time for example it was very hard to find gay characters in comics not so anymore. So now you can choose to read the good gay comic and not read the crappy gay. You know what I mean? That one time you, there was one, so you read that one. Now you yep. can. Now there's choice out there. So it's like you better have a good. I mean, that second. You, you group gotta. You gotta do more than just the gimmick. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's gotta be something worth reading. Yeah, it's it's exactly Absolutely. for real. Yeah, so that's you know those are the attempts to get the fabled fourth reader, fourth fan in there that you know. Ain't coming anyway. But uh, we'll close out by repeating that final line of the Jim Cornette quote here. You've got group one. Those are the hardcores. They're always there. Mm -hmm. If you're good, you get group two. So your book gets buzzed. People show up to read it. When you're lucky, you get group three. So you have the big event. You have a superstar creator in there. They might come to see who, what, how they do. Mm -hmm. And the rest of them, it don't make a forking difference because they're not coming anyway. Yeah. And uh, that might be a reality to face. It's huge to get people into a, a new store, you know what I mean? And uh, Sure. I mean, I, I don't mean just like a new store, like a new gap. I mean like a whole new shopping thing, you know? Like you don't even know you need it's it. A whole, it's a lifestyle. <laughs> yeah. it's, I mean, these stores aren't just comic stores anymore. They're lifestyle stores. And, and I'm trying to think of a, a comparable thing for – I mean, I – that would be like me walking into a Hot Topic, you know, right. and that's not to denigrate anybody who shops at Hot Topic, sure. but that's not my scene, and I would feel very uncomfortable there. I would feel like everybody is staring at me as an outsider, or, so or, I can understand that people might not be comfortable going into these comic stores. To go back, maybe go, going into a fly, a fly fishing store, and here I'm assuming you're, there not, you go. A, I'm there assuming you go. you're not a big fly fisher, but no, uh, yeah, I mean, you'd walk <laughs> in, and you'd basically have to walk up to a person and say, tell me everything, you know? like <laughs> <laughs> Open my it's like okay, I know that I know that fly fishing involves a rod. Uh, I need to know everything else. Thank you. So we just to help me out here. Um, and I'll tell you, I mean, there are different. Uh, you know, I uh, my comic shop. I, I just said goodbye to my comic shop today because I'm moving. Uh, even though I might see him, but my guy was uh, very good. He he was a guy that he got to know me over about a year of going, and after that he started recommending, uh, and I and all of his recommendations were. He had my number. He was just, he understood uh, what I liked, you know, what I was about and what I wanted to read. And that's an awesome experience to have that. But I know not everyone gets that experience. And, you know, there are parts of this this country and this world that are just not covered by retail stores. Sure. So it's, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Really, how do we end this? Uh, comics are in trouble, right? That's really how we feel. But, uh, we just heard news that DC's doing layoffs. We we don't know if that's going to result in something that we won't even notice, or if it's going to result in a whole different way we receive comics. I mean, who knows? I think I, I really think. Uh, I mean, I, I'm not going to re reveal what I guessed to you, uh, but hmm. I think we are going to see results from this. I think this is this is a bit of a shakeup, you know. And you got to look at it. You know, this this is something we didn't even mention here, but the fact that Marvel and DC are now beholden both of them to. Corporate these overload. huge corporations, yep. uh, they, don't, they don't give a crap or know anything about story. That's true. All they That's care true. about is the bottom line, you know, and, uh, you know, they, the long-term growth is they, meaningless to them, you know what I mean? They, they need mm -hmm. to show results now and today, and they're, you know, they got people snapping on their heels all the way up the line. So 
Yeah, you know, it's, it's like the the doomsday clock of comics here is kind of like we just need the wrong executive on the wrong day to ask why is this still a line item on my budget? Yes, that's a, that's kind of thing we say, really. You know what I mean? Yep. Like, uh, I really I really think that too. Disney and Warner Brothers, uh, these comics are essentially a loss. Maybe they see them as a lost leader. I, mean, I don't. I don't think it's a hemorrhage. I don't think it's like you know hundreds of millions pouring. No, because then this. they'd be gone. Then they would then, be gone. I, I think. It, I think it might be, you know, maybe some months in the black, some months in the maybe red, a, and maybe oh, a break even here and there. Oh, yeah. Overall, they're thinking, well, we did good on the you know Spider-Man bed sheets, so you know <laughs> that's it's all worth it to uh, lose a couple on the comics, but. Eventually, it's it's going to take somebody to, to say like, "Hey, I can save thirty grand a year just by cutting these guys out." So that's all, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. Uh, and, it that, is. and it could be it could be a figure as small. <laughs> Literally, yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. When it's a bean counter, it don't matter. Uh, I can tell you, having worked in publishing, not uh, you know, not actually, I I did know someone worked in Disney-owned publishing with the book side. Uh, yeah, they they really will. They'll cut a whole division over. Ten thousand dollars. It's Peanuts. it's yep. it's nothing. Uh, it's all it's all good for the end of the year celebration. You know, whatever it is. But anyway, <laughs> that's that's. We'll talk about corporate America and hold another. How about that? Another that time. Sounds like yeah. a fun thing to do one time. <laughs> talk about our, our corporate feelings. Uh, but I think that that will wrap us up for this discussion, which I really I really did enjoy, it, Chris. I thank you for. Uh, Oh. Bringing this concept to the table, it it sort of skirts a lot of topics we've talked about. Yeah, uh, yeah. But it's it's a good it was a good way to frame it and uh, sort of set out that yeah this fourth group, it's a fool's errand. You know this is not a real mm-hmm. thing. So yep. stop knocking yourself out. Yep. And I know Dan DiDio is listening. No, he's not. He, only the patrons are listening. Unfortunately, oh. and fortunately for us, but. This information. But didn't Jim Lee just sign on? Oh, maybe someday, but this this will never get out <laughs> to the world. That's okay. Uh, we we love to talk about comics. We love to share this with uh, all of you guys. So uh, thanks for your support. We'd love to know, obviously, what you think about this. If we think we're way off base, please let us know what you what your feelings about these groups are. Maybe there's even more than four groups. Maybe we're Short-changing the number of groups here, huh? Could be. Maybe uh, we're being too broad with our uh, terminology. Exactly. Yeah. Because we definitely even we went into like subgroups, so that's probably yes. could even you probably could further divide it if you uh, so chose. So uh, thanks for listening, everybody. The, and again, thanks for your support. And uh, we will be back very soon with some more comics talk. But one last thing. Yeah. One last thing. We were talking about doing a lighter episode, eventually. Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, one of the things we thought, threw around was uh, was talking about our favorite and not-so-favorite logos for comics. Uh, right. You know, the, the, the trade dress, all that stuff on that's on a cover that isn't the art. You know, all right. that stuff. Or what it is art in a way. But uh, it's something we wanted to talk about. Maybe go deep on Gaspar Saladino, talk about his history, mm-hmm. and... Uh, Maybe this is some some way we can incorporate our our lovely patrons into the show mm-hmm. if they want to share with us their favorites and not so favorite logos from from comics. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, if you want to get us started, we can uh, you know just drop some logos at the usual places. I think you can mm-hmm. put them either on Patreon or uh, tweet, or at, tweet us them or, at us or t- weird comics history at Gmail. A lot of ways you can do it. We'll compile them and uh, you know. 
see what you guys think of these uh, different logos. Of the years. I think this episode was a little lighter than the last one, at least, right? Oh, we last one, I, we were both standing on the ledge. So the yeah, last, the last one. two, we were getting a little, <laughs> little fire brandy. This one was a little lighter to me, but yeah, we, I, I guess we had some opinions are being shared here, but that's all right. That's that's we're in a, we're in a closed system here, like the direct market, so we could uh, share our true feelings about things, even though I still. Don't want to rip publishers up too much, to be honest with For you. For sure. Absolutely. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, definitely. Please send us your uh, favorite logos, let your least favorite logos, and mm. uh, we will incorporate those into probably the next episode of Comics Talk, if not the one after that. Certainly. And uh, that'll be that. So this is us for January, folks. Take care. Thanks so much. See ya. I said my head.